Don, did you turn Cheryl on? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had I had unmuted and it didn't unmute. <laughs> Greetings oh, and welcome, everybody. Okay, Cheryl. Okay, start over, please. Thank you. Okay. Good afternoon. <laughs> and um, welcome. We want to welcome you to Tarn Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History History and True History History of Nassara. And uh, as we celebrate this last Saturday of the month of January, we are getting close and we're going to celebrate a little bit early our Festival of Imbolc. And that is the cross point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, which means that it, it is a time of increasing light. It is also known as Candlemas. And the two of them are both known as a time of cleansing and purification. So that is what we are going to focus on today, along with anchoring peace. So draw in your highest light as you go into your heart center. And see that magnificent flame of light that you are within your heart as we call forth for the full mergence and integration of our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and goddess presence. See yourself in your mighty pillar of light. It is filled with the violet flame of transmutation and purification, transformation, as well as a white light of purity blazing through as well. As we invoke those qualities for ourselves and for humanity here today, and we see, sense, and feel our pillar of light fully anchored to source, fully connected to the heart of our Mother, Father, God, and fully connected to the heart of Gaia in the center of the earth. Imagine expanding your pillar out as we call forth the planet and all upon her to join in our heart center as we invoke all that we receive for everyone and begin with the following prayer. Please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And see, sense, and feel your heart connected. Heart to heart, high heart to high heart. Cosmic heart to cosmic heart with every man, woman, and child. As we are all connected to the cosmic heart of all that is. And we invite everyone to join us in unity consciousness as their I am presence 
to anchor these frequencies with us, for ourselves, for all humanity. We invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, to receive all that we received. We welcome all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families, and soul pods. We welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms. We welcome the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the Diva Kingdom, the Elemental Kingdom, the Fury Kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms, including the dragons. We celebrate on the week after that. We'll, we'll celebrate next weekend the Year of the Dragon coming up. And we welcome them as well and their magical energies and the gifts they have to bring us in 2024 and beyond. And we welcome all of the realms of angels, from the angels and archangels, through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome as well all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams especially those teams that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra and beyond, and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do. And magnify, magnify, magnify all of this work. 999 trillion times, 999 trillion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and evocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well. 
and we have to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy and serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone and everything in our circle of support. From the very first name that created it, to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every friend, every neighbor, every community member, all of our pets and our animals, each and every group and organization, every institution, every business, every corporation, each and every nation, each military, each government, as we call forth for divine government, here, this year, right here and right now, calling in all of the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves, especially the sapphire blue cosmic Christ flame and the violet flame that each work with divine government into the legislative aspect of each and every government here and in each nation, into each legislative body, each Congress, each parliament, the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House of Representatives, all legislative bodies on federal, state, and local levels, each state legislature, the parliament of each and every province, each city council, each school board, each and every library board, Each governing body, okay, governing legislative body, those that are lawmaking, we ask that every single law considered and enacted reflect only divine law, divine justice, divine love, divine governance, divine government, and reflect only heaven on earth. We call this forth for the executive function of each and every government and each and every nation, each president, each prime minister, each head of state, each vice president, including all the ambassadors of each nation, each and every Uh, department, the Department of State in each nation, the Department of Justice in each nation, the Department of Defense in each nation, each and every cabinet post and cabinet member, all who serves in those capacities, all advisors and decision makers, as we ask that each and every decision made on an executive level reflect only divine justice, divine law, 
divine love, divine governance, divine government, and reflects only heaven on earth. We call for it the same for the judicial aspect of each and every nation, each and every government, the highest court of the land in each nation, the Supreme Court here in the U.S., and all of its judges, all of the justices, all of the cases, all of the decisions, and the all international courts of law, and the highest, again, the highest court of law in each and every nation, all federal judges, state and local judges, each and every aspect of the legal system in each nation, every judge, every jury, every grand jury, each and every prosecutor, each defendant, each and every court case and court decision, and all involved in the justice system in each nation, that every decision reflect only divine law, divine justice, divine love, divine governance, divine government, and reflect only heaven on earth. We call forth all of the weather patterns, whether it's the winter storms, or the flooding, or the um, landslides, any earthquakes, um, any storms, tropical storms that might be in the southern hemisphere, any any winter storms as we call forth for divine balance and harmony amongst all the elements of nature along with humanity, to bring everything into perfect balance, to restore this earth to its pristine nature. We call forth for everyone's needs to be met across the planet, including divine peace peace and harmony amongst all people and everyone's needs met on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and energetic level. That people have all the food that they need and the clean water and the good housing and the good education and good health. That everyone be restored to balance and perfection on every level of beingness and that they recognize their divinity and honor who they are and the divinity in each and every man, woman, and child across the planet, and that everyone remember their divine puzzle piece for this time of being on the planet, their contribution to creating heaven on earth. So everything else is in the circle we hold dear in our hearts as we hold the divine image of heaven, 
manifesting here and now on this planet. And we call forth all of the energy around all the things that people might be focused on, including creating heaven on earth, but all the things that seem to distract people, whether it's all the energy going toward uh, the football games, including uh, our local team, the Detroit Lions, all of the excitement about that, and um, all of the energy going on towards all of the outer events of this world, whether it's the election season or anything else, we're going to call in all of that energy into our collective cup of consciousness to utilize for the transformation of the planet individually and collectively to be magnified by this full moon energy for the transformation of this planet into the seventh golden age. And we invite Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, every portal, every vortex, every monument, every sacred site, all of the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every Stargate, every city of light, as we continue up the spiral of evolution along with Gaia, crazy as it is sometimes, knowing that she's indeed taking her rightful place as Freedom Star. We give thanks for this opportunity to serve and we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. So we're going to work with this purification energy, calling in the invoke energy as well and the energy of clearing and cleansing and purification, the maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection individually and collectively at this time, starting with the violet flame. As we say, in the name I am that I am, I now call for the action of the violet transmuting flame to be activated within my entire consciousness, being, and world. Join me in saying, violet fire from the heart of God, violet fire from the heart of God, violet fire from the heart of God. Expand thy light through me each day. Expand thy light through me each day. Expand thy light through me each day. Transmute and heal my human imperfections into the shining diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. Transmute and heal my human imperfections into the shining diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. Transmute and heal 
my human imperfections into the shining diamond of God's heart and Christ's perfection. As I surrender to thy radiant light, take dominion over my life, blaze into action the mercy's flame of the compassionate heart, expand and saturate within me the wonders of the violet light until I am totally transformed. Beloved, I am presence. Send the violet flame to purify every cell, atom, and electron of my being until I am raised into my eternal victory by the action of the violet fire and the ascension flame. So it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath. Again, working that with that beautiful white and gold ascension flame as that transmutation takes place. Again, we're asking for healing for everyone through the seventh ray, the violet flame. In the name of my beloved, I am presence. In the name of God, Goddess. I now call forth the action of the violet flame of transmutation, of compassion and forgiveness in my auric field for the cleansing and purifying of every action, thought, and feeling in my heart, my mind, my solar plexus, and in all of my chakras. I ask for the action of the violet fire to permeate every cell, every atom, and every electron of my multi-body system at this moment. And at all time, each day of my life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I ask for the healing of any distortions in my energy fields from past and present misunderstanding. I ask the energies of the violet fire to start healing any imbalance in my physical, emotional, and mental bodies. With much gratitude, I now ask for the action of the violet fire to manifest in my energy fields in full power. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am... Beloved, I am, beloved, I am that I am. Continuing to work with the violet fire in the name of the great I am, I call to beloved Saint Germain to saturate the world with waves upon waves of violet fire, to infuse every particle of life, every man, woman, and child on this planet in an orc field of violet flame, to protect them and to awaken them. I ask that this action be sustained until full perfection is restored. In the name of the I am that I am, from the Lord God of my being, I now ask that every cell, every atom, and every electron of my four-body system all my subtle bodies 
every particle of life of who I am in all dimensions and states of consciousness be totally filled with the wonders and the miracle energies of the violet flame of freedom's love. I now ask to be filled again and again, 24 hours a day, each day of my life. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth the flame of purity to work with us as well, the white flame of purity, to work with the violet. It's important to always work with the violet flame before you work with the white flame of purity. That's uh, recommended. So we see, sense, and feel that white flame of divine purity. And we call it forth for ourselves and every man, woman, and child through the following prayer. In the name of my beloved, victorious God, Goddess Presence, I am. I affirm that I am worthy of thy purity. I call for a great cosmic shaft of cosmic purity flame to remove from my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, and my body every vibration of human creation that is impure in substance and less than my perfection in God Goddess. Replace it all with the fullness of the mind of Christ. Manifest within me the power of the resurrection that is the mother of pearl, visualize the mother of pearl, manifest within me the power of the resurrection and the ascension flames, the white with gold, so that by the power of purity's ray, I might be free from all discord I have ever created. In all discord, through all time, space, and dimension, that has ever been directed against me and the light for which I stand. I am purity in action. Say that three times. I am purity in action. I am purity in action. I am God's purity established within my soul, my mind, and my body. Let me invoke purity, not only for myself, but also for every man, woman, and child on this planet. For my family, my friends, the whole family of God, all kingdoms, and the Earth Mother. Let me also invoke purity for the air, water, and earth, and for the animal and elemental kingdoms all nature spirits, and all divic intelligence. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. We're going to bring in also the golden light of peace. Eternal peace as we invoke planetary peace and we invoke divine intervention for peace across the planet. 
see, sense, and feel the golden light of peace as well as the violet, the cosmic blue light of divine will, the white purity flame, the mother of pearl resurrection flame, the gold and white ascension flame in through and around the planet and through and around every man, woman, and child as we invoke these energies of peace. Beloved Divine Presence, Great Holy Spirit of all life, we come before you now as humble instruments of planetary peace and transformation. Charge us now with victorious power to bring forth the most potent divine intervening support in service to this pivotal mission of permanently eradicating the hate virus from the Middle East and each and every area across the planet. By and through the agency of divine command, we call forth and invoke the Elohim creation field, the star nations of light, the masters of love and wisdom, the spirit of the earth and the elemental kingdom, the unity grid of light, all earth master crystals, the legions of angels assisting earth's evolution, and the fifth dimensional morphogenetic field of love and unity. Come, come, come. Amplify our effort with your invincible light. Qualify this activity through the perfect adherence to divine principle. Thy will be done. In the name of unity consciousness, we invoke the consciousness of our physical sun and the transforming radiation responsible for human DNA upgrade. Saturate our group body and all life forms in the Middle East with the solar light of morphogenesis now. We call into dynamic action the consummate force of universal will to cleanse and quarantine the entire Middle East region to prevent any further spread of the infection called hate. May this energetic barrier be sustained with unlimited power until the light of union prevails throughout these holy lands. In the name of the divine presence, we call forth the universal cosmic light and its assisting angels into pure, full purifying action. We command this light to dissolve and consume all living records of war, violence, and hatred, and hate-empowered extremism. Uplift and sanctify this entire region and its life with the transforming power of love. We call forth wholeness and right divine action. We charge the cosmic light to bathe and purify the land, the earth's interior, the atmosphere, and all bodies of water surrounding the Middle East, Send this transforming light deep, deep, deep into every atomic particle of life 
in this geographical region. We command this light to dissolve, consume, and requalify all living imprints of contamination, trauma, and destructive thought form. Release all trapped elemental life. Dissolve all obstructions and restore harmony now. We call forth wholeness and right divine action. Beloved cosmic light, now go and immediately purify the oil of this region of any and all living imprints of obsession, greed, and destructive thought forms. Remove the imprints of war from the bloodstream of the earth, now and forever. Bless and requalify all uses of oil for the greater good of all. We call forth wholeness and right divine action. Universal light intelligence, now go and immediately repair all fracturing and vulnerability in the planetary crystalline grid in the Middle East region. Empower the energy grid system so that it firmly connects to the heart pulse of all people living in the Middle East and transmit the new morphogenetic codes. We call forth wholeness and right divine action. We command the cosmic light to go now and immediately deactivate the hologram of conflict and human killing and suffering affecting the Middle East. Dissolve and consume all destructive energy currents and frequency distortions, keeping this region locked in a perpetual loop of violence. Bring freedom and lasting peace to the Middle East at long last. We call forth wholeness and right divine action. Beloved divine presence, open the portals of light in the Middle East to receive The incoming streams of love and goodness keep pouring the cosmic light in through these portals until joyous liberation is achieved. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all-powerfully active and ever-expanding until the divine plan is fulfilled for the Middle East We call forth this for each and every area on the planet experiencing violence or conflict or war of any kind. We seal this activity in cosmic peace. May peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. Thy will be done. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Let's anchor that peace. Again, we call forth Gaia and Sandalphon to assist in anchoring all that we've invoked for ourselves and for every man, woman, and child to be easily and effortlessly integrated 
in this divine moment the maximum that each being can receive, the maximum the collective can receive. And again, we give thanks for this. So we give thanks at this time, and I ask you during this week ahead to see those flames of purification across the planet, enfolding everyone and everything, and to see that golden flame of peace as well taking hold as everything is transmuted. So hold that picture of peace throughout this week. I want to take this time to thank you for your divine service. Thank you for your divine service today and each week and invite you to further divine service each and every Sunday and Monday for the ascension meditation and activation calls that I hold. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We start with greetings. And we have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tar and Rama come in and give us an update. At 9.30, we start our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth through our visualizations, our meditations, our invocations and prayers, and even our updates. And so that, again, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. If you haven't been with us, this is a teleconference call. And we would love to know that you've joined us because you heard about it on the Saturday program and where you're calling from, where you're anchoring the energy. Let me give you that phone number. The main number that we're using is 480 480- Six six zero two 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 four four eight zero six six zero two 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 four. The access code is nine four six seven four four one pound nine four six seven four four one pound. And if you if it doesn't go through, sometimes you need to do it a little bit slower. And you can access the calls. I have not only that number, I have numerous numbers across the nation and local numbers for you. I have international numbers. Um, You can access it um, by the computer at freeconference.com and also through their app. If you need that additional information, contact me at my email address, which is Cheryl Croce, my name, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. We'd love to have you join us and be a regular part of our Lightworker crew, bringing heaven to earth in each and every week. And um, I wish you an amazing, amazing week ahead. Infinite blessings. And infinite blessings of our cross point, which 
some consider to be more powerful, that February 1st and the February 2nd date, some people consider it more powerful than the equinoxes and the solstices. So we are gathering more light, and this is our job at this time, to anchor that light. So I thank you for your divine service. We want to take this time to thank Tar and Rama for their divine service and to thank Rainbow for her service as well. So infinite blessings to everybody. Have an amazing week filled with magic and miracles. And I'm going to pass the talking stick with all of these amazing flames of transformation to you, Rainbird, with the violet and the cosmic blue and the uh, Mother of Pearl Resurrection and the Golden White Ascension Flame and all of the energies that we've invoked with lots of dragon energy coming in, too, to assist us in this transformation and the fire of their transformation. So, infinite blessings, and I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> uh, lots of gratitude for your divine service as well. And uh, I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener support radio program. It takes all of us to make it happen. And so here's how, how we do it. We have uh, fees each week for BBS radio services. And this week, actually, the, the, we need $409 to cover our expenses for the, the last two weeks in January. And so go into your heart space and see what is yours to give and then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the home page, click on the schedule, and you'll see a schedule for Radio Station 1 and Radio Station 2. We're on Radio Station 2 and listed at the 3.30 hour, uh, which is Central Time. Uh, you'll see this program, The History of Nasera and Our Galactic Origin with Tara and Rama. And uh, as you click on that icon, that takes you directly to our account with DBS Radio. We're using your bank card. You could make a donation. In any amount. So, thank you. Thank you for taking that action. We're on Radio Station 1 on Thursdays and Fridays at the 8 o'clock hour. And you'll find that listed in that schedule on Radio Station 1. Uh, on Thursdays, it's a night at the round table with the panel. And you can click on that icon there and make a donation that way <clears throat> as it takes you to our account. And then on Fridays, the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama, you can click on that icon that's on that schedule and that takes you to our account with BBS. So thank you for taking that action. We're grateful for your participation and we're grateful for your donations and we're grateful for all the ways you show up in your lives. So thank you. We're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week, uh, they need living expenses, $200 for that. And uh, they are they have a bill due next weekend, which I believe is a little over $100. I'm not sure which bill it is. But they have four bills, Verizon, Windstream, Electric, and Gas. And that comes to $526 for the month of February. So we will be addressing that in February. Rama is also looking for... Uh, a new printer, and so we're putting that into ethers that one manifests itself. 
and uh, just be aware that if we need to help him with that, we he'll let us know. Um, so there, there you go. That's what they need. And here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. You want to access their PayPal account, and you can do that by going to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. There on the home page, you'll see the donate link in the top bar on the right. And also, as you click the menu grid near the bottom of that list, the donate link, that takes you to Rama's PayPal account. Or not Rama's, but the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account, where you can make that donation in any amount. Now, as you want to access the friends option, um, you can do that by... Um, you have to have the email address there to do that, and I'll give you that email address so you have it, so you can access that friends option. So you can put that in the gift email. In that email, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So that gives you that uh, access for that friends option, and... Sometimes it's not clearly understood. You can always go to support and look for how do I gift. Uh, either way is perfect, though. We're grateful for all your contributions. So thank you for taking that action. And as you are sending something, please let Rama know that you sent something. His email is koran999 at comcast.net. Let him know what you sent and when you sent it. And then as you need it, there is a mailing address for Rama. And that is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. So there you go. That's all the information. Post Office Box 280 Santa Cruz, New Mexico, zip eight seven five six seven. So thirteen thank yous and honey in the heart. We we're so grateful for all your donations and, and your participation. And I'm passing this talking stick and it has those those planes, the violet, the, the cosmic blue, the mother of pearl and the golden light. Fire uh, and all kinds of dragon energy and lots of fairies and feathers and lots of celebration for uh, the inbox start starting. So, um, yeah, and a few groundhogs are coming on board. So, greetings, Taran Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Greetings, everyone. Rama's got a, a glitch going on here, and he's got to get a different computer. It won't start for some reason, so he's working on it. <laughs> um, and I would just want to thank everyone for being here. The energies are really high. And... Um, here comes the computer. We've got to work. That 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 plug doesn't work there. No, I know. I have to. Oh, okay. I know what I'm doing. 
All right. Um, so, Rama, can you uh, just for a minute tell everybody what your message is? Because you didn't give it to me. Um, I <laughs> I sat with three deer and six crows today, and it was 37 degrees. And um, I got a text message from Tom, the ringtail cat, uh, Larry Curley and Moe, and Sweet Angelique the cat. And they sent me some pictures of some ships, decloaked ships, that are clearly visible. And it, it, one of them's over Switzerland. And it's basically what they're saying is the Galactic Federation is here and uh, we'll be calling on you. And the other one was, another one was over Greece, right? Yes. And then two other I got to find out where the Europe. two others are. Yeah. Yeah. And just to blaze the violet fire with the situation in the Middle East and all the players, they need more love. Okay, so while I'm gonna let, while we let Rama do this, I'm gonna read this International Court of Justice report. Uh, and this is the press release. And it's, uh, came out on January 24th, 2024. And the title of it is Application of the Convention, Application of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in the Gaza Strip. South Africa versus Israel's in parentheses after that. And then the next thing it says is request for the indication of provisional measures. The court to deliver its order on Friday the 26th of January, 2024, at 1 p.m. So it happened yesterday, their time. Then, The Hague, the 24th of January, 2024, on Friday, 26th of January, 2024, the International Court of Justice will deliver its order on the request. It's a repeat of the title here on the request for the application of provisional measures submitted by South Africa in, there we go, that's on. Yeah, let's hope it works. You don't think it works? Oh, I think it does. It's just things are going to be slow. Oh. Yeah. I wonder what happened. Uh, application of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in the Gaza Strip. South Africa versus Israel. A public sitting will take place at 1 p.m. at the Peace Palace, 
in The Hague, during which Judge Joan F. as in Frank Donahue, the president of the court, will read the court's uh, order. It is recalled that on the 29th of December, 2023, South Africa filed an application instituting, can you move the papers for her to sit now and take that flashlight out of there? Kitties. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, leave it right there in the middle there. Okay. Thank you. Oh, sorry, everybody. Kitty wants to be in the middle of the action here. Um, South Africa versus Israel. A public sitting will take place at 1 p.m. at the Peace Palace in The Hague, during which Judge Joan F. Donahue, the president of the court, will read the court's order. It is recalled that on the 29th of December, 2023, South Africa filed an application instituting proceedings against Israel concerning alleged violations by Israel of its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. The and then in parentheses the Genocide Convention, quote unquote. In relation to Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. In its application, South Africa also requested the court to indicate provisional measures in order to quote protect against further Severe and irreparable harm to the rights of the Palestinian people under the Genocide Convention. And to ensure Israel's compliance with its obligations under the Genocide Convention not to engage in genocide Mm -hmm. and to prevent and to punish genocide. This is the ICC press release number 202377. Okay, now it's official. I mean, it's been official, but this we got to read it. Because you got to reboot it? No, because everything's loading and it's, you know, doing updates. It'll take a little while. How long? I'm not sure, but... Um, okay, well, I can read something. Yeah. What else can I read? Hmm. <laughs> um. Oh, I'll read... Um, this is... Uh, Who's this? Is it? Uh, Grandmother Chandra. Grandmother Chandra's message. Okay. Balancing the feminine and masculine energies. A lot of the weather conditions that you are experiencing is a result of the balancing of the feminine and masculine energy 
on the planet itself because the feminine energy has been suppressed on this planet. Additional feminine energy is coming through the rain, the snow, and any kind of water flows on Gaia. This water and snow coming to Gaia is actually bringing her original balance back to how it was planned for her to transition and ascend, especially in the spring as the fallen snow is melting. Right now, the part of Gaia that gets rain instead of snow shows that this balance is already coming to the level where it needs to be. The pressure balance for the waters under the earth is a flow of love and light that is going through going through this new wave, new energy coming to Gaia, actually supporting all the energy of processes that are happening on the surface and that are happening for humanity. The same processes that are happening on Gaia are happening in your body because this new energy that is coming from the waters of the energetic quantum field of Gaia is actually helping your body to restore these balances. It is connected to the fluids of your body, especially the blood, the lymphatic system, and all the other systems that are supporting the flows, realigning field, uh, let's see, including the energetic including the energetic flows in your quantum field. All these fields are realigned by the realigning field of Gaia. You are receiving this energetic push from the planet to balance the feminine and masculine energies in your bodies and to release all the blockages that were preventing this balance from happening in your body. Now you can release all the toxins, all the blockages, hard particles, and the unnecessary fluids that were holding these discordant situations in place. The same balancing is happening in your brain tissue, especially in the parts connected with the communication, with higher frequencies, especially the pineal gland, the endocrine system, and all the glands in your body are becoming more aware of this shift and are producing the necessary ingredients to help all the glands create this balance. These new balancing energies will help you to embody the new energies that are coming to Gaia and will help you to be more present in the energetic space in which Gaia is aiming for. All the work you are putting into the balancing is bringing you to the condition where your 
whole energetic field, your quantum field, your body, and your bodies are most efficiently working in the new energies. Every time as I send you a message or every time as I work on you, you are going to, you are going higher and higher or closer and closer to your full presence in your light bodies. Hugs and love to all of you. Grandma. So she's working on all of us, huh? Uh, as part of her daily life, everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's still loading everything. It's taking a while. Yes, Commander. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking I might play something from the TV. Yeah, because this hasn't been run for a few months. That's why it's taking so long. I understand. I'm just glad that you're getting it going. Yeah, I'm hoping. (laughs) Oh, well, what shall I play is the question. Um, I'm looking. Well, I guess I'll play... Uh, Richard Wolf. Mm. I don't have everything, but I got some of it, and then when that gets going, you can play the rest of it. Yeah. yeah it's 41 run. minutes, and I've got 33 minutes of it. So. Okay, i got to run in the other room and get my password. Okay. Pray I remember. Just a second. got to... See where I am. No, that's not it. Sorry. Um, well, I could also go back to Monday. I mean, yeah, Monday. Well... That was back on the 15th. Well, let's see. see, Um, The second. Okay, that's the beginning. Fast forward. Here we go. My, 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 my. You never know, everybody. Blaze the violet fire so all of this works out for our show. Uh, let's see, we're getting there. Thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thanks a lot, Richard, and on to 2024. And we'll be right back after this. I'm Richard RJS Callen. This is this year. And we are 
you're back on the zero hour on your host, Richard R.J. Escal. We hear an awful lot of talk about the word democracy in this country. We hear that our military uh, procedures are meant to spread democracy. We hear that we're a beacon of democracy. We, we hear that uh, the democratic principle should guide us. But do we even really know what democracy means or who its greatest adversaries really are? To judge, uh, to discuss that, uh, and perhaps to judge as well with me, is uh, Richard Wolf, our good friend Richard Wolf. Richard Wolf, of course, economist, economic historian, host of Economic Update on Free Speech TV, and so much more. So uh, without further ado, Richard Wolf. Welcome back to the Zero Hour. Thank you, RJ. Very, very glad to be with you again. So what do you think? Do we even know what we're talking about when we talk about democracy? Because, boy, I hear people and see people with an awful lot of different ideologies and ways of looking at the world, and they all throw this word around. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful word, but uh, is there even a common understanding of what it means? Uh, my short answer to your big question is no, there isn't a common uh, agreement, not at all. Like many important words that have been used, and I would argue abused in countless ways for a whole host of different reasons in a big variety of contexts, so it's not even surprising that it has many different meanings. You know, like words, uh, other words, too, words like love or freedom or a whole host of other really important concepts that, you know, are constantly demonstrating to us how many different meanings there are. Think of all the romantic relationships that have gone askew because the partners to them had very different notions of what, for example, the word love or the word commitment or the fill in the blank meant, right? Everybody kind of knows what I'm talking about. For me, democracy, and I agree with you, it's a beautiful idea, as I understand it, means that the people rule themselves, that there is no other, that people are not divided between those who rule and those who are ruled. It is a notion of the collective of, a, of any community, local, regional, national, international. It is the people governing themselves, making the decisions about how they interact together for themselves. No kings, no queens, no all the rest of it. On that basis, to go to the second part of your introduction, I would argue that the capitalist way of organizing an economy, starting with the enterprise, the factory, the office, the store, where goods and services are produced, are performed, where the production and distribution of the goods and services we depend on for our lives are carried out, those institutions, enterprises, for lack of a better term, workplaces, 
are organized in our capitalist system in a fundamentally undemocratic way. A tiny group of people, the owner of the business, the partners who own and operate the business, the board of directors, if it's the corporation form of a business, these are tiny groups of people sitting at the top of an enterprise, whether it has 10, 100, or 10,000, or 100,000 employees, a tiny group of people make the decisions. They are not accountable to the people, the employees, let's call them by their proper name, the employees do what the employer tells them to do, right? In the community where we live, we have the authority to vote, not always, not 100%, but we have a kind of authority to vote for the mayor who makes decisions we have to live with in that town. But in the workplace, and let me remind you, that's where adults spend most of their lives, in the workplace, especially if you getting ready to go to the workplace, recuperating from a day at the workplace. It's that which organizes five out of the seven days of your life. So in that workplace, a tiny group of people, employers, the U.S. Census measures employers as between one and three percent of the population, depending exactly on how you define it. But that means at least 97% of the people are not employers. Employers have all the authority. They decide what to produce. They decide what technology to use. They decide where production will happen. And they decide who with the put of the enterprise. Even though everybody who works there played a role in producing what the goods and services are that flow out of the enterprise. So this is absolute opposite of democracy. It's autocracy. It's an autocracy of the owner, of the board of directors, of whoever sits at the top. And we all know, since we've all experienced it uh, in our lives, since we are surrounded overwhelmingly, prevailingly capitalist, hierarchical enterprises. So we have the problem, to go back to the irony you began with, that our military are running around the world bringing democracy, which is becoming a humorous aside, since we don't have the democracy for them to bring. And we never did. The ferocity with which we affirm that you have to be elected to be a mayor or a congressperson or a governor or a president. This accountability in the community where we reside has never been applied to the community where we work. And where is that written? What biblical injunction requires such an absence of democracy? And now the final point, which we are living with in a kind of explicitly extreme way these days. The final point is, if you organize your economy 
its foundational productive institution and element, the enterprise, in a fundamentally undemocratic way, it is going to undermine whatever democracy you residually allow in the residential community, which is why the democracy we do have is mostly formal. We have the form of it, but not the reality. To say that a population can once a year go into a voting booth and fill out a form or move a lever, that's a form of democracy. But if you mean by democracy the people rule, that's not a rule. Most of the people who vote don't have the time, don't have the leisure, don't have the information, don't have the education to rule in any meaningful sense, which most Americans for sure will tell you whether they are choose to be voters or not. So bottom line, democracy is a beautiful idea and it's a beautiful word. But capitalism has never had much use for it other than a very convenient veneer so that it could look a lot better along that line of evaluation than it actually is. In other words, it's not genuine, and we ought to face it, because to make it genuine, something I personally advocate, be then a policy to change the economy from an undemocratic to a democratically organized one, and I spend a lot of time, just myself, working out, advocating for just exactly that change. And the system that we take for granted in this case, uh, this undemocratic economic system, uh, you know, I was thinking as you were speaking about the history of it, and to me, you know, throughout global history, there have been examples of democratic economies. Some people like the anthropologist David Graeber and others, Mitchell Sowens, have taken it back to, you know, very prehistory, human prehistory, the peasant, so-called peasant class revolts in Asia, you know, in multiple places around the world. But the, the law and the norms of this country, the United States and, and a bunch of Western Europe too, I would say, uh, comes largely from English history, British history, and so on, Western Europe. And I think about, for example, the fact that this did not have to be this way. Some of the British Marxist historians, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Christopher Hill, for example, wrote about how uh, the, uh, the English Civil Wars and how, uh, and there are others who have written it like about the enclosure movements, how the aristocracy began enclosing the common lands that that the villagers uh, would, that rural people would would share and farm and use in common, and uh, enclose those drove people to the cities where they became employees. Rise of modern capitalism, industrial revolution, and all that. It seems to me that this undemocratic system we're talking about, far from being uh, reflecting a fundamental law of the universe has only been around about three, four hundred years and 
had things gone a little differently in a couple of points in history, that might not be the dominant system now. So it strikes me we shouldn't be assuming that's the only way it can be. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I, I would add only, I remember from a, a freshman, my freshman year in college, having a professor talk about democracy and, and saying with glowing passion how we here in the United States, because I was a student here, uh, we have democracy and we take it from, this was in the words of this professor, the great original Athenian democracy. And he took us all the way back to ancient Greece. And he waxed poetic about uh, how everybody got together um, in the central uh, square of, of Athens and, and, and participated and talked, debated at great length, and then everybody voted and on and on and on. And I listened and I took notes and I learned about Athenian democracy. But it took a Marxist professor about four years later to mention casually that the majority of citizens in Athens and Sparta at the time of this great experiment in democracy were slaves and none of this applied to them. Okay, all right. That prepared me to understand that the notion of democracy could be beautiful, could be inclusive, could really mean practically bringing everybody in, but it could also be also a veneer over its opposite, over the total absence, in, the, in this case, of the majority of people from any enjoyment of this beautiful concept. And I see it exactly in our society, this peculiar ability to wax poetic, as, as you put it earlier, constantly talking and celebrating something that isn't there. It's, it's you know, uh, it reminds me of a editorial years ago in Barron's magazine, you know, the publication of Dow Jones at the time, in which a very clever editorial writer, having heard once too often about individualism uh, being the trait of Americans open business orders, periodical open his editorial by writing the following lines. American people make sheep look like rugged individuals. You know, it was, it was his way of being upset about what was, what was going on at the time. Can see that sometimes these qualities are celebrated precisely because they are absent, and by celebrating the idea, you make that absence more palatable. Well, and I would add to that. You know, I was thinking of uh, the political scientist Sheldon Wolin and his concept of inverted totalitarianism—that you know, one of the great innovations of the 20th century, man, and we talk all about, you know, Edward Bernays, propaganda, public relations, and all that. But the idea that perhaps, uh, I don't know if it's the most effective, but one of the most effective forms of totalitarianism is where you give people a choice between two very similar options, because they're, 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 both of them exist within the only range you find permissible. And... Once 
let's say choose one or the other of the options, which you also affect through the infusion of enormous amounts of money into the political process, you then say, well, you can't criticize this system because it's democratic. But there are certain things that don't get voted on in this democratic system. You know, I'm yeah, like everybody else, I got to go out and get a job, no matter who gets elected. It's got to pay a certain amount of money for things that are not provided by the state, even though they could be, they could not provide collectively, even though they could be where I live, why I'm dependent on a motor vehicle, I'd rather not own one, uh, I could go on and on. But the point is uh, that this inverted totalitarianism, the idea that, you know, they like they used to say about the devil, his greatest trick was making you think he doesn't exist, that uh, perhaps that's totalitarianism's greatest trick nowadays, too. Yeah, no, I, the country is addicted, this country, to this notion of democracy as much or more than any other country that I know. It, it is a mantra here. It is the clothing with which every politician arranges himself, however distant from it in reality he or she is. And today is, we're full of people in American politics that are glaring uh, examples of this. But we should, and we have every right, call it for what it is. If you wanted a democratic workplace, just make sure people are clear, then you would say that the decisions I listed before, what to produce, how to produce it, where to produce it, and what to do with the products that everybody has helped to produce, those decisions should be made democratically, which means everybody at the workplace, one person, one vote, could decide by majority vote the answers to those questions. There's nothing written that requires those questions to be answered by a tiny group unaccountable people who are there because they inherited the business from Grandpa Ezra, or they maneuvered some tax manipulation in order to capture that corporate uh, shareholder meeting and whatever the various routes are to being in that privileged elite. But democracy is the rejection of all of that. I sometimes make a joke in order to drive it home that the end of mon monarchy the execution of those kings and queens in the French Revolution. The decision that I had a king when the United States broke from King George III in Britain at the time. The decision not to have a king was illusory. Kings outsmarted us. They changed their name, went inside the corporation, and have resurfaced with the name EEO. Because inside the enterprise, they have monarchical freedoms, including the freedom from not being held back by any democratic accountability whatsoever. And the long fight to break that down, to insist that there would be parliaments and congresses, and the executives could not, without a, a breakdown, division of forces and authority and all of that 
We fought for that in the community where we live. We, we're just beginning to fight for it in the community where we work. But that's not because we don't need it there, and that's not because it's written anywhere that it mustn't or shouldn't be. And nor should anyone be persuaded by arguments like, somebody has to be an authority. Somebody has to make the final decision. Those were the arguments invented by the kings and queens, and we have learned that they were BS. We don't need them. We've never gone back to them, and the only place they exist now are as a tourist attraction in London and a few other places, which is a suitable end for the mirage that they represent. Yeah, there are places where you can go to see uh, how the kings got their heads chopped off, too. You know, but, you know, and of course, kings ruled with the argument that they had the divine right to rule. That God had granted them the right to rule. Uh, and the kings of the workplace have a similar, albeit secular, argument. Right? They, they make the argument that we live in a meritocracy. And that therefore... Anybody can be CEO if they're just the best at it than anyone else. Leaving aside what you inherit, leaving aside your cultural advantages, leaving aside a job description that self-selects for predators, basically. And you've all seen those studies showing a, uh, supposedly showing a higher incidence of uh, sociopathy among CEOs and so on. But anyway, it stands to reason this is not a position that that uh, attracts uh, the normal, well-balanced, generous, kind people. So, and we see it in our, you know, the, the ruling elites we have around us today. But all of this raises a question that, uh, first of all, two questions, I guess, at least both giant. One is this um, supposed um, dichotomy between democracy and personal freedom. In other words, I should have the personal freedom to acquire or inherit massive amounts of wealth with which I control everybody else's life. And therefore, to restrict that as a restriction on my freedom, you, the worker, the vast majority of people in this country, have the freedom if you don't like my uh, my company, you can go work somewhere else. So, of course, the workers have to get another crappy job at another crappy company for another jerk like you. But, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the illusion of freedom that gets raised. So that's argument number one. And argument number two is how are, you know, how could auto workers possibly run uh, something as complicated as an auto plant? But let's start with the, as an example. You know, how could, how could, uh, you know, uh, key grips and, and prop masters run in Netflix or what have you? Can I, but I guess let's start with the first one. What do you think about this freedom versus democracy business? I love it because it is so thin that you realize it needs to be taught, particularly the children, in such a way that you give them the, the message and then you give them an example. And you carefully choose your example because it is so easy if you break the connection to come up with the counterexamples. 
And what's worked for me best in my life is the following. We constrain your freedom every time you drive through an intersection. There at the intersection is a sign in red, set A, stop. There's also a light which switches from red and green. You're in a hurry. You need to get somewhere. You have a romantic entanglement you wish to pursue. You have a, a quart of milk you need to buy. So you want to rush through the intersection, but you can't. Your freedom to meet your needs by rushing through the intersection is constricted by the sign and the light. Now what? Do we give up signs and lights so that you can have your freedom? No, because you'll kill yourself and your children and other people as you room into each other in that intersection. In other words, you recognize, and you always have, that your freedom is constricted in countless ways to enable, here we go, other freedoms. In other words, Freedom and the lack of it are if Hegelian twins. They're always together. There is no such thing as freedom for anybody without constriction of freedom for that person or somebody else or both. So the only honest thing to do is to ask about any freedom. If we give you that freedom, whose freedom thereby constricted, right? If the child is going to be given the freedom to get up in the middle of the night and run around the apartment screaming, <laughs> that's going to interfere with your freedom to enjoy a night's sleep. Every parent has to work that out. Somebody's freedom is going to be constricted so another person has some freedom. We're doing that all the time. Toddlers. Now, conclusion, if you allow one person, I'll pick a name, Elon Musk, to accumulate $200 billion or more dollars at, as personal wealth, that means you are denying to other people that wealth which would enable them to feed their hungry children, to get proper medical care, and how many? Well, if you got $200 billion dollars, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are being denied something because you're allowing this person to accumulate freely in our capitalist system by means of investment this amount of wealth. You could do that, but that, that to be honest, you know what you're doing? You're allowing one person's freedom, Trump. Another one, and I didn't use that word by accident. It's just like choosing to say, I'm going to give my child the freedom to run around the apartment at three in the morning, shouting and yelling. My wife and I, our chance to sleep has to be sacrificed. Okay, but then don't pretend you're in favor of freedom, because if you're honest, to say that you're in favor of freedom, as Hegel will show you, is to say that you're also in favor of freedom's twin, is the absence of freedom 
somewhere else. And that's it for this week's program. Okay. To hear the rest of our conversation. Okay. Oh, Rama's going to put the rest on the computer now. Yeah, I'm... How did it all work? Place to buy the fire. He had a little device, and if you wanted to spend 10 bucks, they had the light turn green for you. You know, you, you press the thing, the light would turn green, you'd be charged 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks, and your car would go through. And that way, that would be a way to regulate traffic. This was actually, obviously, a thought experiment, so not serious in that sense, but to me, so reflective of what the idea of freedom means to some people. And of course, my idea was, well, if you do that, I'll just find an expensive car and drive behind that guy because he's going to go through every green light. But that's, you know, we have the equivalent of that today in some of these, um, these, uh, rush hour lanes where yes. you can, uh, I, was, I was just going to interrupt you, RJ. Here yeah. in New York City, the, the law has been passed. I'm talking to you from, Manhattan. The law has been passed. It goes into effect this coming year in 2024, where everybody traveling below a certain street and all that will be charged a fee. And so you've made the decision that we have congestion and we're not going to solve the congestion in a way that affects everybody equally. We're going to make it a money issue. So if you're rich, of course, you don't care. And if you're right. poor, it's going to dis, you know, inconvenience you enormously in all kinds of what. And this is the mentality because you can look at it because you're trained to without seeing. You can see who gets more freedom and you're carefully educated in not understanding at whose expense this freedom, allowing Mr. Musk to rip off X dollars from every Tesla sold by virtue of some arcane law that even though he had nothing to do with it, other than maybe some organizational skill at the beginning, now that he's disconnected from any ongoing relationship, he's busy destroying the Twitter organization. Okay, you know, who cares? He shall have the freedom in perpetuity to destroy whatever else he wants, to send things to the moon. to do, And the rest of the population who can't solve the problem, one in, in four children in New York City was just declared to be food insecure, which is a euphemism for hungry. But we're allowing, you don't have the freedom to get a decent meal, you child. Meanwhile, this guy has the freedom to play amusements in the world, having visits to the moon, having more children than anybody else can manage, etc., etc., etc. Extraordinary to call all of this freedom and democracy. I mean, that takes real skill because you, you know, to 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 believe that the Chihuahua you're faced with is actually uh, an African gorilla is an achievement if you stick with that story. Or vice versa, yeah. that this good giant uh, edifice of democracy is really a lonely, happy chihuahua. Uh, well, maybe in our next conversation or a future conversation, which we'll, we can talk about how this might play out in real life. I mean, we're not going to be advocating paying for green lights at busy intersections but it would be fascinating, and I don't have any brilliant ideas. Maybe you've thought this through, but I'm going to be thinking about it. You know, how would this look? How would this work? How would we get a chance to really vote on 
uh, or in other democratic ways. Obviously, we can democratically run our workplaces. That would be a big step. But, you know, there have been models through history, right? I mean, there have been attempts. Uh, uh, the father of a friend of mine was a veteran of the Spanish Civil War where they had uh, anarcho-syndicalism. I mean, you have all these different models for maybe guilds or unions can negotiate with one, you know, one another or whatever. But But it would be really interesting to kind of think about what this might look like in real life. I don't know. What do you think for a future discussion? Yeah, I think so. And I would love to have an opportunity to talk to people about about worker co-ops. They exist all over the world. There is a long history. The most famous of them is in, in Spain called the Mondragon Corporation. Just even to talk about that, you know, here it is. It's 70 years old, roughly. And it's the seventh the eighth largest corporation in all of Spain now. It is a worker co-op. It has all kinds of procedures. It has outcompeted all kinds of capitalist enterprises. It's a great success story for Spain, even though it chose to be a worker co-op, democratically organized, etc., etc. You know, it's not as though this idea hasn't been tried. It has been. So the actual question is given its history given both its successes and failures and stacking them up against the successes and failures of capitalism, it becomes an open question. And one would think that a rational society, given that it's an open question, would have the two kinds of economic system operating side by side so that people could shop and see what they think, work there, and see what they, and understand, and it goes back to your earlier point, in a rational democratic society, there would be a rational democratic decision about whether the economy should be 50-50 co-op capitalist, 40-60, 30 one way, or the, that would be a discussion since it affects how you shop, how you live, and everything else about the society you live in, uh, will be shaped by what kind of industrial organizational structure you actually choose in a society. It is being chosen now, just not in a democratic way. And Mondragon, for example, as I understand it, is quite large. I think it's around yep. 100,000 or more. Yep. And so so it's not as if the problems of democratic uh, governance in a larger company can't be solved. So that would be interesting. It would be also interesting to see whether all of the policies that encourage private enterprise in this country, whether few could be developed to encourage uh, collective enterprise, since we appear to have very little interest in that among our political class. Yeah, well, you know, we solved that problem. I like to remind people we have institutions that provide government support to minority owned businesses. We have institutions to support uh, women, uh, businesses owned and operated by women, uh, to correct historical uh, discrimination against them. Even longer than both of those, we have a small business administration that gives preferential help to small businesses because they recognize, even though they dare not say it quite so explicitly, that capitalism hurts small businesses and favors big business. All right, here's a revolutionary thought. How about an agency that provides assistance, low low interest loans 
to cooperative enterprises on the grounds that in a democratic society, we have to give our people the chance to observe, to participate, to work for these kinds of enterprises so they can make an informed, intelligent, democratic choice as to what kind of economy they want. Here'd be a wonderful idea. And yet we're, we're light years from any of that. And I won't, I won't bore you by telling you that having spent some of my life in business schools, uh, they don't teach you how to organize a cooperative business. Their curriculums are 99.9% on the assumption that if you're in business school and you want to learn about business, you want to learn about a capitalist business. That's a way to make sure no one thinks of an alternative because you have excluded it from the curriculum on the grounds of no justification at all. And that's it for this week's program. To hear the rest of our conversation with Richard Wolf, please go to youtube.com slash the zero hour. I am Richard R.J. Escal, and this is the Zero Hour. Hello, this is Yo-Yo Ma, and you're listening to The Zero Hour with R.J. Escal. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So now we proceed. We're going to play Nassim Haramin on the science behind spirituality. That's for the first hour. And the guest of this episode is Nassim Haramin, a brilliant thinker who has spent the last 30 years discovering connections between physics, mathematics, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology, chemistry, as well as anthropology and ancient civilizations. This is why it is so hard to place Nassim in any one field of expertise. Today we are diving deep into the science behind spiritual concepts like manifesting, and whether there is science behind it, how thoughts of the past can influence present reality, and how we are all connected. Enjoyed uh, this episode? Learn from the world's best entrepreneurs, biohackers, and modern masters. Oh, join Mind Valley. That's the place. All right. Yeah, I'm getting there. It's going slow. This is not yeah, the uh, not the other one. Not the one we've got usually. Okay. Ah. Hmm. Okay. Going away. <laughs> I was going to say I was thinking about something. The, the uh, they didn't call for a ceasefire, you know, blatantly forward the International Court of Justice. Yet they called for uh, genocide to be stopped. 
by Israel and they defined it in on no uncertain terms. Yeah. And Netanyahu does has no intention to stop committing genocide. So I don't think it's going to take long for something to get done. And um, we were talking about this on the conference call yesterday about the interventive abilities for the galactics to intervene. If they're going to consider continue to do genocide, and Lady Nada is a member of the ICJ, remembering that she doesn't have a law degree here, but she's called a special lawyer as the head of the Solar Tribunal on Saturn in the galactic realms, which brings cosmic law in. And there's something called the Prime, Prime Directive, and it goes like this, non-intervention in the civilization's development, unless in case of... Uh, uh, what did I say? In case of nuclear holocaust. In this mentoring episode, Whoops. we're going to explore the brilliant radical mind of Nassim Harkin. All right, you found it. Yeah, I just I'm using Brave instead of Firefox, and it just started. It's a little on. different. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and unless in case of, let me finish my sentence here, nuclear and or psychic holocaust. And we definitely have both right now. So let's keep on blazing the violet fire. And I'm sure we're going to learn a great deal from our brother Nassim. So let's get started with this. This is one, one hour. hour. Here we go. In this mentoring episode, we're going to explore the brilliant radical mind of Nassim Haramin. Nassim is an enigma. I don't even know how to classify him as a human being. He is a genius. Some people have called him the modern-day Tesla. But he approaches science from a completely different viewpoint, discarding many of the traditional rules in his quest to figure out how to extract unlimited energy from space or from what is often called zero-point energy. But Nassim does this with a firm appreciation for spirituality, in fact, one of his most amazing quotes is, spirituality is nothing more than physics that we have yet to understand. Mm. So I put Nassim on stage at Mind Valley University in Tallinn, Estonia. For six hours, he dazzled the audience of 700 people, talking about where humanity came from, talking about where we're going in the future, discussing how we have a slightly wrong sense of what exactly is time and then offering glimpses of what modern physicists and his own research is showing that might explain why certain people believe that thoughts can create reality or why we notice synchronicities in our life or what is the essence of our spiritual nature. So you're going to find this conversation, this mentoring session with Nassim mind-blowing because I did. And the biggest thing I got out of this was a new appreciation for what is time. Time as we see it is a conditioned response to a human construct that was created tens of thousands of years ago. But what if we are viewing time completely wrong? And what if it's about time that we explored a different model of reality of time? So that's just one tiny slice of what you're going to explore in this interview. But let me tell you a little bit about Nassim. So 
He spent 30 years researching and discovering connections in physics, mathematics, cosmology, quantum mechanics, anthropology, and ancient civilizations. He's the founder and director of research of the Resonance Science Foundation. And the 2016 documentary, The Connected Universe, is based on his research. And get this, it's narrated by Sir Patrick Stewart. And this entire documentary is based on Nassim's research. How freaking cool is that? So here's what we're going to explore. We're going to talk about the science behind spiritual concepts like manifesting in the law of attraction. Is there some science to it? We're going to look at how thoughts of the past, and this is bizarre, but how thoughts of the past can influence present reality. We're going to look at how to generate clean energy from space. And we're going to explore how we are all so much more connected than we think. So let's get ready for a remarkable session with Nassim Haramin. Hi, Nassim. Firstly, I want to say it's such an incredible honor to have you here at Mind Valley University in Tallinn. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And for those of you who don't know the background of this, Nassim got on stage and delivered six hours of, inc- of an incredible workshop to some 650 Mind Valley students here at Kulturi Katel in Tallinn, Estonia. And it was amazing. Now, Nassim, one of the things that we really appreciate about you as a scientist is how you merge science and consciousness. And Thank you. Yeah. what we want to do in this particular episode of consciousness engineering, there's that word again, right? Consciousness is try to understand you better as an individual, as a personality. And so let's start with this question. What is consciousness to you? Um, to me, consciousness is the fundamental information structure of the universe. Uh, information moving through its cycles, um, feed forward, feedback information throughout the whole network of creation that produces complexity, like a hundred trillion cell human being that eventually becomes self-aware. Uh, it's something fundamental to creation and it's occurring everywhere. And it's occurring in the chair, it's occurring in the table, and it's occurring in us. So what makes us different then from a chair or a table, if consciousness is everywhere? The structure and the complexity of the information in us um, reach a level in which we became self-aware. We, like all the minerals and the water, like we're big sacks of water with minerals in it, um, kind of got together in, in a particular way with particular level of complexity that made us, um, uh, have a bog rate so high, like have so much information moving through that we eventually became aware that we were aware. So that leads to an interesting question, right? Which is, which came first? Did consciousness come first and then consciousness create the universe, thus God mm-hmm. or universal energy or mm-hmm. universal intelligence, or did the universe start and then consciousness emerge from the universe? What What is your view? Uh, my view is that uh, whenever you have a chicken or an egg problem, right. it's most likely both. Um, that is, there is no, the, the concept of a beginning and an end is a human concept. Uh, in fact, in the universe, we haven't seen any such thing ever, meaning we don't see protons just disappearing, uh, going away. We don't see energy just disappearing. We don't see information just disappearing. We just see things going through cycles. So, um, so the idea that there was a beginning and there'll be an end is really 
uh, linear concept that we've made up. Um, the universe is probably, and this is something, when I discovered this, I was, um, I was alone in, in a van for some five years and, uh, it was the conclusion of some uh, approximately four years into it of, of writing physics and studying and all this. And, and I, I had to actually stop researching for a while because it took me a while to be able to deal with that concept to, to, um, to integrate. I don't think that it's consciousness creating matter or matter creating consciousness. In fact, when you study matter, you have a hard time finding something like, like a billiard ball, you call a particle or something. You just see field interaction. You just see information exchange. And so really, I think it's just a, it's a feedback for a feedback and wow. feed forward loop right. that continues to infinity. Right. I've, I've never thought about it this way. So even if, so in other words, it's an irrelevant question mm-hmm. because if the big bang started, and matter was produced by the Big Bang. Matter is ultimately energy. That energy has a form of consciousness because energy contains information. And since time doesn't exist at that consciousness plane, that consciousness can ex- extend its existence back beyond the Big Bang. Yeah, or you can think of the Big Bang coming from an earlier Big Bang, coming from an earlier Big Bang. I mean, it's constantly banging. And, and could, but now if that consciousness could extend itself back to the point of origin of the Big Bang, could that consciousness then direct the Big Bang and evolve itself? Okay, but uh, yes, I, the, the difficulty there is that when you use the terminology consciousness, it's typically undefined, you know, what, right. what you mean by consciousness. Um, you know, in, in a dictionary, it's defined as something like a, a level of self-awareness but uh-huh. um so so are you saying that the universe is self-aware i believe so i think it is i think it's self-aware at all levels but what is self-awareness what is the mechanics of that like this is this is the key to understanding what we mean when we say consciousness otherwise we basically replace the word God from religions right. to consciousness, which right. doesn't say much more. So in order for systems to self-organize, in order for matter to come to be, in order for matter to organize in such a way that it produce the complexity of a human being with a, a thousand billion billion chemical change every second, a million cell division every second, all this stuff that's happening for you to be alive right now. In order for that to happen, there must be feedback in the system. It has to be able to learn about itself because under random functions, it doesn't happen. Like if you do the math, right. uh, if the universe is completely random, there's no way, not even microbial life would be here at this point. I mean, it, it, the complexity is so high. So, so, but if you have feedback, then the complexity occurs very rapidly. And um, what I'm asking is, this feedback loop, okay, let's say the the the, the evolution of our species, mm-hmm. this feedback loop, mm-hmm. can it extend backwards in time and and improve itself? Yes. In other words, what I'm saying is can consciousness go back in time and direct its own self-evolution? Right. I mean, there's another few key concepts there that have to be put in place. For instance, when you say the word time, you know, what, what do you mean by that? It's, right. it's, it's a complex, complex concepts in, in physics even. Um, 
you know, it's undefined really in physics. What is time? Do you mean tick, tick, tick on a clock? What, what do you mean? And so I actually changed this terminology from, and I modified Einstein. Sorry, Einstein. I'm sure he's happy with it. Um, but I modified space time to space memory because no memory, ah, no right. time. You know, if you can't remember what happened before, you don't know that there's a linear function of time, that there's a linear arrow of time. And if time is fundamental to the universe, that means memory is fundamental to the universe. And that means that information is embedded on the structure of space. And this is actually the root of the question you're asking. That is, information is embedded on the structure of space as the dynamic of space happens, meaning as things happen in the universe, it leaves imprints of what has happened before that makes it appear to be a linear structure of time, evolution. It leaves imprints, right? Yes. So this means the the any species that's evolving into its next version mm-hmm. already knows the version it's going to become. Mm-hmm. So it's in a way self-directed. It is. It's self-directed fundamentally from the universal level. And that's why it's it's organized, meaning the universe didn't make a bee on another planet somewhere and a flower on this one because they would never meet and it would be terrible. But they it puts it on the same planet. Right. right? Okay, so, so that that that's that that that's a really interesting idea. Um and so and so guys I know we we went into a completely different direction, but it's an intriguing direction. So now now the question is can our consciousness go back into our timeline and correct things? Can we is there a way or is there um, um, a method you found where one's human consciousness can can somehow influence the trajectory from the time that human being is born and influence our, our future into now directly? Yeah, I think I think we do it all the time. I mean, I think we that's what we do. We modify the past to produce an, the next moment in our future. So we modify our past to produce the next moment in our future. In our future. And, and that leads as well to the possibility of modifying our future to, um, to produce a specific occurrence in our present. Um, so that we can visualize a specific future that we desire. And then work the information backward to make us today what we need to be to achieve that future. Well, wow. that's a very interesting way of, of observing what people call the law of attraction. Right. Uh, but it, it's, it's a deeper level of it because now you start to get the mechanics on how you can get it to do. Right. Yeah. And so it's really important. Um, I mean, that's the base of psychology, isn't it? That uh, you think of your past, you discuss your past and certain events of your past with someone else that might give you a different optics on it. Maybe give you some suggestion on how you can experience that moment that happened in the past in a different way. And when you do, then that has a forward impact on your present, which will influence your future. Um, so yeah, I totally believe we influence the past because the past is really information on the structure of, of, of space that we have left like a, like a record 
on the electromagnetic fields of space in in space-time, literally, uh-huh. um, and I mean it literally, just like information on a CD-ROM that's been laid on the electromag on the magnetic uh, structure or on the optic structure of the of the CD-ROM. So it really um, it really um, changes the view that we have of um, past, present, and future uh, because it puts it in the context of information. So we're in a particular timeline of yeah. self-awareness right now. Yes. And what you're saying is our consciousness has the potential to influence our past, mm-hmm. thus evolving our timeline. That's right. But if it did so, we wouldn't realize it, would we? Because we would be in a different timeline. Right. Well, we basically have, we, we would realize it because by the time you've made the modification mm-hmm. and changed your timeline, you still have a link to that moment before when you were someone else. And that's what makes your evolution. So it is the same timeline. It's just that you're feedback, feed forwarding, forwarding to that moment that keeps changing. And that makes up your timeline. So that, 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 that's so intriguing. And at the same time, we can move our consciousness into the future. Yes. Through what? Through visualization, through Thoughts of the future? Yes, through, um, you know, so, so think of, first of all, you're laying information on the structure of space time because you're never in the same coordinates in space time, uh, every billionth of a second. You're moving in coordinates in space time, literally, like you're on the earth, you, this, right. the earth is spinning around the sun, the sun is spinning around the galaxy, so you're making a huge spiral in space, right? right? So within a year, you're billions and billions of kilometers away from where you were last year in space. And you've laid information on that spiral all the way through. And that's still linked to you. It's, it's entangled with you. So you can go backwards and visualize the past, but you can, and, and that's what you call your memory, by the way. That's why they can't find it in the brain. It's because it's not in the brain. It's, you're like an antenna tuned into that set of information. Okay. So, so, so firstly, this is, this is intriguing. To help you understand the spiral, I'm going to play a short video clip that shows the visualization of how you as an entity are moving through space time. It really is as a spiral. Mm-hmm. You'll see because the earth's going around the sun and the sun itself is moving. So, Okay, so that again opens so, up a whole can so of So you do, you're doing a spiral. So now you can, you can visualize what the spiral is going to be forward in right. time. And you can visualize what you'd like to be like at a certain moment of time. You can, you could lay that information on the structure of time forward in those coordinates. Okay. And, and that will have a backward impact from that moment, that future moment, to your present and start changing your present to achieve that result in that future moment. So so the point of our so point consciousness, the point of our consciousness in this particular time is able to influence our future but also influence our past. That's right. And this is another way it's and I know personal growth philosophers call this law of attraction or thought creating reality. So you accept that idea. Absolutely, in the context of the mechanics of the physics that I okay. just described. But let's go deeper because this is really interesting because we, we, a lot of us watching would, I'd say 99% of the people watching believe that their thoughts of the future will influence their future. 
And you described it in a, in a particularly beautiful way, taking into account what we know about quantum physics. But what I think is a, is a, is a harder concept to grasp is how our thoughts of the past can influence the present. If, if their memory imprint on the structure of space, they're still there. Each moment, each Planck seconds, which is 10 to minus 24 seconds. Can I, can, can, can one be trained to go back in time? To Absolutely. influence childhood memories and childhood events so that say today mm-hmm. we have higher self-esteem or we have more confidence. Absolutely. I, I, I totally believe that. And again, it's the, it's have the, you, have you done it? Yes, I have. And I've trained people to do it and I got amazing results. And Can you, in some if, cases, so it's, so this sounds really intriguing. Is this something you could share with us? Um, sure. I, uh, at one point, uh, I lived with two, young, beautiful little girls that were, you know, the daughters of my partner. And um, they were making fun of my nose all the time because I had a larger bump on my nose. Right. And um, I made a very um, bold statement one night at supper time. I told them that I would change my nose by morning. And uh, by morning time, and they just start laughing. They said, what, are you going to go and get plastic surgery tonight? Or, you know, and they were making fun of me. And I I said, I'll, I'll bet you uh, that I can do it. So they gathered, they they broke their guinea pig, uh, their, no, their, um, their piggy bank. Their piggy bank. And they gathered like $20 and something and bet me everything they had that I couldn't change my nose. And, uh, I thought it was cute. So I, I, um, I worked that night, uh, in my meditation at going backwards. And so you can follow the spiral backwards of your timeline. And eventually, if you go far enough, you'll end up in the belly of your mom where you were. <laughs> and that'll connect you to the spiral of your mom. Um, and, uh, since your dad was in your mom for a few minutes, right. <laughs> uh, when you were conceived, then you can connect to that spiral as well. Right. And so you can go backwards into the spirals. And, and I did, I, I went backwards into the spirals, um, as far as I could see, um, and found the gene that produced that larger bump on my nose. <laughs> Uh, and I modified it. I, I put an intent of changing the information there. Right. And it, it had a forward effect that was so dramatic that when I, when I walked into the kitchen in the morning for breakfast, the, the girls started screaming and walked out the door. <laughs> they were scared of me. Because your nose had changed my nose had changed yeah but that okay that but that sounds that sounds insane so how <laughs> how are you how are you doing that what it, it was a little while okay i didn't think it was gonna how work long, that how well. long in meditation did that take mm, a good hour maybe an hour and a half I a good remember. hour and a half yeah and and is that a technique that you can teach people Yes, um, I think in general, people naturally can do it because it's a physical occurrence that's occurring like every second in their day. So it's actually the way things work. So people naturally can visualize it when they have the right mechanics, when they understand the mechanics. 
Uh, it's natural for people to be able to, to visualize it and go backward. And it, it really, it literally, for me anyway, looked um, like a thread through space, like a crystal thread through space, like um, like a geometric mm-hmm. crystal thread. And uh, and I could see, for instance, moment of trauma in my life and so on. I could see the thread being fractured, or uh, you know, have, being more opaque in those in those regions. And, um, and, and I could see that I could, by changing the angles of the crystals, by changing the vectors in the crystals, I could, I could repair the thread. I could, I, I could make it more consistent, more crystalline, more, more translucent. So, so you're visualizing the thread and, and I believe you're setting an intention mm-hmm. to see a representation of trauma or representation of anything that's something you might, might want to fix. Yeah, as a distortion in the crystal. Right. But I'm guessing someone who's doing this could ask for any other sort of representation. They could ask for a representation in terms of color or anything else. Right? Because it's the subconscious mind that's delivering that. Maybe, yeah, maybe you could, you could see the, the change in colors. I mean, there was definitely from what I could visualize, where I can visualize a change in, um, in opus. Opacity, opacity, um, you know, like more, um, um, where there was more trauma, the crystal looked more opaque than, uh, where it was, uh, more smooth and more translucent. So there might be color change you could, you could see as well. I think that it's not so much what you intend to see, but it's just trying to link into the, to the thread. And just experiencing it, you know, following the thread and experiencing right. it. How often do you do that? How often do you go back and rewrite your past to shape your current, your present reality? Well, I, I think do we you just do it to make 20 bucks from little kids. <laughs> no, uh, but, uh, I, um, I definitely, I think that we do it naturally, continuously. Um, on a micro level, meaning right. we do little things like we keep thinking about things that we did this morning or things that we did, you know, yesterday or and so on. And we're constantly kind of massaging it and it's changing us in the moment. Or, and even, it, or, or, or even personal growth modalities like rescripting, thinking about a past trauma or abuse mm-hmm. and rescripting. Mm-hmm. You're that, saying that that's a, that, that, that's a micro change right. in what we'll experience. Exactly. Today. Like maybe we had a rough morning. Right. You know, um, the kids were sick, we couldn't get to work, you know, then there was traffic, you know, maybe we had a rough morning and we arrive at work and maybe we're in a bad mood or we're having a difficult time and maybe we stop for a second and we decide we're, we're not going to continue. You're going to reframe it. We're going to reframe all right. this. And so when you do that, basically you're changing the information in the past, right, in that right. morning so that you're having a different experience of the same event. So that, wow. you know, right. So that, that's, that's bizarre, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's so intriguing. It's um, profound. I think it has profound meaning in and, our and, understanding. And I think the, 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 the one thing that the audience needs to grasp, mm-hmm. which, which is might be slightly challenging is the concept of, of time, or as you call it space memory, right? That time doesn't exist that we as Homo sapiens perceive time as being linear, but time is happening all the time 
everywhere. everywhere at the same time. And that links very much with many of the ancient cultures, um, you know, tradition, the Western, um, you know, the Eastern traditions and all this that talk about every moment being present, you know, that there's only presence. Right. And, and so, yeah, there's only presence because every moment is just information on, on the structure of space. So every bit of information is a present in that, in that coordinates in right. space time. And all these presents, one after the other, makes up a linear concept right. of time. And, and, and it reminds me of that time. So many of you watching may have heard of Neil Donald Walsh. He was also a guest on this show, and he's an author on Mind Valley. His program is called The Awakening the Species Quest. And Neil Donald Walsh, in his books, Conversations with God, talks about a similar concept, um, the idea that time doesn't exist, right? right? That we exist all at once, all the time. All and he the does time. It in, in, in the concept, in the metaphorical concept of conversing with the universe, with God. And what was really interesting is one of the most fascinating, if not the most fascinating dinner I ever had was when Nassim and Neil <laughs> were at dinner together with me um, and some of my friends and observing them talking about this. Neil Donald Walsh, the spiritual philosopher, Nassim, the scientist. It was <laughs> one of the first times in my life I was just sitting there quiet, not able to interject anything. But it was amazing to see how you're coming from a science angle, Neil's coming from a spiritual angle, and both you guys can... We can arrive connect. at the same place. Right. That's so, why I told him that uh, the God that, that he was having conversation with is probably a good physicist. <laughs> brilliant, right? And, and right. I remember you were, you were telling Neil that you thought it was brilliant how in his writing... He takes complex physics and he simplifies it into right. something so easy That's to understand. Right. Yeah. Now, why I'm why I'm bringing this up is because a good interview to listen to after this one, a good session, is the one I had with Neil Donald Walsh. It's also part of the same program. Listen to that, and um, it's it's a good follow up because it'll go deeper on this topic. Mm -hmm. So we spoke about influencing the past with mm -hmm. our mind. Right. What about influencing the future? Right. So influencing the future, um, so you can imagine you are going to lay information on the structure of space time as you move through space to a specific future. Those, those coordinates in space that you're going to move mm -hmm. to, they're going to be defined by your movement in the space from this moment to that moment in the future. And those movements you do in the structure of space are going to be defined by your actions, how you do things, what you do, and how you do them, and how you feel about yourself and everything else. So you can imagine that you can lay a set of information in the future, an intent of a specific uh, outcome in the future, and then... And, and that space time then would have to, um, to coordinate all the moments in between that moment and your current present to make that specific event occur. So, you, so we would start changing the information backwards to your present and that would change your present. So, so you would become, um, what you need to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it gives you an idea of a deeper understanding of, of how to produce or how to, to create a specific outcome. So, Nassim, next question. 
multiverses. Let's say me and my son Hayden have different intentions for the future. Okay. And I want to live in Spain. He wants to end up living in London. Uh-huh. Now, what happens in that scenario if we are both directing our thoughts towards this reality? Does the universe split? And he ends up with a version of me in London, and I end up with a version of him in Spain. Um, okay, well, you know, I actually don't believe that. I I believe that the universe resolves always to the highest energy level, and so and so that's why when you intend something in the future. Right. Um, it typically doesn't occur exactly how you had intended it, right? Maybe you intended intended to have this uh, wonderful red Camaro, and right. you end up with you know some like a Camaro, but it's a blue one, or right. and, you know, and 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 you learn to learn to oh. love blue Camaros instead of red ones because. That, all our consciousness are influencing a shared future. That's right. And this is why we cannot choose to win the lottery. That's right. Or choose to turn down the heat on the sun because it's too hot today. Because the guy in Alaska would freeze, right? Right. right. So, so they, we have a com- common, uh, we live in a common universe, a common reality. And so the universe resolved to the highest energy level. And so group consciousness is playing a role over here. Exactly. That's why group consciousness can have a large influence. If that's, that's, that's very interesting. And I can see how can this, this can have implications in organizations as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those of you listening, I predict that within 10 years, business management experts will be talking about group consciousness in organizations, people meditating together and setting intentions together for the products and the services they want to bring to the market. Mm-hmm. If you want to explore that topic as part of this consciousness engineering program, check out my conversation with Reagan Hillier. She's a 28-year-old entrepreneur who has brought this into a company, and she talks about what happens when you have an entire company practicing group consciousness at the start of every month. So so back to group consciousness. So this is intriguing. Now, now, how can we as human beings use group consciousness to create a better shared future? Well, and that's the thing. So you can imagine that um, you can think of these uh, sets of information and you can call it in the morphogenetic field of the planet uh, as um, group intentions, you know, collective behavior that coordinates toward a, a very specific future. And you can become aware of which group you're participating in. You can become aware of which thread, which mm-hmm. information thread, which energy you are participating in, and then increase your influence in this particular direction uh, for the planetary evolution, uh, for the global social evolution. And so it has, uh, it becomes very conscious, uh, engineering of, um, of the global evolution as an individual participating in it. Now, is group consciousness always moving us forward in the most efficient path? Because, I mean, we see examples of horribly dangerous group consciousness. I mean, let's look at what happened with Nazi Germany, right? Right. In the 1940s. Yes. Um, so group consciousness isn't always aligned along the best and most ideal path, is it? 
Right. It can be quite self-destructive. And it can be hijacked. Absolutely. And, and it has been uh, in our society right now, definitely, towards a very specific outcome. Well, give us, give us an example. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, you know, in our current society, there's been a very strong capacity to influence global awareness um, by, you know, producing very specific information sets in our media and the way we think right. of things and so on. And there's been a huge influence on the group consciousness right. of our planet at, that way. Right. If, if you look at, for example, the um, the mass amounts of um, media ad spend on influencing politics uh, right yes. now, that I was just speaking to some um, IT experts here. Uh, who are studying this field, and the number is five billion. Five billion dollars are spent by political parties influencing human behavior, mm-hmm. and that is just in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. And of that five billion, the vast majority is on the right. The left really is quite incompetent at using that. <laughs> um, yes. At least that's what these IT experts are saying. But five billion dollars is being spent to sway the group consciousness of Americans. Right. Sure. So, so that's one way that you can look at it, or in, in a grosser way, but. But you have to uh, make a distinction there because you're, you know, when you use the terminology, not the most efficient way or destructive way, you know, we go through very important phases of evolution, very important moments of of growth. And these moments of growth are not always pretty. You know, they're not always nice. They might be difficult moments. And, and that's when we grow the most. So, so in as, for instance, in a certain instant, we can look at a certain moment in our history and say that was a horrible moment. Um, but that, but, but if you look on a longer timeline, on a longer evolutionary thread, you can see that that moment was really critical for us to learn very critical lessons. Is that so? Right. So so, so the reason I'm, I'm pressing on that point is because we are here in the city of Tallinn, and the reason I brought up Nazi Germany is because this city was invaded by the Nazis, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people killed, mm-hmm. and then the Soviets invaded mm-hmm. to fight the Nazis. Mm-hmm. They killed 300,000 people, and they bombed and destroyed one-third the city. Mm-hmm. And I think to the average Estonian living here, including my family, we lost family members. We had mm-hmm. um, we, we, we had great-grandparents murdered. Their bodies never found. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. How do we see the good in that? Well, that's the thing. If you can't see the good in that, then there's a good chance you're going to repeat it. <laughs> because then there will be, you know, frustration, anger, all kinds of things that you're pulling along with that thread. But, but surely but, we can we can forgive. I mean, um, right? I mean, today here in Tallinn, you get people from all around the world. We have World War II memorials, but how can we see the good in I, what happened during World War II when our people were killed? I think the only way you can forgive at the deepest level is to understand the lesson that it gives us ultimately, right? If 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 you want to forgive at the deepest level some of the horrible thing that has happened in, either in history or in your current lifetime, you know, somebody might have got raped, they might have got, you know, beat up or whatever, like to, if we're able to forgive at the deepest level, and, uh, you know, in my life, in my childhood, I had some very traumatic moments that 
I had to go through that exercise with, um, I think is to see the, the, the lessons that even if I was a victim at the time, meaning I was a child, I didn't know what was going on. Um, it, what was necessary in these moments for me to be who I am today? If right. I'm able to do that individually or globally, meaning right. in, in the history, right. then I'm able to completely let go and of any feeling of resentment or, you know, anger and, and frustration relative to those moments, then I extract the lesson from the information set. And so, and so moments in history, information on the structure of space time, uh, as a result of a global evolution towards higher level of consciousness will most likely involve moments that are not beautiful, that are not pretty, that are very difficult. But if we can see the larger context, then I think we can, we can totally see the beauty, even in those moments. So, so if consciousness from the future is going back and writing history as it moves along, mm-hmm. what you're saying is that that consciousness has a plan. And sometimes in the process of writing this history, there is a beautiful destruction, to use the terminology of my book, that is created to create a more beautiful future. That's right. And from the perspective of the people on that timeline, World War II, or even further back, the Mongol invasion of, of the Muslim Empire in mm-hmm. um, 1220, mm-hmm. those things are horrible times. Yes. However, as much suffering as happens over here, and while we should not, we, we, we shouldn't forget that suffering. Right. And we or, should... Or the yeah. the suffering. Right. There is a, a a positive path forward that's going to emerge from that, and that's we should right. trust that positive path forward. Exactly. For there's, example, World War II um, led to the creation of the European Union mm-hmm. and this new borderless society that we are in right now. Right. Right. And you know it. It 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 begs a deeper question and a deeper answer. Was is is there evil? Well, no, is is this such a thing as evil? And and I've always, because I've been asked that question many times, Mm -hmm. I've always answered, um, absolutely not. You know, no baby is ever born evil. You know, like you don't have, uh, it's not a fundamental structure of the universe that there is evil, but there's evolution. And so there's shades of gray, right? There's, there's a, there's shades of gray. And so, um, you know, there's, there's levels of confusion and there's levels of awareness, you know, and they, and they're, they're related to each other in that in order to reach higher levels of consciousness, le- le- higher levels of awareness, there's certain moments of, you know, deep, uh, darkness that, right. that occurs along the way so that the, that the light can shine through them. Okay, but this this opens up another can of worms, mm-hmm. right? What this what this means when you say you don't believe there is evil. And, and by the way, this this is not an unusual statement. Neil Donald Walsh. Um, I'm bringing back Neil because we we all know each other. In his famous book, The Little Soul and the Sun, which is actually a children's book, suggests something similar, right? Mm-hmm. One of the phrases he uses is. In the words of God, I have sent you nothing but angels. Everyone who has abused you, who have hurt you, was an angel in disguise. How can you get to the next level of your evolution? Now, it's, right. it's, it's a hard idea to grasp. You gotta read this book. 
Um, it's a 30 minute read, but, and it's an uncomfortable idea. You can tell if you're watching this that I'm feeling uncomfortable right now mm -hmm. because I know the suffering that my, my wife's family experienced during World War II and to think that there was a greater plan for that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but it's part, course. I guess it's, it, it's part of us understanding. Yeah, it, it doesn't undermine the, you know, the tragedy and the difficulty that people went through and, and the suffering that they went through. It just, it just says that this led to actually a growth in human awareness and human consciousness. So actually it, it extracts from it, uh, the, the beauty, uh, the sacrifice, these, these events and these people experience for us to be where we are today. So this brings us to another understanding that whether Obama is the president or Trump is the president, there is a plan and a design in everything. Right. Well, there's definitely, you know, a collective behavior that will bring a certain outcome. So depending on the level of awareness and what we've achieved, then Obama will win or you know, Trump will win and so on. So it's, it's, but, it's, but what I'm saying is even with Trump winning, right. um, assuming you are anti-Trump, even with Trump winning, <laughs> you can trust that that is bringing us somewhere. It's bringing us somewhere. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, right. and, and that's why, and it, although I was, <laughs> you know, right. And, and just, just again, clarification, because I've got to say this every time I bring in any aspect of politics, this does not mean agreeing with Trump winning. If you do, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. What it means is that seeing that that either way, the Trump presidency is going to create some positive ripple in the world. Absolutely. It may be his policies, which I actually disagree with, and I doubt those are going to bring a positive ripple, but it could also be the flip side where his policies are so bad, they regenerate activism and they get really incredible other people to run for politics, right? right. Either way, there's a positive outcome that will emerge from Trump. Exactly. Um, you know, and so, and so it, on an individual base, I mean, for me, when I remember these principles, when I, even in times of darkness, meaning when I'm having a lot, a hard time, if I remember these principles, then even in the moments when I'm feeling down or I'm having a really hard day or a hard time, I can remember, okay, this is going to, what is the lesson? Where is this bringing me? Why is this coming in my life and why am I experiencing this? Because there must be a higher purpose for me to experience this. There must be something I need to learn. Right, right. Now, what would be your advice for the human race? Okay, let's say, let's say a billion people were watching this and we wanted to come together using group consciousness to create a better future for the human species and for all life on earth. What would be your advice? How do we better direct our evolution as a species and as a planet? Um, I think um, for me, I mean, just because of what I do, so I'm going to give you an answer that be right. a little more technical because of what I do. I would love if I could get a billion people on the planet to visualize us being able to birth um, uh, over unity technology into the world that is uh, devices that like what technology over unity technology into over the, unity technology. yeah yeah what is over unity technology over unity technologies um, technology that extracts 
energy directly from the structure of space-time. That is, right. it creates more energy than it takes to run them. So is that similar to zero-point field energy? Yeah, exactly, and it um, it extracts the energy from this so-called zero-point energy field. Um, that is the structure of space-time is fluctuating with information, with energy, and we can extract that energy. Now we've succeeded, many inventors have succeeded around the world, but we've failed at bringing it into the public so far because of various political and financial interests. And so I would love for a billion people to put their intent in right. the free the overunity technology entering the world. So, um, so 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 let's talk about that because that's fascinating as well. Zero point field energy or overunity and uh, or overunity energy. It's the idea that within space time, within space in this tiny this tiny little bit of space in between my fingers, there's a massive amount of energy right. that's just sitting there. Exactly. Enough energy to run the world. In that little, but we can't extract it yet. Actually, you're saying we can. Yeah, inventors have been capable of doing it for quite a bit of time. So, so why aren't those inventions coming forth? Um, it has been, um, uh, it's been arrested or slowed down significantly because of special interests and other forms of energy like oil and and right. natural gases and so on. And as well because um, humanity, and, and so that's one level of analyzing the, the the history, but as well, and because, I mean, since Tesla, we were on our way to having this kind of technology, uh, but as well because if Tesla would have succeeded or the inventors after mm -hmm. him, I don't think humanity was ready for it. And what, what was, so we're talking here about Nikola Tesla, uh, mm -hmm. for those of you watching, not Tesla, cars. Yes. Um, so we're talking about Nikola Tesla. Uh, I believe he died in 1933. Yeah. Some, uh, sometime around there. Yes. But what did he do to prove zero point field energy uh, or, he, or to show it, that it was extractable? Well, he, he succeeded partially at extracting some of it or to at using this field uh, that he described as well um, outside the context of zero point energy as classically described in physics. But um, he used it to transmit in, uh, energy uh, without cables. Uh, he had multiple inventions uh, in which he was interacting with this field or he believed he was yeah. interested. And he certainly birthed uh, a whole um, investigation into the possibility of extracting that energy from the field. And, and people might think, well, how does that... And he came close, right? But then he died in poverty. Right. Even in, he, 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 for those of you who don't know, invented radio. It was credited to Guglielmo Marconi, but Tesla first theorized radio. Yeah, correct. I mean, Tesla invented almost most of the things we have in modern right. uh, technology today. Um, some over 900 patents and, um, you know, the alternative um, uh, uh, the current the AC and, current. and, and, and right. so on. But as well, he... He, um, you know, remote controls, all this stuff. Right. But he, he as well invented many things at, you know, at one point in his life that went against um, the 
social and economical interest right. of his funders and the people around him. And so he was um, he was stopped uh, yeah. literally and and he lost everything. He was sued. He died in poverty. He died in poverty, almost unknown. Right. Uh, and his name was revived only in the right. last few decades by, by Elon Musk, who named the Tesla car after him. Right. So, 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 so let's go in a different in a different direction. But let's talk about connection for a moment. Well, that's the thing is when you when you try to. Uh, describe the physical world at the deepest level. You always run into this problem where you have to try to isolate the system that you're analyzing. And when you do, when you, you, when you theoretically isolate it, you lose something. You can't understand the system at its most fundamental level if it's isolated. And that led me to write physics in which systems are not isolated, but they're connected. Right. And when I did that, when I showed that the proton, the nuclear of atoms are actually all connected across the whole universe, um, and, and I extracted how the information is exchanged um, in this field of information, um, I got the right answer. I got the right answer for the mass of the proton, the radius of the proton, very, very, very precisely more precise than any other theory on the planet today. Um, and, and the standard model is off by 4%. So, so it's, it's a long shot away from how precise what I was able to extract. And so it says that everything is connected. Everything is entangled. All particles are entangled. Everything is in this metric of space that connects everything together. And, uh, and what we call energy, what we call mass, what we call gravity, what we call electromagnetic fields is actually different modality on how the information is moving. If it's moving in, we call it gravity. If it's moving out, we call it electromagnetic field and so on. And, uh, and so it really gives us a different picture of the universe and it gives us a, a picture of the universe in which it starts to make sense that it would self-organize, that it would, that consciousness would emerge from it, that, that, um, that, uh, that systems would have high level of relationship and complexity and produce biospheres. Um, so that according to this view, not only everything is connected, but life should be seen all over the universe. Wow. Yeah. Now, speaking of gravity, I know you're doing some work on anti-gravity. Yes, I, I don't call it like that. I call it gravity control because anti-gravity would be like saying anti-light. Right. You know? So what? Gravity but ga- control. Gravity control. Tell us, tell us briefly, because because this is so fascinating. I know we've had this conversation before, but tell us briefly about what you're doing with gravity control. Well, um, the equations I wrote says something very specific about gravity. Um, gra- Einstein describe gravity um, as in general relativity by describing space-time as being curved in a region of space where there's energy. Ah, just a second, it changed for a moment here. Or mass. So, So if you put a mass on a trampoline, it will curve the surface. And another mass 
will appear to be attracted because the surface is curved. That's how Einstein described it. But he never said what space-time was made of. So at the fundamental level, we still don't know what gravity is. My equations show that actually space-time is made of these little grains, these fluctuation of space-time, pixels of space-time, bits of information. And these bits of information, when they rotate together, when they're coordinated in their rotation, produce curvature, just like the surface of water going down the drain in your bath uh-huh. appears to be curved and a, ro- a rubber ducky would orbit there, right. right? But it's only curved because all the water molecule, the bits of water right. are rotating in that region of space. Right. That's what I discovered. And so you can imagine that very quickly you can go towards engineering a curvature in space. You can you can think if I can couple to the space, to those bits of information and get them to rotate in this region curvature. of space, I can create curvature. And thus you create gravity. And then I can control gravity. You can control gravity. Yeah, and, now, now, and, and how do you curve space time? I know you told me it's about, it's about plasma. Yeah. So you, so how are you going to couple to space right. time? Well, um, plasma, which is some 99% of the universe is plasma. Um, and, and plasma is one of the states of matter. Yeah, it's like a highly energized state of gas. Um, you can um, get it in a certain state in which uh, it, it starts to couple to space-time. And, and in that state, if you rotate it at very high velocity, space-time will start to orbit in that region of space and you will start curving space-time. So since 1999, I've been doing experiments. Taking plasma, rotating plasma at rapid velocity to curve space-time. Exactly. What what was the result? Well, I've got really good results so far, um, and so I'm on my way, but I have not been able to finish to get it to the next level. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing that right now. Now, if we were to, if decades from now, we were able to fully harness the power of 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 uh, plasma rapidly rotating and curving space-time, what would that look like to the human species? What would that allow us to do? Okay, well, so it's not going to be decades from now. It's going to be um, in the next 10 years. Right. And um, I'm not the only one working on it. NASA is working on it. And, you know, Sunny White at NASA is being somewhat successful with it as well and other laboratories around the world. What it will look like, it will look like what you think of uh, when you think of spaceships. Uh, so we're talking about it'll give us the warp drive. It will give us a warp drive, exactly. Wow. It will allow us to travel at least through our solar system, most likely inside our galaxy even, and maybe across galaxies in our universe. And, um, and it's not far off. I mean, and it's the next important evolution in human, in okay. humankind. So, so, so it gives us the warp drive. So we now are able to control gravity. Mm-hmm. So at a lower cost, send, at a lower cost that even SpaceX send cargo and spaceships to space. Yeah. But what about time? What about the distance between us and our closest stars? I mean, that's still, a lot of light years. I don't know the exact number. Right. Well, it will allow us to have cars that levitate. It will, you know, gravity control will change right. everything we do. 
So you will be able to go to Jupiter for the weekend and come back. But how long would that trip take? Um, well, to Jupiter, not very long. Um, you know, the, so it's not just gravity control, but it's 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 acceleration. Acceleration, very high level of acceleration with no um, no g force, um, no inertia, inertial force inside and, the craft. And would we be able to break the speed of light? Um, or I think the speed of light exceed the speed of light. I That's think, 186,282 miles per second. Right. Um, I believe it will. Uh, it will in. So you think we can exceed light speed? Yes. So what you're saying, Nassim, is that the intersection of these two technologies, um, gravity control and harnessing energy from the zero point field will really create this spectacular new age of Star Trek for humanity. Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned Star Trek. All of our technology we have today was in um, was in science fiction long right. before it was invented and right. discovered. I mean, in Star Trek, you guys remember the, the um, what's it called, the tricorder? Right. We have that now with, e- our, with exactly. our iPhones. Exactly. And so, you know, that's what I was saying earlier, is that what we visualize in our future, we achieve. Right. And so you can look at science fiction today and warp drive and space travel and all this, and you it can imagine is, that we're going to... It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Right. We're going to get there. And we are getting there. And it is the next step in the evolution of humanity. You know, we learn to control electromagnetic fields to get to the point where we are today. And the next step is to learn to control gravitational fields. And until recently, we didn't know how gravity is actually um, produced by the universe, how gravity and what is mass. And these new equations that we are writing are starting to give us a bigger and deeper understanding of mass and gravity. And that leads to the technology of being able to control gravitational fields, bring our society, birth our society into a space colony and, you know, and beyond. Amazing, Nassim. So uh, let's end on that note. Uh, That was one of the uh, most mind-expanding conversations I've had, hopefully for you guys as well. Thank you so much for joining thank us here you. at Mind Valley. Uh, thank you for having me. And where can people find out more about your work? Um, they can go to um, resonance.is. Resonance is, and we have a website there where we publish uh, daily uh, science news. They can participate in our course online at the Resonance Academy. And there's like 90 countries involved, thousands of students, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, as well, um, you know, we are in the middle of revamping all this. So we're going to have a new site called um, uh, unifiedscience.com. So that's coming soon. So if people want to check it out. Amazing. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Nassim. Thank, Thank you, you guys for tuning in. Want to say something about what you listen to, Rama? Uh, I what I could say that Nassim is bringing to the forefront. Yeah, we could go to Jupiter, and um, I have traveled to the Pleiades. It's four hundred light years, and it takes about six hours at warp six. <laughs> <laughs> I went with mother one time. 
in the oh, early uh, 90, somewhere before I met Tara. <laughs> right, not too long ago. No, 87, 88, 89 in there. And mm-hmm. it is absolutely real what they're talking about. And this quantum field is what Tesla got in touch with that he was taught from Swami Vivekananda how to get in touch with the ether, ether, however they call it, and it is part of us, we're part of it, and I call it the force. If you talk to it, it'll talk to you. It will move you across space-time. Enough said. (laughs) I'm getting there. Um, I can read the next piece. Yes. And what it's going to be about. That's what I can do. Yeah, taking me a bit to get to it. (laughs) It's the difference between when this computer was made and the one that you got now. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay, so Um, this is called Do This Every Day to Manifest Anything Correctly. And it's called Stop Manifesting Wrong. Mm. It's an hour and 21. uh, Oh, maybe that's the one we just finished. No, no. that is that is that is the longer one, right? Is it an hour and twenty-one minutes? I think so. Just a second. Or is it just an hour and twenty-one seconds? Hour and twenty-one minutes. You sure? Just a minute. Uh, Anyway, oh, it doesn't say. It doesn't talk about it, huh? Um, First one has a little more to say. The electrons <laughs> are doing what they're doing. There we go, an hour and twenty. I know people are going to want wait, 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 what? some responses from you. Click. It starts on its own. Yeah, what? What? How, it's an hour and what? Hour and twenty-one minutes. All right, and. We'll just have to see what he's got to say, because here we go. There's nothing extra. Here we go. I know people are going to want some responses from you quickly about manifesting. And we were talking about this beforehand, about understanding who you are, consciousness, and who you are related to the world that we're in. I'm curious, for someone who needs support and understanding how to create or attract, or put something into the world, have an idea, and make it a reality Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that question about alchemizing an idea and bringing it into reality 
uh, and creating more abundance in your life. Well, you're right. It has to do with understanding who you are. But And the thing is, in understanding who you are, you have to understand what you are. You see, this, this it's not and your relationship to the rest. Because if you're trying to manifest, if, you, if you're wanting to manifest already, first of all, you have to understand the mechanics on how that happens. Mm. How did it all manifest itself in the first place? Like, how did you get here? What, what are you? How did you get here? What are you? How is it working? Like, are you working with forces that you're not aware of? Is there mm. things that are happening that you don't know? Like, uh, think of the electromagnetic spectrum. Like, we see so little of the electromagnetic spectrum. We see just a teeny bit of what's actually there that's happening in the field between you and I, between everything. So, like, becoming aware uh, and understanding the mechanics of this experience we're having we call life <laughs> is really critical. And, and so... At the basis, like not just in a conceptual notion, not just in a philosophical way, not in a just in a spiritual way, but like really how it works, right? Like what are the mechanics? So what are we working with? What are the mechanics of what we what we are and what we're made up of and what the universe is and made up of and how we can navigate who we are, what we are, with the the energy and the material around us. You decided to start with the easy <laughs> question, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Well, you know, this is something that humanity has been exploring for a very long time, right? Like, what is this reality? How did it manifest? What is it made of? How does it work? I mean, that's the basis of physics. Physics, you know, physical theory is the theories about how the physical world function. Mm -hmm. So there's that, right? And then there is certainly some kind of set or flow or dynamic of information in this physical world that makes it so it's highly organized, it's highly coordinated, right? And eventually it produces a person that, or an animal, like some kind of thing, that's able to turn around and wonder how it's working, right? Right, Which is non-trivial. And think about itself. And yeah. can think about itself. So it has self-awareness, what we call consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and that part has typically been left out of the equations. Like, eh, fair enough. The first step would be like, well, let's try to figure out what the material world is made of. Before we add the complexity, you know, it's called a hard problem in physics, the hard problem of consciousness, right? Uh -huh. So, you know, acceptable path to like start by understanding how this thing works. Problem is that the tendency is to divide the fields of investigation, fracture Right. And, and, and what, what are the divisions? What are the fields? So, mentioned? for instance, quantum theory, uh -huh. 
uh, cosmology, biology, consciousness study, you know, physics, uh, phys- energy, and, and, spirituality, and spirituality, all this stuff is like, uh, all pieces that have been very, uh, divided and very much subdivided. Like, for instance, in one single field of physics, you can have hundreds of subdivisions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of, uh, different fields. Um, and these people that are working in these fields typically work on a very focused point in that field and they don't necessarily talk to the mm-hmm. other guys in the field right beside them or in the, the and so and they and don't so, have their beliefs and viewpoints as well, probably, right? Right. And their expertise and their mm-hmm. jargon and, and the way and their formalism on how they write the math and the physics and all this. For this, and so, and they're not necessarily compatible with the other languages, um, and so on. And so, it's very rare that you can pull out, right? That you can pull out and and see the whole together, the holistic view. I like mm. to call it, right? Um, the like with W H O, right? Yes. The whole thing, right? <laughs> and, and so, um, and so this, um, this method of doing science has very successful, um, effects in terms of getting the details of everything, <laughs> but has a large uh, downside is that you start to lose the picture of the whole thing. You start to lose the understanding of the whole thing, how it interacts, how it works. And you start to think that all these things are separate, right? But it's not all separate. Clearly not. When did you start connecting the dots between all these different intersections and areas of focus? When, When was that process for you? Um, well, I came from a completely different angle. Um, and I was not like, uh, you know, uh, classically trained. I, I, I was having a hell of a time at school, though my father, you know, is one of the most revered child psychologists and worked on theories of education and was the director of the education department at the University of Montreal. And before that was, you know, uh, was he, his tease director was Piaget, the father of child education and so on. And so, you know, um, I was having a hell of a time. Um, and so I think that naturally I had this holistic view. And so it's not like I put the dots together is that I had to study the different fields that had been separated mm-hmm. in depth. To see the relationships. Interesting. Yeah. That the relationship that was naturally apparent to me. Okay. From a holistic view. From already. a holistic view yeah. as a child, like right. as a 10 year old going around the world going, wow, you know, how is this thing organized? Like there must be some higher, you know, sets of information or like some, you know, some geometry, some function that's allowing all this to work together. Like how does the bee know to go to the flower? Huh? Why is the bee on the same planet as the flower? 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, how did how did this whole thing come together? Like, what is the connective uh, tissue of this reality? What, right? is the, what is the connective tissue of this reality? Well, eventually I found it out. But it took me, <laughs> it took me 35 years of physics and before that a few, you know, a, a good 20 years of meditation, you know. Uh-huh. But, um, this was eventually clear. Like I started looking for the pattern. I, I figured that I figured early and it, it came from early class in geometry and in dimension mm-hmm. uh, and actually famous geometer Buckminster Fuller had the same problem at school when he was taught dimensions. I realized that you can't um, extrapolate um, fundamental mathematical theory, you know, like the way we write math, for mm-hmm. instance, right? So we write math on, we have very specific, fairly strict, you know, um, approaches that axioms, right? So, uh, that we go by. And, uh, so for instance, we have axioms in, in dimension that starts with a dot that doesn't exist called dimension zero. And, you know, you, you make a bunch of dots together, make a line, right? The teacher went to the blackboard and did that. As soon as he put a dot and said it didn't exist, I was, I was lost. I was already gone. Like, because, from the holistic approach, the dot, if it's on the blackboard, is because something's happening. It's existing. Sure. It's not, you know, the idea that it doesn't have a dimension is a concept of man. Mm. If I shrunk down to the atomic structure of the chalk on that on that blackboard, it's a whole universe happening down really? there. Right? Like, you know, there's billions of atoms that make up that chalk. And that little dot. And, and that little dot. And there's like billions of atoms that makes up that blackboard. And if I shrunk myself to that size, it, it would be like a universe, right? Wow. And so it's like, okay, so, and so the concept that it doesn't have volume is only a concept of man, right? So you have to be careful right away how Yes, you can use various, you know, axioms, concept to like write your math, write concept of physics and so on. Right. But you got to make sure that you don't forget the assumptions you made. And if those assumptions are concepts of man or if these assumptions are concepts of the universe, like is the universe thinking like you're thinking? Right. Right. So. So then you make a line with the dots and you call it dimension one and then you make four lines, you make a plane and you come call it dimension two. And we write a lot of physics in two dimensions. And then you slap six of these planes together and make a cube and you call it dimension three and then you say, oh, it has volume. Now it, now it exists. Yeah, yeah. But it, all you've done is in you know, in your theory there, you, all you've done is you've done non-existence to the, to the third, right? You, you haven't, or to the fourth, like, you know, from the dot to the line to the two-dimensional plane to the three-dimensional world. Yes, you've enclosed volume with a plane that doesn't exist, mm. right? Mm-hmm. right? Which you've made with lines that don't exist. Mm which you've made with a dot that doesn't exist. So you you don't have existence yet. 
you haven't defined it. So what what is existence? So that that occurred to me when I was 10. And I, I, I realized the only way to solve this is to realize that the only thing that exists is the dot, that the dot can be subdivided and subdivided. And there's like some fractal nature to the, to the particle, to the, to the dot, to the point. So you're, that, saying, so you're saying like a cell or a dot or whatever, you can break down and break down and break down exactly to infinity. Exactly. Exactly. And is there a, a lesser and smaller particle or there's, atom or there's whatever. There's nothing in physics that tells you that you wouldn't be able to break it down to infinity. Really? In fact, there's a lot in physics that are saying that's exactly what the universe does. Like, for instance, in black holes, you know, at the center of a black hole, you have a, what's called a singularity. Not the mathematical singularity at the event horizon, at the center, um, you have a singularity that has infinite density. So, you know, the idea, and, and there's a lot of infinities that show up in physics everywhere, and physicists in general try to avoid them or ignore them or get rid of them, but they, they show up. And, um, in, and mathematics too. In right? mathematics. Yeah. Isn't pi uh, like infinite or something? They, like, well, that's, yes, exactly. And there's many, constants like this but as well there's um there is a natural uh behavior of material like for instance like um you know this is accumulation of small things yes this table this table yeah so your accumulation of small things uh-huh. right there's a 50 to a, to 100 trillion cells in your body wow right now and, you know, that's not a small number. That's a large number. And what is one cell made up of? And then one cell is made up of about a hundred trillion atoms. And then what's one atom made up of? Well, that's debatable. You see, uh, it's made of protons and electrons and neutrons. Okay. Which neutrons are like, you know, this guy's proton. If you scatter them out, they become proton again. Um, and, you know, so you got protons and electrons, basically, and, um, and these are made of subatomic particles, okay, that we're trying to understand using accelerators breaking protons. My opinion is that it's not the most effective way to understand what a proton is. Mm-hmm. It's like taking a Swiss watch and slamming it with the huge hammer, you know, and then when you got all the pieces apart, like trying to figure out how it was working before you slammed it, sure, right? Sure. So yeah, basically the complexity in your existence is very, very high already. Mm-hmm. Very, very high. So, so understanding who you are, you see, because we have a tendency to say, I'm one person. But all of your cells that be a hundred trillion cells would disagree, right? Like they would go, wait, you know, there's a few trillions of us down here, you know, and they're all very highly coordinated. They're mm. highly, highly coherent. Right. They don't mess up. They don't go wrong very much. They are extremely capable at reproducing. So you're reproducing about a million cells a second. Wow. To stay alive. So these are things about like learning about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, because when we say that the tendency is to think, 
only about our consciousness or some spiritual knowledge or whatever. But let's just start with the fact that you're constantly remaking yourself. You're constantly remaking yourself. And when you remake yourself, you're not messing up, right? Like you're, you're remaking yourself in a very specific way, like your heart cells, your liver cells, your toe cells. They don't get confused and start making a heart cell on a toe and, you know, a toe cell in the heart would be catastrophic, you know, mm-hmm. like it, in a few hours, you'd be having a really bad day right. if right. toe cells start to be produced in your heart, sure. right? So, so you can't, so this highly, highly coordinated behaviors uh-huh. that you see in nature. Right. So with, with understanding this, so people aren't thinking, okay, I'm made up of hundreds of trillions of cells and those cells are made up of hundreds of trillions potentially of atoms and all these different things and particles yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's all coordinated and working together. Exactly. Uh, so what are we? So and how do we? So, so, yeah. so you can get some, you can get some, um, I speak French a lot these days, so I, I lose my English word. I'm sorry, but okay. you can get some, um, some hints about what's happening. See, in biology, for instance, there is no solid explanation on how cell differentiation happened. Like, how does cell know what to do, right? You start with one cell, right? You get a sperm that enters an egg, and then next thing you know, the thing starts creates. to blossom. Right. It's not, it's making cell like, how does it know what to do? Yeah. Like like a bat out of hell, it's making cell. How does it and, know that? Yeah. And it knows what to do because it starts making brain cells and heart cells and all and liver cells and it's doing its thing. There's nobody there, right? There's no environmental information in like if you just took like the fluids of the of the embryonic fluids and so on. It, there's no information there that would say like, oh, you got to make a heart now, you got to make a brain now, you got. And not only that is like every second of your life you're continuing to remake yourself, so that only in a few months you're not the same guy. You, you're not the same girl. You're not the same guy. You you've remade yourself. You've completely remade yourself and you've remade it in a very specific way because you're, you and I, we're not, we don't look the same. Right. Right. So you're getting a set of information that's different than mine. Yes. Okay. Because you're not making the same set of arrangements. Right. And same functions, but not the same set. Exactly. We can walk and we can talk. We have arms. We can pump blood. Exactly. The principles, basic principles are the same, Mm -hmm. right? But the details are different. Right. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with every tree on the planet. It's the same tree thing with every grass of blade of grass on the planet. It's, it's the same with everything right and so you have this really highly complex system that is completely uh functioning as one very highly 
uh, advance, if you'd like, sure. you know, organism, right? If whether you're talking about the whole planet or you're talking about one human being mm-hmm. or, or one animal or one group, blade of grass. Right. And in physics, we're told that all this happen under random function. That's what it said in physics. Yeah. And in biology. It's all random. It's all random. Mm-hmm. Accidental that we got here. Exactly. When I was reading early on physics and biology and I was studying biophysics and all this stuff, they kept on saying is um, um, mathematical fluctuation. And it's like basically saying it's a fluke, mm. right? But if you do fluke calculations on that, you don't get even one micro. Since the beginning of what we can see was seemed to be the beginning of time for our evolution, okay? Yep. We don't have enough time to make one monocellular cell, okay? Like the probability of you know, all the right elements coming together and I've made those calculations and they're published. Okay. Is, is 10 to the nine. I think, uh, it was, it was one to one to 10 to the, um, 5,996 or something. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculously large sure. number. Okay. It, it, if you don't understand exponentials, oh no, it was 8,896, right? Okay. 10 to the 8,896, right? So if you don't understand exponentials, um, you might have noticed in your bank account, I mean, when you add zeros, it changed fast, right? Yeah. So those are the number of zeros wow. after the one, right? So there's like 8,890. Right. It's a lot of zeros. Because when you get in the high numbers, every time you add a zero, it's mm-hmm. it's a big change, it's a lot right? More. It's yeah, exponential. Yeah. And so this this like to give you an idea, the size of the universe is big. Mm-hmm. Okay, the you know the the sun is not even visible in our galaxy because it's too small. Okay, the Earth is like a a sand piece of sand beside the sun, right? So it's way small. Just to give you an idea of size, the universe is huge, right? It's incredibly huge. Hard to fathom how big it is. Okay, well, in centimeters, which is small, the universe has a radius approximately 10 to the 28. Mm. Okay? In centimeters. Right. Okay, so 20 to the, 10 to the 28 is already a huge number. Right. 10 to the 8,000, no matter... What comes after the 8,000, like it's insane. That's the probability that um, the correct elements for monocellular life, you know, the basis, what would be needed for monocellular life would emerge. Mm. And then if you were out of luck, it would somehow miraculously happen. Okay. And, uh, a rock would fall and squish it. 
Okay. And then you'd have another trillions of sure, years sure. before it could happen again. So, so the fact, right. the probability that it's that it's random is 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 basically zero. So, with all this information, you know, and that's just uh, scratching the surface of, I'm sure, what you could share with us. With all that information to set the context, right? What do we need to know and do to support us? In creating, attracting, or manifesting more of what we want in this dimension. Well, I was getting to that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that gives you a hint. Yes. Okay. If it's not random. Okay. So, why is the scientific community insisting that it's random? Because science was devised as a way to get away from religion. Uh-huh. So, if it's not random, then the first. I mean, it's the biggest fear of any scientist is that somebody's going to say the word God, right? So that, <laughs> so, so somebody's going to say, oh, well, it's it's because yeah. it's God that's taking care of organizing everything, right? Well, there's another alternative. <laughs> okay. It's called feedback. Mm. The system is learning about itself. Right. There's feedback mm. of information. When you have feedback in an equation, the equation can and produce massive amount of complexity in a very little amount of time. Mm. And those equations are, um, you know, fractal equations that are, you know, like beautiful, but as well that produce geometry that we see in nature everywhere. Yes. So that's another hint. Wow. You got an equation here that has feedback in it, right? It's called recursiveness. So you take the answer and you feed it back and you take the answer and you feed it back, right? That produced huge amount of complexity from a simple set of information. And when you look at nature, you see that feedback happening in front of your eyes, meaning you look at the branches of a tree, you look like the rendering for worlds, you know, in Hollywood, when they render worlds, uh, you know, like Avatar and all yeah. this stuff. When they do that stuff, they use engines that are running fractals because mm. they mimic nature. They, mm-hmm. you, they get very close to nature. Sure. So, so, so now you get a sense, wait, there's a feedback of information in this universe. Mm. It's not all random. It's not all isolated. There's information going out. There's information going in. Look at all of nature. You know, everything is adapting based on what it's getting. The environment. The environment. Uh-huh. Exactly. So it's not far from current theory, right. what I'm telling you. It's very much aligned with current theory. Right. It's just not being understood in physics appropriately, mm. not clearly. It's about to be. I'm about to publish a paper that does the job, nail in the coffin, you know, it's, but I mean, I, I should not use that expression. It's kind of <laughs> macabre, you know, right, right. <laughs> but, um, basically does the job. Sure. But so basically you, you realize I know it's a long journey I took you on there. No, to I like your question. I like it though. I'm we got to set the context. Yeah. But you ask a deep question. Yes. And so I'm giving you an answer commiserate with a question because it's, you know, it, it requires some thinking. But, um, so all of a sudden you realize you have 
there's feedback. And you see it in your life all the time, right? You, you adapt to what's happening. It's cold outside. You put a coat on, right? Like it's hot. You take stuff off. You, you know, you, like your interaction with, you know, your friends, your partners, mm-hmm. your, you know, it's all relationships. And so you start to realize, wait, the whole thing is a relationship. The universe, life, existence, consciousness, all of it. Is a relationship of everything talking to itself, talking, you know, to each other, which is itself because it's the universe, (laughs) right? The idea that you can, for instance, investigate the universe, which you're in, Without investigating yourself is thus flawed. Mm, can you say that one more time? The concept that you can investigate the universe, which you're in, without investigating yourself is flawed. Yeah. So what is the simple path to manifesting? You have to understand that deeper you go inside yourself, larger influence you have on the universe. Where should we be going inside of ourselves? What questions should we be asking? What we should we be looking at? How should we? Just a, even just a simple awareness, like a, a taking a simple moment in your day to be aware of your biology, for instance, like to be to become aware. And then, you know, this is why. Masters have come throughout the ages and told us, you know, concentrate on your breathing, concentrate on like meditate, take time, like even if it's five minutes during the day to like go inside, like shut out the the outside world and go into that 99.9999999% space, space, which is inside of you, Mm -hmm. which is full of energy. It's full. It's empty space, but full of energy. It's not empty. Right. It's space without the empty in front of it. Right. So it's full space. Mm, Full space. Yeah. Plenium. Right? So inside of you. And when you're going inside of you. Right. If you're, let's just close your eyes and you're thinking inside of you, where is the inside of your mind? Is it in your body? Is it in your consciousness? Are you go, where are you going? Right. With your thinking and your consciousness. Okay. So now you're getting to the point where <laughs> you're wanting to go to consciousness. Let's do that. Okay. The, the equa- you have to follow the equations right. to understand, you know, otherwise you're lost again. Okay. Right. So you want to know, like, where am I going? What am I? Right. Well, first of all, now you've defined yourself a little differently. You know you're an oscillating body. You're an oscillating structure of space-time. Like you're at the quantum scale. You're making boundaries. You, you've you made boundaries. You, and you're replacing those. Mm-hmm. You're, it's not a static thing. It's happening, right? It's constantly happening. And you're burning carnally. You're burning thermodynamically and all this. And... You're starting to get the sense that like you're interacting with a field. Okay. So the inner field and the external field. Yeah. Well, it's unclear. Remember, you can't, 
you can't separate. Because uh-huh. we're all inside the universe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the, the, you, you, you can't isolate. You're not isolated. You're exchanging across boundaries. Mm-hmm. There's an exchange yeah. that's happening. So you say, okay, I'm a, so let's think of it in physics a little bit. You're an oscillating crystal, mm-hmm. like that crystal radio. And you're tuned to a very specific frequency. Yes. In this field, you're making very specific waveforms. Even if I was like, you know, resonance equations are based on your physical nature. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I was trying to find the fundamental resonance of you, it wouldn't be the same as me, as him. You know, like nobody would have the same fundamental resonance because we're all made differently. Yes. So, but, so, so you can think of it of yourself all of a sudden as little bit as like an antenna, right? Yes. This like, body. This body okay. is like the oscillating crystal antenna, like, you know, and uh, a transceiver. It receives and transmits. Receives and transmits. Okay. Right? It's not just a receiver. It's not just an emitter, but it, it receives and transmit, right? So it's a transceiver, right? And so it, it, it's um, and it's tuned to a very specific frequency, and that frequency is not a solid. It's varying, right? It varies with your heartbeat, with your breath, with mm. you know all the fluids that are going through your vein. It's like all the fluids are going up and down your spine. The fluids that are moving in your brain, you know, like so. It's tuning into a frequency based on the information you're giving it. Right, right, so right. Based on thoughts, feeling, breath, exactly. What's happening? How much energy you're creating internally, yeah. and physically? It's tuning into different frequencies, right? And and these biorhythm, what influence them the most? The biorhythms of your body, thinking, thinking a your little emotions, bit. right? Your state of emotional. State. Yeah, your way your, of being, your your, your your way of being. Yes, your thoughts. But your thoughts influence your emotions, of course, and your emotions influence your thoughts. Uh-huh. Which uh-huh. ones influence more? Uh, I would say your emotions. Your emotions influence more your thoughts. Yes. So you shift Absolutely. your emotions, shift your thoughts. You shift your thoughts. This and is what thing. all the masters have been saying throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Nothing different. Right. They just didn't have the physics. They couldn't right. write it in Greek. For it was, it was spiritual, philosophical, philosophical. Yeah. Yeah. Modalities. Modalities. And it was extrapolated to the material world as in that's how the world works, but without the, the, physics, the, the physics, the math, the understanding of, okay, how, how is that true? Like many masters, for instance, said everything is one, but they're like, how is that true? Okay. Well, this equation tells you. But never mind. That. Okay. So your thoughts so, and your feelings influence your frequency. Right. In the field. Exactly. And, and the field influence your thoughts and your, and, and your feelings. Your perception of what's happening. Exactly. Your interpretation. Your interpretation. Uh, so you're getting feedback. Like yes. You have little black holes in your eyes that are <laughs> sucking up photons, right? Yeah. And shifting them into your brain. Yes. And, you know, there's all kinds of sensory system. There's all kinds of things that are happening that you're interpreting. Mm-hmm. 
and that is modifying your thoughts and your feelings. Right. And then as you modify those thoughts, you act on those. So now you're radiating into the field, right, by acting on those. So to answer your question, is moving or thinking more <laughs> important? Kind of goes together. Sure. And then so when you're influencing the field, then the field feeds back to you, right? You put your hand on the stove, it's hot, you'll realize feedback. Yeah. Not a good idea. That relationship right? does not work for you. Exactly. This is not a good relationship. <laughs> you have to modify how yes. you relate to this. Yes. So, so, you know, okay. You see? And, and so then, so then you realize something that is a fallacy in spiritual uh, knowledge that, um, yes, you have an influence on the field. But so is everything else. Everything else is influencing the field. That's right. As well. So there's a consensus field. So right? It's not yes. like you can just say, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to influence everything. And, yeah. and I'm going to, like the universe going to ignore everybody else and just do what you want. Right? Right. Because <laughs> if you're too hot and you say, well, I want to turn down the heat from the sun. The guy in Alaska is freezing over there. I turn it up. And he's like, dude, like, wait a minute. Your reality is not happy with mine, right? So how do we influence our field to get what we want? So so first of all, we got to extract, like, so you see now we're getting clarity. Uh So now we got to extract, like, one principle that you find in spiritual knowledge all the time says um, you create your reality. Incorrect. Okay? What do you create? you create you create a consensus reality with the universe a conscious reality or what? a consensus consensus yeah what like mean? it means it it's common to everybody it's uh-huh. it's in interaction with everybody so you create your reality and the universe create you right mm. so it, there's a feedback right there's not it's not a one-way thing. If everybody created their own reality, we would never meet. There would be no consensus reality. We would never meet. You would be in your reality. And it'd be, world. And it'd be perfect. <laughs> it would be perfect. It would be exactly what you want. And I'd be in mine. And I'd be creating exactly what I want. And I might not know about you. So I'm not going to necessarily create you in my reality, mm. right? So we would be completely isolated. It's exactly the opposite mm. of spiritual teaching. Mm. <laughs> it's right. exactly the opposite of spiritual teaching. Sure. So, so, so what is creation is interaction. Creation is relationship, right? how may difficult it may be, it is relationship. Mm. And it is... Same thing as manifesting then? Yeah. Manifesting. manifesting is relationship. Relationship with the whole, right? The whole you, the whole it, the, the whole, whole everything. You, the whole it, the whole everything. You basically have to learn to be in the flow, mm-hmm. right? Because... The flow may not be something that you're able to process directly, meaning the field has a flow. 
and it's bringing you somewhere and your intent may not be aligned with that. And if it's not, you're like pedaling against the universal flow and you're not going to have a good day. Mm. So I'm not going to win that because there is uh, scaling relationships. There is, there is hierarchy in the universe. Hierarchy? Hierarchy. Um, it's a French word, but it's in English as well. I'm not pronouncing it properly. It's like when you have, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the boss is the highest hierarchy. Hierarchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I was hierarchy like the years of the universe or something. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. this is a physics term I'm not aware of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so for instance, hierarchy, hierarchy means for like, like just a gross one. The sun, um, you know, the Earth decides to blow up. Okay, it blows up. Okay, the solar system, the sun. Specifically, wouldn't even notice. No, right? It's the it hierarchy. Would, yes. It would go. It would go, and it'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> what was that? Oh, that was the Earth. It's gone. Yeah. Oh, okay, right? It's so it, small compared to it. Yeah. yeah, like you step on an ant, it, you don't necessarily notice, but you just ended a life, yeah. right? So the you know the sun is having a bad day. And sends a flare, which is just a little teeny flare, like for the sun. It's just one little like burp. It burps towards the earth. <laughs> and bam, we lose the atmosphere. We lose everything. Like, right. you know, like, so there's relationships that are very specific scaling factors. These scaling factors come out in these equations. That's why I can scale the equation from the Planck scale to the universe and get the right answers. So this very specific scaling. So, so you have to flow. You have to flow with the universe. And yes, if, if your wants and when you flow, that means you, you're starting to feel what the, what the universe wants from you. How do you know what the universe wants from you? Because when you think about it, when you feel it, it gets you really excited. Now, what if something, okay, I love this. Now, what if there's something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. but you're afraid and you doubt yourself, you don't believe yourself, you don't, or you, you're afraid of the failure that might come from it. Right. The embarrassment. So is that something you should lean into, even though so, you know it's potentially going to be a greater outcome? Or do you stay comfortable because it feels better to be in this flow where you don't take the jump, the leap, the uncomfortable relationship that you have to have to move forward? So when I, I want to clarify yes. that what I talk, when I talk about flow right now, uh-huh. I'm not talking only metaphorically. Yes. These equations are literally flow dynamics, like circulation equations okay. in physics. Okay. So that field is flowing. Uh-huh. You know, I said you might be pedaling up the flow uh-huh. and you're not having a good day. What you just described is the contrary. You're, well, you're not pedaling up the flow, but you're trying to stop in the flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the flow is saying go. And you're, you're saying, no, I want to be comfortable. I'm yeah. going to be comfortable. I'm going to stop. 
And that's not going to give you good results neither. Right. In both cases, there is friction, if oh, you like. Sure. There's thermodynamics. Is like there is there's entropy. There's feedback. Two by fours, you uh-huh. know, hitting you behind the head, you know, to like move on, right? Like you, events in your life will occur that will push you uh, in those directions. And you might never, you might never realize that, you know, that it, um, that it's the time to flow Yes. until you're on your deathbed and you go, why did I resist? Like, why, mm. why, you know, did I not do that? Why, why, you know, like, why did I not go for it? Yes. And it's kind of too late, you know? Sure. The flow is getting you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're not going to be able to flow with that body the way you were flowing. Right. What's the best way to listen or be aware of the flow we're supposed to be moving into. So that's why you have to take the time to explore the flow within you. Mm-hmm. This is where it's at. Because remember, your antenna, right? For you to get the information, you got to tune it. Mm. You got to tune it good. And how do you tune your antenna good? You got to, you know, we just discussed, like your emotions, your thoughts and all this, are going to make the antenna be really coherent or be really erratic. And then yeah. it's like you got the radio station off the radio station. Now you got a lot of noise, mm-hmm. right? A lot of static. A lot of static. It's like, and then you don't know where to go. You how don't do you, know what to do. How do you tune your antenna? Do you? How do you personally do it? Like what's your practice? Oh, since I'm 11, I've, meditated really my whole life yeah uh, at least five minutes a day yeah and so, what what does that do for you when you you quiet everything down so that you don't have so much you know influence from the outside field so that you can listen to the inside field for that part that's going out like how like what you are so that you can express it out you mm. have to get that part and what, so, and what is that voice inside of you? Where is that coming from? So when so this is part of the equations I will write after this paper because this paper is already a big chunk. But I started writing them in biophysics with other biophysicists. Um, you know, you can extrapolate these equations to show that when you dis- there's an equivalence in physics between energy, the flow, right, and information. Right. So, um, so that voice is the information that's coming in you that you're tuning into. Interesting. Right. It's like the radio station. Uh huh. That's the voice, the voice of you. Yeah. Now, why is your voice different than mine if it's one field? Why? Because in an infinite fractal, Every point observes the universe from a different perspective. Point of view. Exactly. So we're all getting a different set of information. (laughs) That's crazy. And that's all of us getting a different set. And I don't mean just humans. Yes. All things getting a different set of information is what makes 
the global thing be what it is. Mm. See, it's feedback. So you see these differently than I do, right? right? Because you see that side and I see this side. If I have a wheel between you and I spinning, I will swear and I, I, I would bet you millions of dollars that it's going clockwise. And you would swear the exact contrary. Mm. So who's right? Both of us. From Correct. our interpretation. That's right. Uh. And that's all there is, is relationships in the field. There's, and that's what makes everything what it is, is mm. the relationship, the exchange of information. And it's not happening at the speed of light. It's, it's happening... At the speed of entanglement, which is instantaneous. Entanglement. Entanglement. I, we measure it in quantum physics, right? We can see that particles can be entangled, and it doesn't matter if they're across the universe from each other. If you modify one, the other one changes. Really? Yeah, instantaneously. It's called entanglement. So we actually measure the fact that things are connected that way, okay? So the whole universe is entangled through this field. <laughs> and the exchange of information in this, and these are straight up the equations I wrote, okay? And the exchange of information, listen per carefully, the exchange of information across the universe through all these nodes, like all the points, any points you choose, right? Is the energy of the system in that local region, meaning the energy. So, so let's, I'll give you the example. Take a proton. Okay. You calculate how many Planck information bits there is in that proton. Every little oscillation. You know that an E equals MC square, right? So a little energy is a mass, right? So you can calculate the mass of all the little Planck inside the proton. When you do that, you get not approximately, exactly the mass of the universe. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's crazy. So all the other protons <laughs> in the universe are expressed inside one proton. That's crazy. Okay, because it's entangled. And But what we measure, the mass of the proton clearly is not the mass of the universe. Right, of course. <laughs> is only the information that's able to exchange across the membrane of the proton. And when you do that calculation, remember I told you the equation is a surface to volume ratio? You do that calculation, you get the exact mass of the proton and the exact radius if you modify, you know, if you change the units. And when I did that, I calculated the, the radius was 4% smaller than what they were measuring at the time and what standard model predicted. 4% is huge discrepancy, mm. right? In quantum physics, as I was telling you, we measure with 12 digit accuracy. So 4%, you're in another universe. Well, I predicted that they were wrong by 4%, right? Because my equation was good for everything else, so it could not be wrong for the radius of the nuclei of the atom, the proton. And shortly thereafter, they measured it more precisely in an accelerator in Switzerland, and I was correct. And now that value is the standard value for the radius, the proton. Wow. And so, you know... Those are the kinds of things that confirms uh, physical theory and make them standard model, right? They will. This this will end up being the standard model. Wow. It, it's 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 for sure because of what I wrote. It's not published yet. I don't know how long the journey is going to be for them to like get it, 
but I think it's going to be pretty short because the paper I'm about to mm. publish is, it's just straightforward. Right. No, there's nothing you can do about it. It's wow. a done deal. Wow. So, so, but basically, you know, you can, so, so you have the universe in terms of information inside you. Right. Not in, inside one of your protons, inside all, all of, of your protons. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're connected. Yes. The network is happening. You're already there. It's how well you're able to tune into it. That's the key, huh? Yeah. Tuning in, essentially listening to, to what it's saying. And where you're supposed to flow into. That's right. Where you're supposed to go into, right. where the flow is for you. Yeah. The natural world does it really well because clearly it's doing a really good at listening because it's making me and it's staying really coherent for a long time. Right. A tree is coherent. And yeah. An apple is coherent. The cells are making the right thing. Uh -huh. So they're flowing the right way. Right. So the best way I'm hearing for you, for us <clears throat> to tune into where we should go into the flow for us individually is through getting really still, quieting out the static mm -hmm. and tuning in and listening. And then when, when there's coherence or when we feel something connects to us or resonates with us or aligns to us individually, go, go into that. Go. No matter how scary it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter no if your friends and family say you're crazy, don't do that. We're never going to love you again if you do this. You're insane. We'll never speak to you again. You're going to lose all your money. You're going to die if you do this. You're still saying we should lean into that flow. Trust a hundred percent. What is on the other side? A hundred percent. What is on the other side of that flow? This is, that by flow. the way, that's the concept of faith in the religious. Uh -huh. It's not faith of some guy or whatever. It's faith that you are being led. Right, that you're moving. Who with. is leading you? The universe. Everything else. <laughs> so that you take your place. Gosh, wow. So that you are a good will works for the universe. That you're helping. That you're going with. You're learning. You're growing. You're changing. You're transforming. You're, you're informing the whole thing. Because it's not just that you're listening to the, the whole thing, the universe in each one of your proton, but you're actually influencing the whole thing by moving your proton, by doing things, by thinking things. By doing the thing that you're supposed to do. Right. And more you align with that field, of course, more of an influence you have on it. And right? the more you manifest and attract in that in the field. field what you want to attract. But when we go against... you're aligning. But when we go against that flow, which means we're going against the voice and the alignment and the coherence within us, it's harder to manifest and attract is what I'm hearing you say. Right. It takes longer times. Well, most people, I mean, a lot of people don't even know there's a voice. <laughs> like the first step is to become aware that there is a voice, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, like because it's happening on automatic. Yes. Right. So to just become aware, wait, there's a voice. You know, and follow that lead. Like we're, you know, mm -hmm. like tune the antenna. Like I want to hear more clear. Because right. people talk about that voice, you know, like they talk about a gut feeling or mm -hmm. instinct or mm -hmm. whatever. And first of all, it's got to be made clear that 
all discoveries in the world came from that voice. Right. Because it was like, ah, oh, I think I should do this thing. Let me tinker with it and go create it. Exactly. Right. Let like, me alchemize this idea nothing, of stealing. Nothing new comes out of studying the guy before you. Right. Okay. You might study the guy before you to get to where they were. Feedback. Yeah. And build a relationship from but, that to. Yeah. But if you're going to make a step mm. into the unknown for your planet, for instance, for the consciousness of your environment, of course, your parents and your friends and everybody going to say you're, you've lost it. You're crazy because you're going past mm. where they know. Right. So yeah. And their comfort zone. In their comfort zone. So you have to overcome so much. You have to overcome the whole morphogenetic field of the planet. (laughs) See, because the flow is influenced by the whole thing. Wow. So you have to, it's a significant thing. And then if you're going to change the morphogenetic field of the planet, you better bring a lot of people with you. Mm -hmm. Right? So you got to convince other people to start thinking the way you do. Which is hard. Which is hard. It gets easier if you have physics to help. Sure. But, but then you have to, but you have to convince the physicists. Right. <laughs> and, and, and there's other influence. There's, there's, uh, there is, um, uh, invested interest in various things in which, you mm. know, they understand what you're saying. Right. They just don't want it to come out. Right. Mm. So. So there's many things. Right. But certainly the first step is to realize there's a voice. And people think that voice is really, how many times have you had a voice inside you, like say, don't do this, do this. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. And you didn't listen. Consequences, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, Pain, suffering, yeah. consequences. You're going yeah. against what your nature Knows it's supposed to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You're going against... Um, the flow. Yeah. The integrity of human nature, essentially. The flow of human nature. Yeah. And it, it can be as esoteric of, as, uh, you know, um, mm. the I'm speeding. I'm going yes. way too fast. Yeah, yeah. And I can feel there's a cop mm. that's... Gonna catch me, yeah, and there's a and, consequence. And I don't slow down, and I get caught. Mm-hmm. Or I slow down, I listen to their voice, and then I pass the police, and I go, oh, yeah, you know, I I'm glad I listened, right? Now, you might say it's coincidental if it was very rare, you know, but it happens all the time, right? Right? Like think in your life, how many times? You thought of somebody and they called you or you, you know, you, um, you had a feeling you should call somebody and you called and it was just the right time for yeah, you to call or you listened to the voice and the voice told you turn left instead of going right. And you're like, I'm going right. Why am I turning left? And then you, you listen and you meet the person you needed to meet for this other thing. And you know, like this. An amazing amount, like so. It's interesting, also when you sometimes I've made the wrong choice. Yeah, but it's taught me a lesson through the consequence that has led me. It's given me the feedback to send me it out in a different direction. Of course, if you were able to create your reality without 
the matter of anybody else, you would be bored within seconds, right? right? Like nothing would be happening. Mm -hmm. Like you would have your perfect reality. You'd be alone in it because it's not the other guy's perfect reality. Mm -hmm. And you'd be bored within seconds. But but because it's all interacting, Mm -hmm. this is how you learn. Mm -hmm. This is how you actually grow and transform. And this is how you learn, I said. Remember, you literally are the universe. Mm. This is how the universe learns. So then you start to think of yourself as an extension of space from the universe, learning about yourself. Like Einstein didn't quite say it that way because he was missing the feedback part, but, but he did say that all objects are an extension of space because he realized there was this field. Right. Right at the Planck scale. So, so if you can, I want to, I want to wrap it up here in a second. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to give you back on at some point in the future, Nassim, because this is insightful and powerful, and I, I don't even feel like we've scratched the surface on spirituality and physics and uh, the field and quantum physics and 5D and 2D. I, I feel like we could go so many places within the future on how to create and attract and manifest and how to be in the flow better. Um, but I'm hearing step one, realize there's a voice, pay attention to it and follow the voice. Right. If it's, uh, you know, in it's a, tune. Yeah. But don't follow an out of tune voice, but the right voice. Yeah. It has to be in tune. So yes. you gotta, you, you gotta tune the antenna. Yes. To the, the correct radio station. And what I'm hearing you say is a great practice is through silence, stillness, meditation, some form of that practice where you are still quiet and allowing yourself to listen exactly to the voice. Exactly. And practice calming your thoughts and your emotions so that you can hear internally what you need to hear. Right. Because if you're never silencing it or calming it, it's going to be hard to tune in. And Yes. Well, do the next part after we take a little break, everybody. And... Then we uh, listen to some music from the stars, and then we listen to some uh, uh, brothers and sisters, our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and uh, others <laughs> uh, in terms of what's going on with our stars in relationship to us. <coughs> so we'll take this little break right now. We'll be back with a little music and Richard. Now, now we'll stay for a moment, just for a little while. Mm-hmm. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Oh, wow. That's all yours, Richard. Here I am. All right. You're on. I'm on. I'm on my ass in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, that time of year, I think. Yeah, we're it's definitely uh, winter. Yep. It's that season here. We're in the second second week of Aquarius here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as we've been talking about here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, chaos reigns supreme in the human world. 
It's true. And the, yeah, well, the current the current energy driver is Mars con- conjunct Mercury in Capricorn. Mm. Now that's exact today. All right. And we know that Capricorn rules social organizations, including governments. And we're 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 seeing you know the the astrology charts are reflecting the conditions, not causing the condition, but they're kind of reflecting the conditions. Well, maybe they are causing it a little bit, but. Uh-huh. It's, all, it's all a collective kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. So you know, you got you got you got this Mars conjunct Mercury in Capricorn, trine Uranus and Taurus. Right now, in 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 a lot of cases, trines are useful and beneficial. Trines are also kind of like the Jupiter effect. They make everything bigger and more energetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got uh, you've got that going on, and then right next to that, you got Jupiter there. In uh, Jupiter's now in uh, what is that seven? Jupiter's now in seven Taurus. And Venus over there is in sixth Capricorn. So Venus, Venus trying Jupiter says, love the earth, you know, love the physical earth. You know, yeah. Take care. Take care of the physical earth. You know, make gardens, grow the food. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Grow flowers. But, but then it's conflicting. The humans are conflicting with the planetary desires. Mm-hmm. Right. Earth wants to be uh, full of flowers, and the humans they just want to argue and fight and fuss and, and feud and shoot each other and bomb each other and. Oh, please. Yes, I know. Yes. All that shit. Yeah. And of course, now let's see the sun's the sun's on the Aquarius side of Pluto, which is at one Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Right. At eight, eight. You know, sun's at eight Aquarius night. <gasps> so on one side of Pluto, you got the sun, which just is finishing up conjuncting that energy, and Sun conjunct Pluto is global changes of all, it includes everything. Right? Now, Pluto is not exactly a uh, energetic influence on us here, here in the location of the inner solar system, you know. First of all, Pluto is a, is a captured asteroid from you know somewhere in the solar system, right? 
And, you know, that's why we didn't even, we humans didn't even uh, notice it was there until about 70, 80 years ago. <laughs> so for as far as energetic influences on Earth, Pluto doesn't really count that much. It's just an indicator. It's it's like a long a long cycle clock, you know, a long cycle hand on on the on the solar system clock. All right. So um, that's that part of it. Okay. Tonight, uh, moon's in Virgo, opposite Saturn. Over there in Pisces, Saturn is now up to 7 degrees Pisces. Okay. Uh, Neptune is um, still at 26 Pisces. You know, everything's moving very slow. Uranus is stationary, direct. You know, it's hardly moving at all. All right. And then the next one in line there is good old Neptune. And, uh, see, Saturn and Neptune in Pisces is, uh, I would say, uh, I was thinking about Neptune earlier, and I think, I think what we're, what we're seeing here as an indicator and an influence is the final energies of the last 2,000 years, right? the Piscean age. And I think, you know, we, we're, we're supposed to be summing up and completing all of the lessons from the Piscean age, right? So one of the major human influences of the last uh, 2,000 years was this this uh, this guy Jesus, right? And uh, yeah, and other and other associated governments of the time. Yeah, you know, like like uh, whoever it was, Caesar was the main guy, I think, right? Yeah. So we, you know, things aren't things aren't. I don't see any way to calculate when things are going to clean clean up and get better. <laughs> At least not in the near moments. Not, not in the near thing. Yeah, we. Don't, it, Unless something comes out of complete left field that we're not expecting. Yes. Yeah, we would need a we need a a, a truly exterior influence mm-hmm. of a human entity nature. releasing an invention or something like that, you know, because the, the world is, you know, take that final book in the, in the New Testament, right? You've got, you've got war, famine, pestilence, and a lot of dying going on. Yeah. Right? So we're in that, we're in that zone, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the end of time. All right, that that's that's a falsehood, but it is it is an indicator of the trials and tribulations of our current time frame on our current timeline, so to speak. So, 
that's that. Now, Chiron is, is still in Aries, and North Node is still in Aries, and Aries is a, a beginning energy, right? If you go back to the fundamentals, you start with electricity, and then that's Aries, and then you get to Taurus, and that's matter, the table of the elements. Yeah. Then you get Gemini, which is mixing, all that mixing functionality, right? Then you add the magnetic results in cancer, and then you get Leo. And in, you know, in Leo, you're supposed to get educated. You know, we, way, way long time ago, remember, we were talking, we were reading parts of the uh, Secret Doctrine. Yeah. And way, way back in ancient India, we had rulership by kings. And the kings were very intelligent. They knew what was going on. And they were working with, you know, the early, early civilization, you know, back there, uh, way, way, long time ago. You know, and then, then you get Virgo, and that's when uh, true humanity begins to show up with a rational mind. In Virgo, you get the, the true human, what makes humans different from the animal kingdom, right? And I don't know if you remember. I just I just have to go back to fundamentals every once and again just to make sure I'm grounded. Mm. The difference with the difference it's told between the animal kingdom and the true human kingdom is that humans can compare two or more ideas at the same time. Mm -hmm. They can, we call that reasoning. The second thing that makes a human different from the animals is that they can say no. Yeah. The animals don't really have the ability to say no. They're more reaction, you know, if the food gets scarce, they, they run different. They go someplace else to look for their food. And the third thing that makes a human a real human is that he knows right from wrong. Yes. Yeah. Now, your average and below average humans don't have all those faculties at their beck and call. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing like they're doing. Uh, yeah. So that's what I've got to share at the moment, and it's now 11 after 9 or 10 after 9 Eastern. So let's go see what Kaipacha thinks of this chart. You know, we just had a full moon like Thursday, you know, in, was it, 5 Leo. So we're like two days past that. So I expect he'll say something about this this full moon in Aquarius, and uh, so I, re I re 
pass a talking stick. Back to you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Scott Potcher with the weekly Pele report for Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. What's going on? I'm out here in the Tradu Pass. That means footpath of the woman. Down here in southern Africa, it's uh, I'm inland in the Karoo is what they call it. And look at that water. That's iron water. Iron water. There's so many minerals in this water. It's absolutely amazing. Oh, poor Dios. The moon is in water. Cancer right now. But today, Wednesday, she's going into Leo. So that we can have a full moon at 5 degrees. 15 minutes of Leo. Thursday. Manana. Of course, that's all depending on where you are on planet Earth. Let me just walk along the cliff here. <laughs> Give you a shot of this water. So many aspects going on. Yikes. I mean, the main big thing I'm going to be talking about is that Mercury comes up to exactly conjunct Mars on Saturday at 17 degrees. And the moon's nodes are at 18. So it's almost exactly square... The moon's nodes and Chiron, Mercury squares Chiron on Friday. Mars squares it tomorrow on Thursday. The other cool thing, though, is that they are trine Uranus. Sunday, Mercury exactly trine Uranus. Monday, Mars trine Uranus. Square Chiron in the nodes, trine Uranus. And I think uh, that's 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 the big thing. The moon is going to be continuing to move through Leo. By Saturday, she goes into Virgo, opposes Saturn, as we know, over there in Pisces. And uh, and then she will go into Libra next Tuesday. Uh, the only other thing now is we're, we're having a bit of a Capricorn party. I mean, sun has moved into Aquarius. But Venus has moved into Capricorn. So we've still got, you know, Mercury, Venus, and Mars all down there. I should say up there <laughs> in Capricorn and the sun in Aquarius. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. Last but not least, she does come into a nice trine to Jupiter. And that is exact on Sunday. Last but not least, and I may even read the Sabian symbol for it, we've got Uranus stationing direct on Friday. Yes, at the 20th degree of Taurus. Something really to note and be aware of. So let me find a little spot on the river here and talk at you. All right, everybody. Ow! What a beautiful day it is today. I can't wait to jump in that river. Yes! 
before the moon moves into fire. Oh, what do we want to talk about today so much? Um, uh, where to begin? Where to begin? I, I think that I, we have to look, first of all, at Mercury conjunct Mars, which is, okay, normally, naturally, Mercury, Mars. Just think of it. Mars is rapid, assertive, can be aggressive, charge, go, impulsive, instinctive. And Mercury is talking, speaking, thinking. So this is just like, the head is spinning, just like the mantra for today. (laughs) You know, but it's in the sign of Capricorn. Boom. So that slows it down. That puts the feet on the ground. That makes it like those transformers, okay? Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, Capricorn, maturity, objectivity, self-control, self-discipline. Mars exalted in Capricorn. Get the job done. Boom. Squaring the moon's nodes, okay, in new paradigm astrology, evolutionary astrology, the planets square the nodes are the missing piece to the puzzle, a detour, something that needs to be addressed, integrated, really kind of done, before the light turns green, before you get to the north node. So this is like, it's mandatory, okay, to like get it together, get grounded, make your business plan, make your change, you know, in the world. Capricorn is my job, my career, my office, my reputation. This is time to, like, step up and step out. Now, with the sun moving into Aquarius, in Aquarius, it hasn't moved, already moved in there, right? It's there for a month. And here we're dealing with what? Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. These are the last three signs. The the least personal, where spirit starts coming in. Aquarius, you know, Uranus. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna read you. Well, let me read you right now. Okay, this is so powerful because it's trying Uranus, and Uranus is at this same degree from December 11th to March 13th. So it retrogrades back to 19 degrees, five minutes, and then goes all the way back up, 5, 10, 15, 20, to 60 minutes. So it's a long time at this Sabian symbol. And we know Uranus is the aha, the liberated, enlightened, awakened perspective, extraterrestrial intelligence, science, technology, outside the box, outside convention, into the unknown, into the future. And what's the Sabian symbol? Where we also have this Mercury-Mars trining Uranus. Wisps of wing-like clouds streaming across the sky. (laughs) The keynote is the awareness of spiritual forces at work. Any emergence of life potentialities from the depths of the vast unconscious is answered by the spiritual activity of superconscious forces in a cosmic kind of antiphony. I love it. Love this guy. The individual who has taken a step 
in their evolution should look for the signature of divine powers confirming their progress. It may reveal the meaning of what is to come next. The wing-like clouds may also symbolize the presence of celestial beings, devas, angels, blessing and subtly revealing the direction to take, the direction of the wind of destiny. <laughs> yes. Cut it out. Oh, man. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the blessings of supernatural forces. This is opposed to this Mercury-Mars square Chiron and square the moon's nodes. What does that mean? That means that we need to step back out and away from, and I hate to say this, but the south node of the moon is in Libra, ruled by Pallas Athena, the goddess of wisdom, into Aries, the the instinctive animal inner impulse that has been wounded, not acknowledged, distorted, suppressed, controlled by external Capricornian authority figures. So we have to heal this wound. This square is this creative tension. This is the challenge. That's what the mantra is today. Put the foot forward, trusting the instinct, trusting that we will be led and step into the unknown. So Aquarius is this liberation from the Capricorn, conservative, cautious, conforming, you know, society of, uh, you know, the mainstream and into individualized self-expression into the eccentric, the unusual, the bizarre. You know, I've said it a million times, raise people's eyebrows, drop people's jaws and blow people's minds. You know, you're doing Aquarius. <laughs> and that brings me to the Sabian symbol for this full moon. It's at the sixth degree of Leo. Yeah. So the, the five degrees, 15 minutes is the sixth degree. And so we always read the sixth degree of Sabian symbol. This one I love too. <laughs> A conservative, old fashioned lady is confronted by a hippie girl. The need to transcend our subservience to fashion in morals as well as in clothes. <laughs> this refers to the ever-changing pageant of social values as ideals of human relationship succeed one another. One generation facing in the next an antithetic picture of what it has been brought up to consider worthwhile and decent. The confrontation may lead to great bitterness, yet it should show us the impermanence of most of what society 
impresses upon our collective mentality. You know, fashions come and go. What's fashionable 10 years ago will not be fashionable 10 years from now. <laughs> you know, it's this, and, 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 and it's ruled by Neptune, fashion, the higher octave of Venus, okay, the collective unconscious, just kind of like, you know, the dragon, the, the Loch Ness monster, you know, raises his head out of the water, you know, and we see something new, something different emerges that's now cool and it wasn't cool for our parents and it's not going to be cool for our kids <laughs> just think of music <laughs> and the songs that we do uh that the song for this week finally i am going to appease some of my audience by recommending truckin by the grateful dead <laughs> I've seen the Grateful Dead a couple of times back when Jerry Garcia was still alive. Yes, they're very outdated. It's old time rock and roll. It's, I mean, it's, it's old stuff. <laughs> but I like it. It's still relevant. You know, you got to keep on trucking. Just keep trucking on one foot in front of the other. And now here is the other aspect that I wanted to mention with all of this. Of course, besides the fact that Venus is trying Jupiter, another auspicious, beautiful indication of spiritual forces being with us, even though we may not intellectually or egoically know, okay, you know, what the goal is or what the outcome is going to be or what the, you know, what it, the commitment is going to entail, we're going to trust spirit guidance. We're going to trust our instinct. We're going to heal that wound of Chiron. And we're going to step out, step up into the unknown. And this is the other aspect of Aquarius. Aquarius is the second sign from Capricorn. So if you do like it's called house stepping, if you do it with houses, but you can also do it with signs. The second house of any sign has to do with the resources gained and developed through the first house. And it has to do with the, the concrete manifestation of what began with the impulse of the first house. Take, for instance, okay, the, the fourth house. Okay, the fourth house is family, home, roots, childhood. It's also your mother. Well, the fifth house and Leo has to do with the children that come out of that family. It also has to do with your mother's resources and your mother's money, right? You think of the eighth house. It's your partner's money and the money of a partnership. So you think of Aquarius as the second house of Capricorn, this is the results. The sun moving through Aquarius now for the next month is bringing us the rewards. It's bringing us the fruits, okay, of what we have started and begun in this last month in the 10th house in Capricorn. And this is going to continue. Venus and Mars are going to conjunct and travel together through Aquarius, Right? Mercury is going to move into Aquarius. 
So what we do now, the changes that we make, the commitments that we make, the businesses that we start, okay, you know, this is a time to initiate. Oh, and that reminds me. <laughs> I wanted to mention that all the planets are now direct. When Uranus stations to go direct, all the planets are direct until, what is it, like three months, okay? Now, Mercury does do, you know, a three-week retrograde in April. Then Pluto goes retrograde in early May, okay? But really, it's not really till Saturn in the end of June goes retrograde. So we've got the rest of January, February, March, April, most of May, boom, all planets direct. New territory, new degrees of the zodiac, the forces with us. <laughs> you know, it's like, boom, this year, I'm telling you, is off to a Bang! And what else is Aquarius? I have to, I gotta mention, I even posted on the, the New Paradigm chat in Telegram, cause it's not censored, you know, uh, the, the speech by the uh, president of Argentina to the World Economic Forum. Yes! <laughs> it was great in one respect. Okay, you know, that he's kind of saying uh, the, this globalization is like, you know, uh, not going to work. Okay. The downside is that he did measure everything according to GDP. Yes, uh, you know, uh, gross domestic product, right? I mean, it's like, uh, talk about the, the peak of materialism and capitalism, you know. Um, but I just want to point out that even though capitalism in his view, okay, and in others' views, uh, you know, can be a very positive means of growth in economies, it relies on, guess what? Aquarius. <laughs> Aquarius is non-attachment. Aquarius is raising the bar of the collective of everyone. So I actually Googled altruism, the definition of altruism. It's, you know, altruism is required for the advancement of civilization, for the next step of our evolution. Yes, whether you call it philanthropy, generosity, altruism, it is the good of the many outweighs the good of the few. And it's up to the few that hold so much to open their hearts with compassion, with generosity, with altruism, to lift the bar of the collective. This is the only way to stop revolutions. This is the only way to stop war. This is the only way, is when people are not martyrs, victims, losers, being used, manipulated, and exploited, yep. but are respected, 
and are supported, this will bring world peace. And we don't really see that happening. We're now in the fifth post-Atlantean epoch. The next Atlantean, uh, the next, uh, you know, is uh, uh, Russia and, and Slavia, Slovakia, and then moves to America for the seventh. So, you know, we, we have a few thousands of years to go before we even get out of our post-Atlantean epochs. But, you know, Gaia's got plenty of time. You know, our infinite souls that reincarnate life after life after life have, you know, it's like there is no rush. I'd say the only rush here is pain and suffering that makes us want to progress and evolve to get out of the pain and the suffering. (laughs) Right? And the people that we love, the pain and suffering of the people that we love. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, these are, like I say, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, least personal, looking at the next seven generations, looking at what we are giving individually to the world, to our offspring, to, you know, the next generations that come behind us and coming out of, and there's, here's where, you know, this hippie girl, this moon in Leo, you know, is like, I'm going to rebel and I'm going to change the fashion and whatever. I mean, it's like, yes and no. It's like, you know, we can rebel against convention, rebel against the norm, you know, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a a statement, you know, a self, Angrandizement. You know, actually, it could be unfashionable, you know, to be generous. <laughs> it could be unfashionable to not be self-centered. It's kind of fashionable now to do your selfies and, you know, and, you know all about how cool we all are or whatever, you know, and put that up and out there. And, you know, here's me having a good time, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, hey, so it, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of that solar energy, but when the sun, the ruler of Leo, goes into Aquarius, it is kind of a time to step back and step out. It's a long freaking mantra. I got to say, this just came like in five seconds last night, and I, I thought I might improve upon it. But since it was done, I didn't really feel like messing with it this morning. (laughs) It's not the perfect mantra, but it's a mantra nonetheless. (laughs) The universe is telling me that it's time to go. Exactly where I'm headed to, I still don't really know. But I trust there are no accidents and that I will be led. So I put my one foot forward and still my spinning head. <laughs> Truck in like the do dog man who once told me you got to play your hand. Sometimes the cards ain't worth a dime if you don't lay them down. 
I know more of it, but, you know, I don't have my guitar today. <laughs> One more time, baby. Keep on trucking. Here we go. <clears throat> the universe is telling me that it's time to go. Exactly where I'm headed to, I still don't really know. But I trust there are no accidents and that I will be led. So I put my one foot forward and steal my spinning head. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. And keep on trucking. Ow! Oh. <laughs> yeah, baby. Buddy, this just in. Thanks to Uranus Stationing Direct, we have some surprises. Two open spots. Now, our Patagonia uh, retreat sold out in like a couple of weeks, and now we have two people that suddenly uh, had to withdraw. So if you are a last-minute traveler and you would like to come and join us in Patagonia, uh, it's uh, coming up here in the end of February. That's about a month away, and uh, the link to sign up for that will be down below in the notes. Hope to see you. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Okay, thank, thank you very, thank you very much. Let me suggest that we go right to Tanya. Okay. And if there's a few minutes at the end, I've got a couple of comments. I've been looking at the U.S. 1776 chart. Okay. Um, here we go. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers, the astrology and numerology. And in this case, it's the Leo full moon. So exciting this year for so many reasons. The numbers code and the timing. We have the moon in Leo, of course, but the sun is in Aquarius. And if you remember, the sun just entered Aquarius with Pluto, both together entering at zero degrees Aquarius on January 20th amazing event because Pluto is so slow moving. It stays in a sign for usually a couple of decades, depending on the sign because it has an elliptical orbit. In any case, it's big news because Pluto will be in Aquarius for most of the year and then finally enter Aquarius in November for 20 straight years without leaving it. So this Leo full moon opposite sun in Aquarius is a big deal. And the other reason it's a big deal 
is that it is at five degrees Leo. And the universal time for this full moon is 5.55 p.m. So that means it's 12.55 p.m. Eastern Time, New York, and 9.55 a.m. Pacific Time. We have the double five no matter what for the minutes, but universal time, it's 5.55, five degree Leo. And guess what? Leo in astrology rules the fifth house. So that means we have six fives activated and five is the number of freedom and Aquarius is the sign of freedom and Leo being ruled by the sun our star which gives us life also is it's a fire sign it also seeks freedom and not only that the sun and moon opposite each other Aquarius Leo are square to Jupiter and Jupiter rules Sagittarius and Sagittarius also is very much about liberation from anything that's holding you down, seeing the big picture and feeling free. It's another fire sign. So we've got the six tuple five, 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 five. And then we've got the incredible Leo fire activation with the sun, which activates our heart, by the way, Leo. In physiology, in astrology, we have the signs assigned to a part of our physiology. And in this case, the heart, the actual heart, the beating heart is ruled by Leo. So we'll go into that in a little bit. And then again, Jupiter creating a T-square. Jupiter's at six degrees in Taurus and therefore creating a square to both the sun at five degrees in Aquarius and the moon at five degrees in Leo. So, The other thing I want to mention is this is the first of three consecutive full moons at five degrees. And it is the first full moon of the year. So it does set up a foundation for what this year will be about. We currently are going through five consecutive new moons at 20 degrees, if you remember, giving us 2020 vision. The sun and moon are together in the new moon. This is five degrees in the sun and moon opposite each other, which means there's going to be oppositional energy to freedom. So you're going to have to stand up for freedom this year. There's going to be something that invites you to fire up, which is the Leo energy, fire sign, fire up that freedom energy. So many surprises are going to be activated. A lot of excitement is going to be initiated for us, both personally and collectively, in order for us to move around energy, to be more flexible, to release things that are stuck. Remember Pluto's move out of Capricorn, a very deep earth sign that likes to hold on to energy and cement it. It's ruled by Saturn. And then here we have very different flowing, freeing up energy that asks you to release and let go instead of hold on and keep in place. So the surprises are also activated by the sign of Leo, which is very passionate, creative, fun, is about self-expression, being childlike. And of course, Leo represents the lion, the king of the jungle. Leo is connected to courage And all three fire signs, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius, are very much about the firing up of inner courage. Now, also recall that 2024 adds up to eight. We're in an eight universal year, and eight also initiates courage. 
leadership confidence. So there's a lot here to digest just from the get-go. And so you really want to initiate your creativity. You want to be very creative in how you speak to people, how you accept the thoughts that enter your mind. You can you can say no. You can be very creative with what it is you choose to pay attention to. Leo is ruled by the sun. So wherever you shine the light of the sun is where you set your intention on, right? So you want to focus on things that feel good, that fire up your imagination. And also you have the sense of wanting affection, wanting hugs. This is not just the realm of cancer, the sign preceding Leo, but Leo rules the heart. So there is a sense of being appreciated and that brings pleasure as well. That's why Leo governing having the stage, so performance, performers require an audience to appreciate them. Otherwise, who are they performing for, right? So there is a sense of really understanding that give and take between the sharing of self-expression and the receiving of love in return. So with the moon square Jupiter and sun square Jupiter, your emotions will expand. The moon is how you feel. Jupiter makes it bigger. It's the biggest planet in our solar system. So you want to consciously focus on positive outcomes so you don't feel listless like a fish out of water. You want to have something that brings you balance, and that is a visual of the frequency that you desire. You want to feel that freedom that the code emits, that happiness, that Jupiter and Leo, where the sun is, emits. And you want to focus on what it is that makes you feel happy and healthy and strong. Those are the people, the events, the qualities, the hobbies, the projects that you want to immerse in. It's very important to set this stage in January as we begin the year with the first full moon to focus on those things, but also do do them in moderation, which is a little bit of a paradox, but the moderation will allow you to take the time to make sure that you really feel it, that your heart is saying yes, that your heart feels absolutely aligned and synchronized with what it is that you're focusing on. So, Mars is exactly conjunct Mercury during this full moon, and that really fires up your imagination and your ideas. Mars is basically saying, go with this and implement it, and it seeks liberation. It seeks ideas that do set you free, that are not cookie cutter or boxed in to a belief system. So you might be exploring things that surprise you, in other words, because Mars rules that third fire sign. So there's a lot of fire energy, more than usual, with this particular full moon. Now, the source of all life is creation and being creative and having fun in the process, living life to the fullest and living your light, living in the moment. The heart just loves to engage and out of the blue moments help us engage out of the blue moments bring us into the present because we have to now pay attention and leo is very generous so leo wants to give something wants to create something that is really appreciated and 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 needed in a 
pleasurable way by the collective. So this is your time to give freely, which is love. Remember, Leo rules the physiological heart. So it really loves to give and turn from egocentric living, which is the shadow side of Leo, right? I'm number one. I'm the best. Look at me, you know, the royal dressed up in clothes and, you know, underneath there's really not much to offer. That's the shadow side of Leo. So we want to move away from the fake persona and the fake regalia and the fake leadership qualities that uh, can also be very rampant during times like this when we move into the Aquarian age, right? Where we need to really discern between what is true and what is not, what is liberating us and what is actually distracting us from moving forward in a high vibrational way, which is what Aquarius is all about. Aquarius can be really altruistic and beautifully aligned with what it is that is most appreciated and necessary for everyone. So there is this real sense of you moving into joy. So this T-square to Jupiter, again, bringing up Jupiter, Jupiter is joy. It's easy to remember. They both start with J and truly joy is represented by Jupiter. We really want to tune into that frequency. There is a frequency for you. Love is also a frequency, as is peace, as is compassion, freedom. They're all frequencies that you can tune into and do so without expectation on the other side. So before I move a little bit more into that idea, Pluto must be discussed because Pluto just entered Aquarius. So Pluto is opposite the moon and conjunct the sun. And so this brings a lot of intense feelings, intense energy, and you want to stay in control of your reactions at this time. You want to breathe through any changes of mood because oppositions are meant to bring energy into harmony. And so, of course, you want to tune into what it is you're feeling. You just don't want to overreact. When Mars and Mercury are conjunct, as we discovered during this full moon, there can be a fast communication that can happen where you come out with something before you took that time out, that silence before speaking or writing. So you want to channel those deep feelings into something that is that really has been felt at, on a meditational level. That's the depth of Pluto. And you'll also feel the vibrations of people around you much more. It will allow you to move energy because you really sense what's going on, which means you can transmute the energy. Pluto is incredibly psychic and very powerful. So this is one thing to keep in mind. Now, in terms of the implementation of frequency, when you hold a frequency that you want and you really hold it in your heart, you don't just think it, but you feel, for example, abundance. You feel that frequency of abundance. You really feel the pleasure of abundance on every level. This is not just financial, but feeling abundant. The environment, the smell of whatever you, you like, the visuals, the feeling, right? And you, you tune into what that means to you. It's really important to hold that frequency in your heart. Even though the mind is collecting all this data of what abundance means to you and makes it available, 
there has to be then an activation of a true commitment and feeling and a recognition of that frequency as if it is there with you, which it is, by the way. It is. That's how manifestation begins, is with the frequency living in your heart. So the heart needs to actually feel what the mind emits. And once there is that alignment and the heart is in resonance with that data, the resonance is actually then the frequency that you emit to the world, that other people feel, and that then creates your next moment. It creates your future, creates your life. So the resonance of whatever you're focusing on is in your heart. The resonance, you resonate, the music is felt in your heart. Music resonates, sound resonates. You want to hear it, you want to sound it out. Like when you say, yay, (laughs) yay, that's sounding out a frequency of pleasure, of joy. So sounding out is important. It's part of the whole experience of being human. We utilize the importance of all our senses, right? And the sixth sense, the feeling of the heart, brings it all into one. So this is really the big takeaway from this Leo full moon with six fives is focus on all of it. Five faces left and right. It sits on a rocker. It has straight lines and a curve. It encompasses the whole galaxy. It's the middle number of all nine digits, one through nine. It encompasses a moment of look climbing the mountain, looking down. You have all these paths you can choose from, and it's up to you to create your future. And so you want to really tune in with what frequency, what do you want to resonate to? And allow the heart, allow your feeling to bring it alive in the next moment. Because this moment is the whole foundation. It seeds your life. So this is a time of awakening. And I know I keep saying that, but it truly is. We're moving into the Aquarian age and Pluto's move into Aquarius right before this Leo full moon with the sun in Aquarius. This is big news. And so we want to really focus on awakening, focusing on staying awake, on using our discernment to observe what's actually going on without judging it, staying neutral. The opposition of a full moon, sun and moon, does want us to come to the middle in neutrality. When you stay in the middle, and take the middle path, your feelings see it all. It sees the left, the right, the up, the down. The whole experience is felt within your heart when you are grounded in the middle. So to help you with this awakening, I have a free masterclass, How to Master Your Stars. And you can watch it immediately. Instant access. It's free at spiritualmasteryclass.com. And this free training will take you through some amazing insights that help you take your power back. The secret to spiritual mastery, the true meaning of your rising sign, your ascendant, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living 
a happy, abundant, joyful life, and how to instantly connect to Source, to Spirit, and many more secret tools. So enjoy that free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Have an absolutely beautiful Leo full moon, and I will see you next week in our next Star Codes podcast. Lots of love.
So Uranus is at 20 degrees right now. So you've got a third of seven years to get to the end of Taurus. And then you've got another third, about a third of seven years to get to nine degrees of Gemini, right? Nine is almost a third of the way through Gemini. So seven-thirds and seven-thirds is 14-thirds divided by three, four, three into 14, okay? That's four and two-thirds year. So in about four more years... We'll be in that zone of Uranus conjunct Uranus and Gemini. So that was, and then while I was figuring this out, the other thing I looked at was the United States Neptune is at 23 Virgo. Okay? So in the Neptune cycle, of about 162 years, we had the first Neptune return. And now we've got Neptune in Pisces, which is about another half cycle. Right? Neptune is at 23 Virgo. And now it's in 28 Pisces. So a couple of years ago, we had Neptune opposite natal Neptune for the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, you got the 240 years of Pluto, and we got Pluto, Pluto going on. So you got Pluto, Pluto going on. You got Neptune at a cycle and a half, and you got Uranus approaching its third cycle, third return. So that you know kind of explains some of the problems. That's not the right word, but I don't have a better one at the moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, and 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 the other the other major influence here is is Saturn, right? And Saturn in July of seventy six was at uh, fifteen Libra. So that's probably the the best thing in this whole chart is 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 Saturn at fifteen Libra, right? Because that's a that's mental balance. Mm-hmm. Air sign, atmosphere, All right? So that's just a little little thing I wanted to share with you. So have a good week and a good evening, and I'll speak with you next week. Until we meet again, Richard, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. Namaste to all. Namaste. Namaste. Yeah, finally, all planets direct for a while.
Oh, good. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So, Rama, give us the phone numbers. we got to go to our conference call, don't we? Um, yeah. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, one more time, huh? 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. All righty, then. We'll take our little break and head over there to the conference call. And we'll be right back here at BBS Radio, best radio there is in everybody's neighborhood at the top of the next hour. So see you on the conference. Namaste, everybody. Plan for change, waiting on the world to change. No more waiting. No. Now's the time. Um, I guess we should go back to Nassim. Yes, let's finish Nassim, everybody. Okay. About 19, 20 minutes left. Here we go. We'll get a a good topper. Here we go. And you think that it's really a small voice and hard to hear at first because... You're not, there's a huge wall between you and the universe, right? <laughs> but actually on the other side, that wall, it's screaming, right? <laughs> like the, 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 the flow is very, very strong. Yes. It's not hard to hear. It's mm-hmm. not hard to right. know where the flow is. Right. You know, a child knows very quickly when it's doing something right or when it's doing something wrong. You know, if if people listened well to the voice in a society that's a little more advanced than this one, you don't need rules and regulations because there's natural rules. There's natural order. There's yeah. order. And you, you would follow the order. You, you would know. As nature order. does. Yeah, as nature does, mm-hmm. you know. And so basically... Listening is critical and understanding that it's mechanical. It's not esoteric, like Mm -hmm. in some pink cloud floating over there. It's not like some, you know, concept that's really complicated that you can't get wrap your head around it. It's not physics. It's physics and you have it all inside of you and you know it all. Like when I teach, I don't teach people, I teach you. I help them remember what they already know. Mm. This is why people that come to my conference and so on are so impacted. Like I get hundreds of letters of people from all around the world saying, oh my God, I'm so transformed. I can't believe I went to a conference on physics and I came out completely transformed. It's because it, I... It's not like I, I, I change, I changed their life. I just had a relationship. Mm-hmm. I transferred and I, I give the information. They received information that reminded them that 
brought up what's already inside them. So innovation comes from remembering, right? Who you are. Yeah. The deep relationship you have with the universe. Think of Einstein. Think of Tesla. Think of, you know, the greatest, like Swinger, others. Like all these people, if they wrote extensively about how it came from within them. Mm. It didn't come from... Yeah, they did some studying and all this to get to the place where they could tell where we were. But to make the the next step, it's coming from inside you. Right. We're getting feedback and information from the outside, inside, and and yeah, tinkering with whatever they're creating. That's right. The inside. That's this is fascinating. So it's a force. Yeah. It's you're you're a force of nature, mm-hmm. and you have. The potential, but you don't necessarily express it, right? You might not express it in your life if you don't know. Mm-hmm. You might just spend your whole life thinking that you're some little bug isolated from the rest of the universe and that you have no power. Mm-hmm. You have zero power. That's what is taught to children every day, mm-hmm. right? In schools and institutions is that they have the all information comes from the outside, right? Like learn this information, all the rules. Yeah, yeah. Shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And that um, you're and, and because people ask why there's not so many Einsteins, well, they they get killed in the womb, mm. right? And then that so you have that. Now, when you realize that, this is, this is the point of enlightenment, okay? When the Buddha was asked, Buddha, you say everything is the Buddha, like we're not understanding, we're the student, clearly we're not the Buddha, you're the Buddha, we're the student, we're not at your level, you know, what's the difference between you and us? We want to know about the difference, not the fact that we're all Buddhas. And and so the Buddha answers said, well, the only difference is that the Buddha knows he's the Buddha. <laughs> if you don't know that you're the universe, that the universe is in every one of your part, or that you, you're connected to this incredible will works of nature, that there's a flow that runs through your life that is completely transcend any obstacle that you would ever imagine, right? Well, then you can't be that, right? But the the quality of the Buddha is that as soon as he knows, as soon as the Buddha knows, or she or whoever, as soon as you know you're the Buddha, right? That you're the universe, is you realize that everything is, Mm -hmm. right? Everything is the Buddha, right? So then... The ego doesn't get in the middle of it and go, ah, you know, I'm going to create and, you know, the rest of the people can have to s- submit. Sure, right? sure. You, you understand? Like, now you, you get it. You know, sure, you know, the person in front of you might not have that level of awareness yet, but you do. You can tell mm-hmm. they have that potential. Sure. Right? And then in the context of all that, 
you have to remember you're going to fail. Mm. You got to remember you're going to fail. You're going to fail over and over and over again. Meaning you're going to get upset. You're going to get mad. You're going to scream. You're going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person. You're going to, you know, whatever. You're going to do things that you're not in your highest flow to do. Yes. The only difference is that how long does it get take you to get back into the flow, mm-hmm. right? How long does it get you, take you to remember that they're the Buddha too and, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, they're in, they're observing the universe from their own perspective right. and, you know, that that's part of the whole as well. It's part of all of it. It's part of all of it. And but, accepting, accepting it. Accepting it. Not judging it. Exactly. And even at the global level, when you look at everything that's going on right now in the world, it's really difficult. And it's really easy, especially if you're listening to five o'clock news, to get extremely discouraged. Yes. And as well, influenced not necessarily in the right way. Right. And so it's critical that you remember that it's all part of it. Mm. It's critical that you remember that there's a flow and it's going somewhere Mm. and it's going to an amazing place. Mm. It's going to an amazing place. It's going to a place that it's hard to imagine right now. But I, you know, the place where you have infinite amount of energy, infinite amount of capacity to move around, meaning you have gravity control, you have infinite amount of energy in all your devices, you have most likely extension of life to hundreds, thousands of years, Um, you have a completely different civilization. Because when you understand these principles, then it's not that hard to connect your technology to it. See, this is amazing. I appreciate appreciate you sharing uh, and hopefully opening a lot of people up to the first couple steps. We have to get you back on in the future sometime, but I want to ask you two final questions before I ask them. I want to make sure people follow you because uh, you put out a lot of interesting videos on your social media and also your website, NassimHarriman.com, um, is the main place where we can um, subscribe or be a part of the website, or is there anything no. else? It, the best website to go to currently is the Resonance Science Foundation. The Resonance Science Foundation? Uh, so it's resonancescience.org. Okay, resonancescience.org. Yeah, resonancescience.org. And they can register to a course there that are made free during yeah. the, the lockdown uh-huh. <laughs> period. Uh, that uh, you can, there's seven modules. They're fairly extensive. You can read. There's all the references. You can understand the physics as well. There's a lot of philosophy and all this and ancient civilization studies I've done and all this stuff. And uh, there's a seven module that was published. That's the latest papers I've published to date. And there's an eight module that's going to be published as soon as the paper is out. And that you got to look for. Um, so like register on the site and then read all this. And then we have a forum. You can discuss in the forum. You, 
And then, you know, we have all kinds of events that we put up uh, where you can, you know, ask questions even and so on. And, uh, you know, there's William Brown, there's Ines, um, there's other physicists and biologists and all this that are helping, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the team is getting bigger and I'm in the middle of setting up a whole new organization that's wow. going to kind of umbrella all these other organizations um, that is an international space federation. It's wow. called ISF. Wow. And it's, um, it, and it's a very, um, it, it, it's the first space organization that's going for a whole new level of technology that's not based on burning, you know, fossil fuels. Wow. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And so look for that because it's gonna, it's gonna occur very, very soon. Resonance Science. Foundation.org, ResonanceScience.org. Yes. ResonanceScience.org and, um, and the, the International Space Federation is gonna be at Space Fed, Fed, so Space, F-E-D, SpaceFed.com. Got it. Yeah. So make sure, we'll link up these, make sure you guys get the free course, the seven modules and the eighth module coming soon. Right. Um, check out SpaceFed.com. Check you out on social media. What platform are you on the most yourself on uh, social media? I, you know, we have a lot of stuff on, on Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, we, we have, you know, some stuff on Twitter, some uh-huh. stuff on Instagram. Um, I personally, uh, started to try to like get to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am so completely swamped with everything I'm doing right <laughs> sure, now. Sure. It's really hard. Yeah. So, but I'm planning on being uh, putting more there, more and more um, uh, uh, dynamically interacting right. with people on Twitter soon. But we're publishing articles as well every week and every month. We publish multiple articles, and we have. Um, you know, we have a monthly newsletter that's going to start happening in the next few months nice. and okay. so on. So people can stay in touch and connect across the world. Love you it. Know? Love it. We have another thing that's coming up, which is going to be, um, this has not been announced yet, but uh, this is going to be, uh, um, uh, a, an event that's on the internet. Mm-hmm. So an, uh, 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 internet, uh, seminar. That will be a weekend, two day seminar mm-hmm. that will occur right after I publish to explain to everybody the paper okay. and the equations and all this in a really layman's work, uh, uh, you know, understanding so sure. that everybody can understand what the paper is saying. So that's going to come out and, um, it's called Unity Revolution. Okay. So Unity Revolution is going to, Look, look for that. Register on our mailing list and you'll get all this you information. ResonanceScience.org. Yeah. The mailing list and everything else. That's right. Uh, Nassim, two final questions for you. Um, this is a question. Well, before I ask these questions, I want to acknowledge you for your experience and your wisdom and your feedback, the information you're bringing to this field and to our community and to, you know, people listening and watching around the world. I think, um, a Thank lot of you. people, you're welcome. And I think myself and a lot of people who listen or watch 
want to learn how to improve the quality of their life. And so they're seeking better answers. They're seeking better information to arm themselves and to support themselves into developing into the person they dream of. It takes courage. It's a lot of courage. And so I acknowledge you for bringing your 35 plus years of experience, wisdom, lessons, mistakes, failures. And I know you get a lot of criticism from lots of different industries or fields of science. Of course. Based on trying to push the boundaries and trying to create new equations in a space where people don't like new. Right. And so I acknowledge you for having the courage to keep expanding beyond. Thank you. Because what it feels like to me from our first interaction is you're trying to help people. You're trying to help people understand themselves better, become better in nature, in in the field of the universe, and uh, really step into the voice that they hear inside of them and lean into that. That's what my understanding of you is from our first interaction, which I hope is one of many. (laughs) Yes, I will hope to. (laughs) And, and, you know, it came from a wanting to know personally as well first, you know. Um, you now, listen to your voice. Li- listening to my voice and then realizing, wow, I got to tell people, mm-hmm. you know, people need to know about this. Yeah, I love it. You know, well, I really appreciate it and acknowledge you. Um, this question is a hypothetical question. It's called three truths. So imagine you live as long as you want to live. You know, you extend your life and for as long as you can. But for whatever reason, in this field of existence, your body goes away. Yeah. Right? Um, you get to create everything you imagine for the next however many years and live the life that you want. But for whatever reason, in a hypothetical world, everything you've created disappears. Your papers, your work, this conversation, it's all gone. Mm -hmm. Hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But you get to leave behind three lessons that you've learned that you would want to share with the world. Three things you know to be true that you would give as information that all we have from you is these three things. What would be those three truths, hypothetically, for you to leave behind? Um, listen mm-hmm. to yourself. Listen deeply. Trust what you hear. Trust. No, you know, no. And then have the courage to take actions. Mm. Take actions, you know, on what you know, deeply know. I love that. Um, <laughs> final question, Asim, what is your definition of greatness? Um, life. Mm. Creation. Life yeah. is the most amazing thing. It's just an amazing miracle happening every second. It's just Greatness is a given to all things, mm. to all beings. It's it's already there. Now, will it express itself? Maybe, maybe not. But it's there. Whether you know it or not, whether whatever you think, you know, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, just sit at the sunset and you know, look at nature. You'll know greatness is yeah. part of the fundamental equation of creation, you know, mm. like it's, it's amazing. Oh. It's beautiful. It's incredible. It's amazing. And, and it, 
you know, that bring, you know, that brings another thing is spend time in nature. Yeah. Spend time in nature, you know, sit with nature and observe and experience, you know, the beauty. Like it, it, it feels, it feeds your soul. Mm-hmm. It brings you closer to you. Sure. You know? Sure. Same. Thanks so much. I appreciate Thank you. you. You have to love yourself because that means you will take care of yourself. And people don't love themselves, they don't take care of themselves. All done. All done. Thank you, Nassim. I just want to repeat resonantscience.org. And let's check out that unity revolution idea that he's... And as you're finding anything to share with us from Nassim or anybody for that matter, send Rama an email at Coran999ladcomcast.net. Yes. We are who we've been waiting for. Okay. Mm. So shall we do uh, Clayton Moore, Rama. Yeah, you gotta find that. Okay, we will do this next one. I'm gonna just move a few things around here. Okay, um, this is called They Silenced Nikola Tesla Over This. Redacted History with Clayton Morris. Oh, Morris. M-O-R-R-I-S, as in Sam. C-L-A-Y-T-O-N, Rama. They silenced Nikola Tesla over this. Redacted History with Clayton Morris. He was a former Fox News anchor person. Holy cow, he graduated. Mm. (laughs) All right. 345,056 views. Nikola Tesla had a dream of providing free power to the world. He had working plans to create limitless power by harnessing, magnifying, and distributing the electrical energy located within the earth itself. His test machines showed that he could tap into stationary waves the electricity created uh, excuse me waves yeah the electricity created by the earth's vibrations allowing him to send energy through the earth and the air yet suddenly that technology vanished off the face of the earth and along with it, all of Tesla's documents and plans. This is the true story of why Tesla's technology was eradicated. Excuse me, redacted, redacted. This is the first installment of Redacted History with Clayton Morris. Did you find it, Commander? Okay, just a second. It takes a bit. 
Ah, and then you can find those other two Stefan Burns, Rama. Got some pregnant pauses around here tonight. Just taking the energy, everybody. I just want to say, because we're in the world court now, uh, with this order, UN top top UN court orders Israel to prevent genocide in Gaza but stops short of ordering ceasefire again on Amy Goodman uh, this gentleman basically said it doesn't matter because the words that were put to it actually say it in so many words uh, that you need to prevent the genocide in Gaza and I'm going to just send more love to the situation. I believe in miracles at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. All right, Rama found it. Here we go. Uh, if you can't read small print anymore because of vision problems, try this simple ritual before bed and watch your... As the current energy crisis worsens, our financial stability is threatened. Gas shortages will cause families to freeze during a heatless winter. Blackouts are becoming the norm, and energy rationing is taking place. This certainly doesn't reflect our modern era. In fact, the truth is, we're behind in energy technologies, but not because of a lack of ability or knowledge. No, this was intentional and orchestrated over the past 100 years by those who had the power to suppress and redact information as they see fit to keep us in the dark. Welcome to Redacted History. I'm Clayton Morris. Well, there's no denying it. We're in a man-made energy crisis, ultimately designed over the decades by power-hungry governments, wealthy politicians, special interest groups, big oil, and greedy energy companies that are making record profits, billions off of our fossil fuel reliance, while the general public suffers the consequences of what decisions were made for them, self-serving decisions that were not in the best interest of the people. It didn't have to be this way, though. Things most certainly could have been done differently by embracing alternative energy sources a hundred years ago. Now, you may be thinking, wait a second, we're actually embracing alternative energy sources right now. We're working hard to implement solar technology, wind turbines, other non-fossil fuel energy alternatives, as well as a big push for electric car use. But it just takes time to get a solid system in place, right? Yes, that's true. We are working to implement these alternative energy sources, but the data shows us that renewables only account for 3% of output of energy. 
And all of that solar and wind need to be backed up by natural gas and hydrocarbons. So the solar wind scam might just be nothing more than that, a scam, a lie. But what if there was something else out there? Not nuclear, which is currently the best form of clean energy, not oil, not solar, something else you've never heard of before. So this is where the truth unfolds for those who are unaware of our history as it relates to energy discoveries. This may come as a shock to you, but various technologies for free non-fossil fuel energy sources were actually being developed well over a 100 years ago. For instance, something called etheric energy was discovered, and the technology to capture and convert it into usable power was developed over four decades ago. Never heard of it? Well, you're not supposed to. So what is etheric energy? Well, in its basic form, it's energy that nature provides that can be extracted from the atmosphere, the air all around us, and has the ability to be converted into usable forms of energy. Along with this, at the same time, wireless transmission of electricity that's directed through the atmosphere and utilizes the Earth's electric force as a conductor was being researched and tested, with the end result being light bulbs wirelessly illuminated 25 to 26 miles away from the power source. Think about this. No power lines. Light bulbs 25 miles away from the power source turning on. This was an incredible advancement in energy technology that was way before its time. What may surprise you even more is the fact that the beginnings of electric car technology came into existence in 1839. Electric-powered cars were in development and put into use in the mid to late 1800s. There are even images of fleets of electric cars plugged in and charging. Electric cars were so popular that President Woodrow Wilson owned one, loved it, and drove it all around Washington, D.C. The batteries in these cars used salt, much different than the current lithium-ion technology. Other alternative energy developments at the time included a wind turbine that was built in 1888 that proceeded to power a house successfully for the next 20 years. And if that wasn't enough, the first U.S. solar panels were installed on a rooftop in New York in 1884. Yeah, that's worth repeating. Solar panels installed on a rooftop 138 years ago. Okay, so knowing that all of these alternative energy ideas were discovered and in existence over a century ago, you can even imagine how advanced these technologies would be today if they were allowed to progress unfettered, consistently perfected year after year over the course of those 100 years. The bottom line is that these renewable energy technologies were pushed out of the limelight for decades, hidden from all of us, dare I say, redacted. I mean, does anyone remember reading about solar panels in school back in the day? Because I don't. I do recall reading volumes of information on coal, gas, and oil, though. Why were we not aggressively building upon these various renewable energy sources all along? Could it be that they just don't quite fit into our capitalistic system that those in power profit from? The answer lies within our history, and you realize this as we jump back in time for a moment to a year when the first American oil well was drilled in 1859. And as a result, we see the creation of one of the world's first oil barons, John D. Rockefeller. Rockefeller successfully created an oil monopoly and became one of the richest men in the world, and the rest is history, and sets the stage for the path that we would be on for the next 163 years, dependence on oil suppression of alternative energy sources, wars, and people in power that control the narrative to keep its dependence in place. There are more stories to tell regarding coal and other fossil fuels, but I think you get the big picture. So over a century ago, we had a profitable fossil fuel industry blossoming. And on the other side of the spectrum, there were scientists, physicists, and engineers who had a whole other focus. 
They were brilliant individuals who were discovering alternative ways to harness and create energy. And we touched on some of those ideas. However, they're worth elaborating on. Buckle your seatbelts. Because with that said, we take a journey into the past so we can have a closer look at some of the most notable alternative energy ideas that never had the recognition they deserved. Let's start this journey through history by highlighting the work of Nikola Tesla, whose ideas and research, if had been allowed to progress, could have changed the 20th and the 21st century as we know it. Most people would never know this, though, because Tesla was wrongfully pushed into the shadows of Thomas Edison when it comes to our history. Tesla began his work with etheric energy in the late 1800s, which included his plan to harness the energy that's located between the Earth and the upper atmosphere and convert it into usable electricity. Tesla sums it up perfectly himself when he says, quote, This new power for the driving of the world's machinery will be derived from the energy which operates the universe, the cosmic energy, whose central source for the Earth is the sun and which is everywhere present in unlimited quantities. Tesla had hundreds of energy-related patents. One in particular, which pertains to etheric energy, was patented in the year 1901. It was labeled an apparatus for the utilization of radiant energy and didn't require an external power supply to operate. It was simply powered by nature's invisible elements. With the etheric energy pulled out of thin air, and while being grounded to the earth, his device was able to provide power to electrical devices. When describing his device, because he explains that it operates on radiant energy from the sun, it gives the impression that he's describing what we now call a solar panel. However, he goes on to state that it also utilized, quote, other sources of radiant energy like cosmic rays. And perhaps the most important thing that he says about this technology, quote, night will not interrupt the flow of a new power supply. The disappearance of the sun below the horizon will not shut it off. So as you can see, Tesla's invention was similar, but different from a traditional solar panel. Solar panels are made of expensive materials, are produced with silicon and other rare earth minerals that make them hard to get out of the ground, almost impossible to recycle. In contrast, Tesla's device used a simple insulated metal plate. But the biggest difference was the fact that it didn't stop working when the sun went down, which is one of the reasons solar panels of our time can't fulfill our energy needs, not even close. They could really only supplement them, help a little bit. Tesla had intentions of developing and expanding on this invention, but because he didn't have the funds or the backing, and as you can imagine, the energy companies couldn't even allow the slightest possibility of his developments interfering with their already established and profitable energy system, it was never developed further. Okay, now I'm going to move over to one of Tesla's other energy projects for a bit, because I feel the story as a whole reveals a lot when it comes to how monopolies come into play when profit is concerned, as well as the government having their eye on things, with their finger on the suppression button. And I'll begin by heading back to both the late 1800s and the early 1900s, the Gilded Age. Now, at this time, Tesla researched, developed, and tested something that had the capability to create enormous amounts of energy that didn't need wires to travel. This was something he called a magnifying transmitter, which was an adaptation of his Tesla coil. And it utilized the Earth's electric force and atmospheric elements. With this technology, Tesla had a dream of providing free power to the world. He stated that he had the plan to create limitless power by harnessing, magnifying, and distributing the electrical energy located within the Earth. He felt that this could be done by tapping into stationary waves, the electricity created by the Earth's vibrations, allowing him to send energy through the Earth and the air. 
Now, he had plans to use his magnifying transmitter for telecommunications purposes by creating an electrical system that would be able to send light, voice, images, and power by using a wireless transmission system. Sounds a bit like an advanced version of the Internet that didn't take off for almost another 100 years in the 1990s. Or even cell phone technology. Sound familiar? Well, a twist in the story, because telecommunications is what he was funded to do, but his main ambition was to provide the world with free power. Now, to do this, Tesla formulated that if a magnifying transmitter could be constructed on a large scale, enough to send electricity through the ground and the atmosphere across a long distance, then a system of power-generating stations could be placed around the globe to distribute practically free wireless electricity anywhere in the world. He was so confident that this would work that he had a goal of lighting the 1902 Paris Exposition by shooting energy through the Earth and the atmosphere from his magnifying transmitter that would sit on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. The media, of course, caught news of his overall plan, and a newspaper reporter wrote, quote, all monopolies that depend on power of any kind will come to a sudden stop. The Earth's currents of electricity are to be harnessed. Nature supplies them free of charge. The cost of power, of light, of heat, will be practically nothing. Yes, exactly. This 120-year-old article goes on to mention, quote, Tesla is a wizard who is going to emancipate modern industries from the shackles of corrupting, dividend-grabbing, monopolistic corporations. Well, sounds not much like a lot has changed when it comes to corporate greed and corruption, does it? I won't get into all of the mechanics of a magnifying transmitter system or a Tesla coil, I thought I would mention that those who have already heard of this technology may be under the impression that it creates energy entirely on its own. However, it must be hooked up to a power supply to start the process. Now, if you're thinking, what's the point of creating electricity with electricity? If we need a power supply, then what's the point? Well, the power supply needed is very small compared to the power that the device generates. Although we don't exactly know the input supply that was originally used in his Colorado experiments, it was said to be around 300 kilowatts. And with this, his transmitter could convert that small amount of energy into what experts have estimated to be 12 million volts, transforming the electrical energy provided into higher frequencies, shooting that energy through the earth as if it were a giant transmission wire, as well as through the air, and producing 60-foot lightning bolts as a testament to its incredible power. It was during these experiments that he was able to illuminate a few hundred light bulbs that were miles away, wirelessly. Imagine doing something like this in the 1800s. When people saw this, they thought it was magic. Heck, if I saw it today, I'd think it was magic. Almost 150 years later, we're still not allowed to see it. After Tesla's successful experiments with his transmissions tower located in Colorado, he proceeded to take things to the next level. And by 1901, he built a full-scale, 185-foot working model of this tower on Long Island, New York, which he named Wardenclyffe Tower. Now, this tower was made possible with the investment sum of $150,000 from J.P. Morgan Chase, who was interested in its wireless telecommunications possibilities, but not in Tesla's wireless free worldwide power goal, which Tesla did not mention to Chase when they made the deal. Whoops. However, after the tower was constructed because of certain circumstances and the fact that he needed additional financing from Chase, Tesla decided to discuss his real plan with him, which was to provide free energy to the world, not just telecommunications. Chase then accused him of breaching their contract 
and communicated that he had no interest in investing his money to provide non-profitable free energy to anyone. You see, the truth was, Chase had a huge financial interest in copper wires. And Tesla's vision of a world without wires caused traditional energy lines to become obsolete. It would be a tremendous financial loss for Chase. Like I always say, follow the money if you want to know the real reason behind the suppression of anything. In the end, he ran out of money, owed back rent for his lab, which led him to losing his tower when someone else purchased it. Now, it's unknown if the government took control of that tower, but it just may have been because they ordered it to be torn down in 1917 in fear of German spies using it to send wireless messages during the war. More evidence of suppression is realized by the fact that an auction of all the contents of his Wardenclyffe lab was conducted by the sheriff's office, a department that's known for keeping complete records. However, historians were never able to find the records of the contents that were sold at the auction or the details on who the items were sold to. They all just disappeared. So was Chase or the government involved to ensure his research and work would totally vanish? In addition to this, smear campaigns started popping up in the newspapers that made Tesla appear to be a charlatan and incompetent. It's the very same playbook still used today to discredit opposition, plant fake stories in the media, and ruin their reputation. Something else that reveals a hint of a cover-up and further reveals just how legitimate Tesla's work was and that he was being taken seriously is the fact that the FBI and the OSS, later became known as the CIA, had such a keen interest in his research and his work. Why was the FBI and the OSS looking so closely at him? To the point where a government physicist, John G. Trump, was commissioned to take all of Tesla's belongings and bring them to the office of the alien property. Yes, he's the actual relative of Donald Trump. His belongings were held for years, and when released, many cases of research documents went missing. On top of this, it was later discovered that a young electrical engineer from MIT, who was a protege of Tesla, that had gained through his trust access to his research, was, in reality, working for the U.S. Army, and most likely positioned to spy on Tesla. Lastly, the hotel historian of the New Yorker Hotel, where Tesla passed away, stated that they believe there were FBI agents staying on the very same floor as Tesla the week he died, ready to make their move because his life's research was included with all of his documents, and they were all sitting there in cases in his room. There were said to be over 80 cases. Well, because of the Freedom of Information Act, the FBI released to the public the documents they had on file, with many of them being heavily redacted. Why would the FBI have redacted documents on Tesla? What were they hiding? What are they still hiding more than 80 years later? And many of the documents are still missing to this day. Now it's time to switch gears and talk about another inventor who was on the same path as Tesla, Thomas Henry Moray, a respected engineer that held a PhD, who's known for developing a radiant energy receiver that he called the Moray valve, similar to Tesla's radiant or etheric energy device, but more advanced. It had an antenna that was placed about seven to eight feet in the air while a rod was driven into the ground, both connected to the device that contained various components. Once set up, it was capable of illuminating bulbs and powering various electrical items by pulling energy out of the atmosphere. Moray gave many demonstrations to dozens of people in the late 1920s, with several demonstrations purposely taking place 26 miles away from the closest power line and 100 miles from the closest radio station, to show that the device was not somehow drawing power from those elements. Not only did his Moray valve generate electricity without any external power supply, 
but his device also ran for a full week uninterrupted. However, despite the many witnesses that testified to the success of the demonstrations, the patent office denied his application on the grounds that the main component was a non-heated vacuum tube. And during that time, tubes such as these had internal heaters. So therefore, they said his device could not work with a cold vacuum tube. Really? He had verifiable proof that his device worked and they denied it over a hot versus cold tube? Or is it possible the U.S. Patent Office instructs their caseworkers to deny or stall alternatives of free energy patents? The answer is yes, they do. If this sounds like a conspiracy theory, it's actually not. And here's the proof. The U.S. Patent Office had a secret program that could prevent inventions that were flagged from ever being granted a patent. It was called the Sensitive Application Warning System, referred to as SAWS. Most people don't know about this program that began in 1994 because it was intended to be kept secret. However, the program was revealed to the public through a leaked internal memo that was sent to a U.S. Patent Office manager that instructed them to remind their case examiners of the SAWS program guidelines. This program was designed to bring their attention to, quote, subject matter of a special interest. So which categories were threatening enough that they made it into this special list? Well, let's take a look at the leaked memo to find out. This is proof that the government is silencing and suppressing free energy. It's right here in their documents. Think about it. There were only a few categories on this list, and free energy was one of them. Free energy. Free energy patent suppression is real. And it can be taken as far as gag orders being placed on the inventor where they are ordered not to speak with anyone about their invention in any way, shape, or form. Those who don't honor the gag orders can be fined and placed in jail. So you create a device that harnesses free energy, which could bring prosperity to millions of people, to all corners of the earth. Instead, you're silenced and imprisoned if you speak about it. The patent office announced that they closed the program in 2015. But did they? Or did they just close it, create another secret internal program designed to weed out patents that threaten the system? I guess we'll never know unless there's a whistleblower or another leaked memo. So with the tactics that the patent office is pulling and because free energy concepts have been suppressed by various sources throughout history, we're not where we should be. And we're definitely not in a place where we can just flip the switch to fossil fuels to meet the world's energy needs. Even so, people somehow think we can just jump ahead of the game and provide power around the world with solar and wind. It's impossible. Sorry, we're not even close to having the infrastructure to do something like that right now. This conversation sums it up perfectly. I'm all for all this the technology dangerously competing. delusional. To, if, are you saying that you actually believe, you actually believe that we are going to power the, an entire planet of 9 billion people with wind and solar. Do you actually believe that? I'm saying that I want the resources to compete against each other in the marketplace. That's not the question. You actually believe that. Because if you don't believe that, you've got to support nuclear. I think that renewable resources, wind and solar, have a lot more potential than nuclear because they are coming down at at the scale. He's right. How can you power that many people across vast lands with solar that doesn't work at night and wind turbines that don't work when the wind stops? Not to mention the battery technology. The largest battery farm sits in Escondido, California, but it can only store enough power for about 24,000 American homes for only about four hours. There are 134 million households in the United States. 
So in order for solar and wind to have enough battery systems in the United States, it would require over 75% of the land in the United States to be covered by battery farms. So take the United States and just put a giant battery building over 75% of the entire country. Can you imagine? I'm definitely all for clean, renewable alternative energy sources, but we're just not capable of providing that as our sole source of energy at this time. And you have the government and energy companies to thank for keeping us dependent on fossil fuels all of these years and driving nuclear power into the ground. Imagine for a moment if all of these technologies hadn't been suppressed but would have been allowed to progress over that hundred years. Technology that could have been so advanced had it not been swept under the rug. I want to show you a few examples. I want to start with solar panels. And if you remember, they were first installed in the 1800s, but it wasn't until about 90 years later there was a push for solar technology development. And then it was years after this that they were even put to use. So we missed out on 90 to 100 years of advancement in this sector. If you can't envision how we could advance solar technology, then just look at this article from Forbes that sports the title, Solar Power Stations in Space Could Supply the World with Limitless Energy, it says. It explains how solar technology can be used in outer space to transmit power back to Earth. A quote reads, above the Earth, there's no day and no night cycle and no clouds or weather or anything else that might obstruct the sun's rays. So a constant power source is available. And why did it take over 100 years to see this headline? Startup launches world's first long-range wireless power transmission. It says in the article that they developed a wireless power transmission as an alternative to existing copper line technology. Oh, where have we heard this before? Isn't this the same concept that was in development a century ago with Tesla's wireless transmission tower? And one of the biggest reasons it was halted was the threat of replacing profitable copper wires. I'm not sure the energy companies would be pleased to have their system replaced when they're making such record profits at this point. But I certainly hope the company can pull it off and finally push Tesla's dream into existence. And when it comes to converting elements in the atmosphere into energy, etheric energy, if this path were allowed to flourish and all of that information had been out there in the public eye over the last 100 years, imagine how many scientists could have worked on developing this concept like this one that was developed only a few years ago. It's called AirGen. And it was developed to create electrical currents from the water vapors naturally present in the atmosphere. One of the inventors, electrical engineer Jun Yao, was quoted as saying, we're literally making electricity out of thin air. And the air gen generates clean energy 24-7, he said. Now, the most interesting part, though, is that when he goes on to say the ultimate goal is to make large-scale systems. For example, the technology might be incorporated into wall paint that could help power your home. That's a really interesting idea. But it brings to light what a shame it is that we're now just touching on all of these advanced alternative energy ideas, wireless transmission of power, pulling energy from the air, and so on, as if they were all totally new concepts. But this is what happens when energy ideas are silenced throughout the course of history, redacted. I guess I should say better late than never, right? Also with concepts such as placing energy technologies in wall paint and placing solar panels in space that beam down power to supply our energy needs, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what other innovative ideas pop up in this sector. Well, thank you so much for joining us and watching Redacted History. I hope this segment in our series has been an eye-opener for you as it has been for me and how alternative energy sources have been silenced for more than 100 years. And I hope it gave you some food for thought for contemplating the possibilities that could have been in our present day if this suppression had never taken place. Let us know in the comments below if you've heard of any other alternative energy concepts that are on the horizon. 
I read all your comments and I'd be interested to find out what other information you have on this topic. We'll see you in the next Redacted History. Or you can subscribe and join our daily live show here every day at 4 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you next time. That was good. The details. You're good. You're good. <laughs> yes, we're good. Um, all right. So... We want to do the next thing on uh, on the um, mermaids, Rama. Mermaids. Okay. Let me see. When something like that gets put up, put out in such a much well, well detailed and refined program we're going to get a change (laughs) oh my alright this is called the other side shadows of mermaids folklore legends and myths have an important role in society for the Atakwas people. Folklore legends are myths that have an important role in society, especially for the, oh, okay, it's the same sentence again, Atakwas people of the Shadowlands. Anton Rotz, R-O-E-T-Z, describes his introduction to the culture and the stories of mermaids residing in the waterhole. <clears throat> While Poem Mooney discusses the importance of tribal storytelling, and Jarolo Mongo reveals a hidden cave with ancient paintings of mermaids. Again, this is with Anton Rotz. Poem Mooney and Jarolo Mungo. This is 24 minutes. Did you get it, Rama? Yeah. All right, let's do this. Here we go.
are stories told. Some encounters are more mysterious than others. Mystical beings, from mermaids to giants. There are clues throughout history that cannot be ignored. Often, there is proof that confirms the presence of these beings. And sometimes, there is only folklore, legend and myth. Mystical beings from the other side. So if you ask me the question, if I believe in the water families, I believe in it. Because the elderly people, their stories are so real and so realistic. And we listen to that stories from generation to generation. And today I'm in the front line of the new generation. And I must also tell those stories to the people and the new generations because it comes from, you know, from the heart of the people that used to tell us those stories. My family moved here in 2013. The name Shadowlands basically was used by the previous owner. Like very good friends of ours, he thought of, dreamed of retiring on the farm. And pity that within a couple of months after moving here, he got cancer and then he died on the farm here. The actual name Shadowlands comes from where we are at the moment in my life and where the previous owner were in the Shadowlands of our lives. We are towards the end of our life. When we arrived here, we heard all kinds of stories about the water hole on the farm. Some horrible stories and some intriguing stories. The water hole behind you is, is intriguing. Um, we are in the middle of worst drought in human history. It's now been six and a half years with no rain, with no water, no water flow in the Kamanasi. When we arrived here, we heard about the story about the water hole being part of the culture of these Poisson people. And... Uh, didn't really notice it. And when a drought hit in, all the water disappears. It is so dry that even the baboons are dying at the moment. And still there is water in this hole behind me. And the cave on the top of the mountain there, there's always been water dripping. And, and, and again, so some people must have known this is a place where they can come and fill their water bottles or whatever, the eggs, whatever they use. And as I said, now after almost eight years now, the water hole is just as full as it has been eight years ago. In many cultural groups across Africa, water and rain law is important. Indigenous tribes like the Atakwas have generations thick with stories relating to water, rich folklore and tales about mer-beings and water families. 250 million years ago, the area was completely underwater, and when it receded, a sacred place was left behind. A valley with water holes where mountain springs trickle and mermaids are believed to have sought sanctuary. One of these water holes is right here at Shadowlands. I met Pumuni, and Pumuni is the chief of the Atakwas 
um, tribal youth in this area. And to tell you where, how we met is difficult. I cannot really remember, but over nine years now, we've been really been good friends. And, and although we've got vast different backgrounds and cultures, we've got one thing in common and our bond, and that is to tell stories. And life is about telling stories. That's how people in the past taught their children. And we, I love telling stories. I, in the beginning, didn't know he's a chief. I just know him as a good storyteller and as a, as a person that's passionate for his tribe and for his past. The Sun people, especially the Atakwas, dream about the cultural center on this farm, a place where they can nurture their beliefs and their past. Wisdom, culture, and history are passed down through stories, a map to one's past and one's future beliefs. Mer beings and water families are part of this oral history. They have existed in legends, myth, and folklore for centuries. They are sacred. Coming up next, we meet Pum Mooney, an Atiqua chief and storyteller who can tell you many tales of mermaids in the area surrounding Shadowlands. Join us as we journey with him to the other side. My name is Pum Mooney. Pum is only a nickname. My actual uh, name is... And I'm chief of the Atakwas. The Atakwa Khoisan people that live between the Utaniko and the Swadberg Mountains. I'm sitting on Shadowlands, the farm of Anton Roots. I usually come here before because I am interested in the water hole on the farm. Because in that water there lives a mermaid. You know, I don't like the word mermaid. It sounds too uh, uh, English. She's a water, the water mate. And she was happy with that mate. She swam from the one water hole in the Kamanasi up to the water hole at Shadowlands to Colored Door, around every water hole there. Thousands and thousands of stories about the mermaid. The other day, uh, one of my friends asked me, but where is she now? We haven't seen her. They say, you won't see her. Because of the the, the, the people that come to live here, eh, there was such a lot of noise because the farms get nearer and nearer to the water. The, the tractors and the lorries and the sound of children and of people, it, it, it scared them so much. And over the years, she only comes out for a little while and then she goes back into the water and then all of a sudden, she disappeared. And after we do a thorough research, we went to the water hole and I, I can show you the portal where she went through from this world into another world. And you know what that means to me? We are on this earth only for a time. And then day after that, we will also go from this world to another world. We want to bring her back by telling all the wonderful stories about the mermaid of the little Karoo. 
tribes like the Atakwa, word is bond. Whispers spoken around campfires by elders. Stories are sacred and hold immense weight. While we are here, I will read the poem to you. Die rook laat in die wande in die hoorkranse. Wat die donker neerslag achterlaat, getuig van staanvieren in die aande. En die mense wonen steeds oor die onverklaarbare, die mysterie, die kringe om die maan. En op die watervlakke van elke diepstil donker poel. Die geheime waterwezens wat in talle watergate skuil in die olifants, die kamenasi, die trake en die sandervire. Want in die kleinkaro en kanneland word die mooiste stories oor en oor verhaal van die vrou wat in die water is, al vrou, al vis. Die echo's die in die kraans sit, is samen met die roffeling van tromme weerklink in die aande, teen die rante en die roesrooi skanse, vertel die mooiste verhalen van die watervrou en haar familie. En teen fasade van die kranse, opgebouw en saamgeklonter, word die jewels geleidelik saans verdonker, klei en klip, sand en steen bewaar vandag nog elke been van skulp en bok en vis, en vernoude skere in die klove, wat jaloers waak oor die water gaan. Savens hoor ons hoe die rite steen, Luister ons na die skrilge kriek, hoor ons hoe die paras kwaak oor die vrou wat in die water is, al vrou, al vis, en om die kosmaak vier bedags, hoor ons die oerouwe stories in die rietese gebeef, in die ritseling van die wind, gewaar ons hoe die water leef, as die... What's he saying, Rama? He's talking about the, this one particular mermaid that's half woman, half fish. And he's describing how she comes and goes. Okay, well, I'm not sure if he's going to yeah. talk English anytime soon. <laughs> I hope. All right, let's keep going. Hoe is tot gestal te kom, met die roffeling van trommel. Gewaar ons hoe die trommelaar die stories reverteer van die vrouw, wat in die water is, Half vrou, half vis. Ervaar ons hoe die ritme en die klanke van die trommelaar versnel. Hoor ons die voetgetrappe van die inheemse mense. Ervaar ons die danse van hulle, wie die stoes ken, van die vreemde vrou, wat in die water swem. Ons luister na die lied van haar, wie in die water is. Die vreemde vrou. Half mens, half vis. En onder daar die hoogkrans wat sachies in die sonlig glans. Hoor ons hoe die rite prewel. Sy is nog hier. Sy is nog hier. What did he say now? He's talking about how she, um, how she's on a, how she's on a high cliff that glitters softly in the sunshine. Oh. And it's hard to... 
Hulle praat van haar rondom die vier. Hulle roep haar met een vreemde vrolijkheid. Daar kom sy uit die water uit. Hulle lok haar met een nieuwe lied oor haar wie in die water is. Die vreemde vrouw. Half mens, half vis. Langs waterstrome omring met oerplante speel die vrou uitbindig in die diepte. Swem sy dier een skeur na een onbekende wereld onderdeer die water waar sy met elke watergeest ker jakker die vrou wat in die water is. Haar vrou, haar vis. This is the um, the Kamenas River that goes past us. The whole the bottom there is the portal Pum talks about. And he will tell you the story about the portal. And I think as we're going to walk closer there, everyone will know and we'll, we'll actually feel the presence around this water. There is something there. At the moment, we've got all this water. And it's a massive piece of water layer and it's not usable. It is completely, completely um, salty. It's gone salty after eight years. So, again, the, the, the indigenous people here would have known about that hole in the mountain there. Because even now, you can go in there, there's still green algae in there. And that is fresh water. That is not the salty water bottom. That hole on top there must have been a watering hole for many, 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 many thousands of years. Yeah. It was like a fountain. It's like a fountain. It was like a fountain. Yeah. Well, there was okay. And that basically where the top hole, if, if, you, if you look at the top hole, which is now the fountain, the bottom hole at the bottom there, that is more the portal Pum will tell you about. The top hole was the old watering hole for all the sand people, basically. There's a lot of stories that, that hides in the cliffs and the, the mountains and the voorlopers, the uitlopers. There's lots of stories. Boom, can I ask you to tell them a story about the, the fish? Yeah. Waar as hy nou, as jy kyk hierdie rots hiervoor, ne? as al jy sien, dit lyk soos a fish, die rots hy onder die bek en hy so by die oog, die boekant, Dit was eindelijk die vis wat moes waak oor die water gaat en oor die watermeid en haar families. Maar op een dag, toe raak die vis aan die slaap en dit laat die watermeid op van mense wat haar kon benadeel. En toe, terwijl, terwijl sy kyk na die vis, toe kom daar uh, as amper net soos een veertje uit die water uit. Kom die veertje uit die water uit met die mens. You got either there that or turn the sound all the way down so we can hear you. What? Um, he's talking about how the mermaid fell asleep. A fairy came out of the water with a magic wand. Magic wand. And she swayed the magic wand where I was and she said, she shall verstehen, she shall verstehen, 
je zal versteen. En sierat dien leidde hij voor daar. Hij is heel te mal versteen. Dat was zijn straf, omdat hij niet die water mee beschermen kon. Somebody got turned to stone for not protecting the mermaid. Oh dear. Why? Yeah. Existed for centuries, from portals to other dimensions. Shamans who would call upon the rains, fairies who turn fish into rocks, and a water bead, half woman, half fish. What if there was more than just stories? Actual proof carved into walls from years past. Coming up next, we meet Jarolo, who reveals a hidden cave with ancient paintings of mermaids. Join us as we journey with him to the other side. where you can watch the the mermaid you are well known to this area so you can t- you can show them the mermaid rock art yes we have found it a few years ago so uh, we used to come and show our guests this one but we want to keep it a secret because lots of people they uh, destroy this kind of history I know something about dead dot paintings The dot paintings is like when one group was staying here. So they leave a message for the next group that is coming to tell them that they don't need to worry about water. So here is water close by. But there are some different paintings and different art that they are using to, to, to leave messengers for those who are coming and for the next generation or for the future people. Then there's the the mermaid, the circle. Yes, the circle of the mermaid. The mermaid. Some of some of the, the, the people they don't want to relate to the stories about the mermaid. They call it the the soft people. When you walk on a day like this today, and the sun is shining outside, you will see the swallows will fly into this cave. They call it the, the swift people. They fly in at the high speed and they fly out at the high speed. But we that grew up in this area, we know that it's a sign that the water made was here. And you can see there's even a, a, a subtle portrait of the shaman in the background. You see? Where, the, where, the, where he, he goes out of his normal body. So if you ask me the question, 
if I believe in, 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 in the water families, I believe in it. That is why when I approach the river, I will use, I will always throw a pebble into the water or a tucky, yeah? a, a, a rose or something like that or a piece of the reed. I throw it over my shoulder and you can hear how it plunge into the river. See? And then I feel free and I feel secure Then I walk in there. I will even put my finger in the mud and I will put a cross on my forehead and everything will be calm. So the lady in the water or the water family, they they uh, they accept you yes. to be in their presence. It's same like when you walk into someone else's home. You must yeah. first knock. You can't just go in. Thank you for that one, my brother. Yeah, you same understand like, it quite clearly. Same like Mr. Pum now. I told him when we come up, he must first yeah. uh, ask for us to come in here. Yeah. Because this is not our place we have. Just come here and look. So we have to ask to come here and see these things. This is our heritage, you know. If you wipe it out, we will never ever see it again and We'll never ever be able to talk about the first people that were here. We must believe in what the elderly people told us. They informed us that uh, they they really uh, meet the mermaid and so on. So that story goes from generation to generation. And I don't want to... Uh, uh, to mess with the stories of the elderly people. That is that is part of our oral history. And and, 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 and and I'm busy writing it now so that people for generations to come uh, will come to grips with how our people love. They were very spiritual people. And that's what our new generation has totally forget or didn't learn or most of the information is turned. It's not like it was back in the day. That is the portal. And she went from this uh, uh, big waterhole through that portal to another world. And you know, that is what's going to happen to all of us at the end of our lives. We will leave this earth and we will go through a portal from this world into another world. The Khoisan and Atapua are one of thousands of tribes and cultures to have stories of mystical beings in mysterious places. Ancient paintings and depictions that cross cultures scattered throughout Africa and the world, giving us a glimpse into the past. Traditionally, the mermaid is a symbol of both destruction and creation, a symbol of the feminine life force. If they were to live anywhere, the Karoo is a place that could not suit them more. So the question remains, were and are there mermaids in the Karoo?
journey there to where was that, Rama? Uh, the Shadowland, somewhere in Africa, near this waterhole where the mermaids come. And to this day, I'm sure the mermaids still come there. So we don't exactly know where in that they great big continent, huh? There's paintings. They showed actual paintings of the mermaids with the, you know, human body and the fish tail. And I'm sure it's all real. I, I remember um, helping the merman and the mermaids in the temple of whales and dolphins in Atlantis. Yet some of the pieces of the puzzle are still missing. <laughs> My memory isn't fully intact with all of that. Well, I think the veil is getting lifted Yes. Much, much more these days. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to read Caroline's message, and then we'll complete the show tonight by be, uh, doing a beginning part. Uh, did you find what the name of it is, Rama? Oh, something... It's uh, it's UFO a god or something like that. Or it's god. a three-hour piece of this. Well, this family, but the father of the family was contacted first by the ETs. By the ETs, and they were hanging out in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, and, and the FBI and the CIA and everybody else got involved. Yeah, it's quite a story. Yeah. Well, just. Do as much time as we have of it tonight, and then we'll finish it up another night. But um, I got a fucking good. Yeah. Well, you look for it, honey. While I read, I'll just read Caroline's piece here. Okay. Got a bit to say, and it's pretty much like what's going on right now with us. Here, a message to lightworkers, January 18th, 2024. Okay. This week's guidance from the ascent, did you find it? Yeah. What's it called? UFO of God. Really? Yeah. Three hours? Uh huh. Well, we're not going to start it now. No. I'm going to read this. Okay, you got it queued, and we'll just go there. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is the week's guidance for the Ascended Masters, Angels, Archangels, Star Nation families, Earth Elements, Fae Elders, Angelic Legions, and other light beings known as the Collective today from Lady Master Joan of Arc. All right. <laughs> so Caroline says, hello, friend. So many of us now are asking how how it is that this all-powerful light and higher sound vibrations can be flowing in from the sun and have been for a while. Yet we are left feeling helpless to shift certain things in the world. So, we are leaning into the new earth, calling in new realizations and healing, a clearing of dense energy in our own lives. And meanwhile, we are seeing scenes of destruction in different parts of the world. 
and wondering if we are looking at five words you pronounce wrong two years turn the sound all the way down if you're going to do something like that and meanwhile we are seeing scenes of destruction in different parts of the world and and wondering if we are looking out on another earth from the one we feel is coming forward now, now so I'm asking the collective to address this gap between what we are seeing or experiencing outwardly and what we feel to be higher reality on the planet now the message is an excerpt from the one they offered this past Sunday for an online spiritual service at the wonderful Hope Interfaith Center in Mankato, Minnesota. I'll put the page here. It answers this question that so many of us have been asking. The collective first placed everyone in the white flame of the divine feminine, as similar to the violet flame of Saint Germain. It cleanses and transmutes lower vibrations to far higher ones. And at last week's message came from and as last week's message came from Ascended Master Saint Joan of Arc, she also steps forward to speak with us here. And the collective says, Greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to speak with you today, as always. And so, we look at the question of peace, and when will it happen? And how is it that so much powerful light is pouring onto the planet, and yet it looks worse on the planet? It looks as if things are a bit desperate. And yes, one desires peace as light bearers. All of you greatly desire it. Many of you are peace warriors. Peace warriors in the sense that you are anchoring powerfully, planting into the earth all these absolutely beautiful new rays of light and sound vibration that have to do with peace and also not just prosperity outwardly, rather an abundance of the spirits. An abundance of the heart-mind, which is what you all greatly desire. And so, you are a little bit stuck between worlds at the moment. You have this beautiful higher aspect, this higher mind and high heart, that is constantly reaching toward what you remember of the higher realms and how life just flowed there. You've got this beautiful aspect that just desires that everything be peaceful. It can be very, very easy to go into this does not compute moment, as our writer would say, this sort of cognitive dissonance that says the earth is really of a very low vibration. I don't know why I'm here. I'm tired of this. Where's Nasara Law? Where's our galactic friends? I am just going to wait until that happens. Turn the page. Oh, my. Now, 95% of your energies are not given, given to waiting. They are incredibly active. And each of you, in your sleep state, as you travel in the etheric, 
absolutely. You are out on the ships, meaning those starships, everybody. You're in inner earth. You're multi-locating to different places on the earth. You're working with the beautiful crystalline energy grid. You're assisting in dismantling the dark matrix. There are a number of matrices, yet you're very happily helping to dissolve the dark one. You're awakening and reactivating sacred sites all over the world. There are pyramids everywhere, some of them underground. There are ziggurats. They kind of look like a pyramid, but they are flat on the top. And you're reactivating these because these are sort of like heliports. Ships land on them. And you're spotting the ships. Might be in your dream state. You might not even remember. You're absolutely connected with so many beautiful beings all over this cosmos. There are great portals in the sun. Beautiful ships are coming in. Through these, as the white knights of the Ashtar Command have assured us. And we can tell you, absolutely, the sun being a sort of stargate, these port, those portals, those openings are there. Ships are coming in from other galaxies, as well as from this one. They are here to assist. Many are assisting those who are harmed in scenes of natural disaster, war, various conflicts, and other Issues from which one might feel watching the news. Oh, this is a terrible situation. Yet we wish to reassure you and we wish to reassure the planet. You are never alone. And, and that you are absolutely supported. These are your soul families. You can call them star families. That's fine. Yet you are star beings also and you are on this earth as you connect with your loving soul families as a representative of their mission and your own individual mission now let's just draw in working energetically all of the beautiful spirit teams as you are still in that beautiful white flame of the divine feminine to transmute that heaviness that we all have carried at one point or another so we're going to ask the spirit teams of everyone as we're on this beautiful theme of new beginnings new earth what would be the next theme to address your ones and now we're all listening and then uh, get an answer here yes all right they're pointing out the situation in lahaina in maui in hawaii and the fires there which most of you know were deliberately set. The idea being to chase out the native or the Kanaka, the folk who are indigenous to this area and who have been there for a very, very long time, and to steal their property, of course. And other land. And they are pointing out that how it appeared on the surface. That's how it appeared on the surface. What is actually happening energetically in terms of what is happening on Maui and Hawaii as a whole 
is that it's regaining its connection to ancient Lemuria. Which is why those islands exist, the last bit of Lemuria, and perhaps a few other islands here and there, which basically are uninhabited. Yet at any rate, it is reclaiming its Lemurian roots, and it is also in a time of purification. Fire is an alchemical sign of transmutation and purification. Now, people might well say, isn't there a calmer, nicer way to go about it Mm. without anyone having to leave the earth, leave their body, lose their home? Mm -hmm. We would say, and the spirit teams are saying, yes, there are calmer ways. And yet humanity as a whole has allowed in the more shocking aspects of transmutation. Because in those moments, instead of a slow burn, it's a very great, powerful, instantaneous release. And that may sound to be to be too much. It may sound like, oh, it's dreadful. It's too big to accept. Understandable. And as far as people leaving the planet in various parts of the world that have seen extreme flooding or fire or in Palestine, what you, what have you, any country, Ukraine, Russia, etc. As far as people leaving the planet, just be assured this is their path. They came in for their own reasons to experience a life in these places and then to experience a release back into the etheric. And one cannot judge. Again, do your best to release judgment, even if situations in which so many leave. They are moving into their other timelines, or they are moving sometimes into other galaxies, or they are in the higher realms and assisting Earth from here, from there, and doing a powerful and beautiful job. Some are on the ships. Some have been brought up onto the ships. Many of those who cannot physically be found, and they can come back when they're ready, or as they wish to, as it's safe to do so, or as they wish to remain on the ships, that's fine. Yet the point being, that no one has really been abandoned, dear ones. Offering. So let's just send this beautiful healing light, this emerald green ray of healing from beautiful Lord Raphael and his team. And they are here with us. And we will revert to comments from Joan of Arc in a moment. We're going to bathe the whole earth in not only this beautiful white flame of the divine feminine, rather also in the emerald green ray of healing. Particularly in those places where people are suffering. There's not enough food or water. They're homeless. They're frightened. There's nowhere safe. Mm. Sending just so much love and support to these dear ones. Even though they signed up for that path, we want to support them on that path. There are no accidents, even in this tumultuous earth life. Now, the spirit teams are reporting, and St. Joan likewise pointing out, these powerful solar rays 
coming in right now, and each of you are planting those rays into the earth, planting those rays into the earth, anchoring that new reality into the earth. Yet those rays are plasmatic. They are the essence of life energy. They are cleansing. They are renewing. They are shifting the DNA of humanity to move into a much higher level, a much, much higher level. In other words, ascension is occurring for those still here. <laughs> what are those little beings, Rama? Mm-hmm. What kind of? Oh, I think the. I forgot what. The mercats. Mercats? I don't know. Sure, exactly. They're really something, but anyway, some have already ascended, and there's just this beautiful ringing sound, a beautiful intonation. Very like as you hear someone with a Tibetan bowl and they're making it sing a bit. That is the ringing, that beautiful sound. And then there there are quieter, fuller sound vibrations coming in. And every cell in your being, every particle of your spirit, all of your energy bodies are responding to these sound vibrations. They are being held forth and being magnified by the cetaceans, all the dolphins and whales, the beautiful whale family. They are being magnified and held forth by all the crystals and certain minerals in the earth's crust and deep within the earth, including the crystalline energy grid. The ley lines have awakened. The sacred sites are in communication with one another telepathically. Be a sound vibration. Wonderful. And they are pointing out as well that the light pouring in not only holds a higher vibration, it holds what people call light codes. And these are like minuscule, tiny, and yet huge, in another sense, libraries of higher information, higher wisdom, higher knowing, information from your spirit team, from the angelics. There are solar light angels pouring onto the planet. Many, many more angels now and legions of angels. Many millions pouring onto the planet to assist in this beautiful transformation. All is not lost, dear ones. Um, And the reason you see the old power crowd scrambling to put so many levers at once is because, or to pull so many levers at once, is because they know they're finished. They are done. Yes, there are cargo ships, as the White Knights have mentioned. There are huge cargo ships now. There will be no World War III. There will be no perpetual war that we've had for so long. And there will be no World War III. There will be no deployment of nuclear weapons. As there were, they would be, they would have been taken out into space and deployed, imploded, imploded there where they wouldn't hurt anyone. And the Ashtar Command already managed once, as the Ashtar Command already managed once, a lot more than once, I would think. And that wasn't supposed to happen on this timeline. You are now on a higher vibrational Earth timeline, heading straight into fifth dimension. Now, 
something we would love, dear ones, is for you to image your heart's opening. They have been a little close because of so many earth lives in which you have suffered. Yeah. This is the bedrock of your new beginning in the new earth is opening the heart. Coming out of judgment, coming out of the personal preference that nearly every human on the earth, almost without exception, the person preference, personal preference for, well, they hurt me. Well, I'm still angry about that. And well, I never felt I belonged in my family. You weren't going to belong in that family. You're too full of light. You belong to a higher family. You belong to a soul family. And you're reuniting with them in your sleep state every moment. Yet your child self didn't always remember that. Even though they could see the angels and the beautiful galactic visitors in the room, they didn't always remember as one got older, particularly into adolescence and things seemed so hard. This has been a very, very low vibrational place, 3D Earth. Just imagine that heart opening. If you want to open your hearts, if you don't image very easily, then do that to indicate the heart opening. Open the heart and just see all this light pouring forth. Like when you open your door and there's a ton of light pouring forth. You might image walking into that room or that huge space now that you've opened that door. Uh, as you do that, you connect with everything in this universe that is made of light or catapulting itself forward into even greater light. There are powerful waves of light flowing through your universe right now. Impossible to stop that flow. Impossible to ignore. Impossible to not be affected. Now, you are not losing your humanity. We are picking up from people's subconscious. Am I going to fade into the etheric? Am I no longer a person on the earth? Will I not feel the earth beneath my feet once I ascend? No worries there. You are still very much in an earth life. You are just starting to remember fully who you are. Everyone's soul we're going to call upon now. Bringing in that beautiful higher self energy into the body and more light from the soul. More power and empowerment. You are reclaiming your full self, your authentic self. This is how you plant, you plant new earth, dear ones. Individuals holding light, meeting as this in a beautiful community, also holding light, magnifying one another's light, magnifying the love you have for each other and yourselves and the earth. And say now, inwardly or say aloud, I now begin to remember my earth mission and why I am here. I now remember I am an ambassador of light, come to plant light into this earth. 
And Joan of Arc is here with us. St. Joan is here working with each of you. Most beautifully, she is saying, lay down your weapon. So, put that sword down and put that shield down as well. We see many of you who were powerful warriors in other lives realizing I cannot use my warrior capability that prowess without going into judgment or anger. You will sense energy. You will sense others' movements. And as it's going to be a dark action or intent, you will be out in front of that, sending them light, letting them know. You cannot turn me away from this path. And as you send me dark intent, it's just going to bounce off of me. And I will love you anyway. Lady Master, Joan of Arc, is saying, the path of now is in the air. It's etheric. And the old methods of dealing with things physically just doesn't go as far as it used to. That's not the earth you're on now. So yes, you're already beginning this beautiful higher earth, this beautiful 5D existence. It is not only a new earth, it's a high vibrational one. All of you, purely with your presence, you're raising it up. The perfect thing to do in any situation, as you feel a bit stuck or lost, is to send a ton of light to that situation, but also love and thank it. Thank the illness. Thank the traffic jam. (laughs) Thank the crazy neighbor who is way out, way too loud. Thank the person in the shop who is very rude. Smile and refuse to engage on that level. Even though the ego mind says, oh, you've got to fight. Because hundreds of lives, dear one, once have been spent in fight or flight or freeze or fawn. You have had your survival tactics, your survival skills right in place. And this is completely understandable because it was a 3D D earth. Yet look at what you're doing now. With all this beautiful love and all this beautiful light, you're spanning that gap. You have bridged it. You are walking across the beautiful bridge, that beautiful bridge, and you are connecting worlds. Turn the page. Almost done. Oh, look at that beautiful waterfall. I wonder where that is. Hmm. We're just going to send an ocean wave of higher blue light. And this is the blue ray of Archangel Michael, who is amongst us, of course. That is for divine justice. And then the rose ray of the divine feminine, Kuan Yin, Mary, mother of Yeshua. And that is for the divine love and divine neutrality. Yes. Just as a mother loves her children, even as they act up, even as they're destructive and and enraged, that love never wavers. Likewise, you love your love for the earth and all her people. 
even in the midst of terrible struggle, that is still there. And that wave of higher energy will continue for as long as you wish, as long as you shall allow. So let me send much love and many blessings as always. Honored to be part of this absolutely beautiful community that is anchoring so much light into this new earth. Blessings for the year ahead and for the era ahead. Namaste. Namaste. Alrighty, Rama. Are we ready to do this uh, with the time we have left? We have uh, an, an hour and 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll do something at the end, right? Maybe a roomy this time. Oh, you got another one to play? Oh, well, then that's... Oh, okay. So we'll stop in enough time and do that at the end? Is that what you want to do? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, tell everybody what the name of this is, and we're going to get started, and we're going to listen to a little bit of It's a three-hour piece, but it's very interesting. We'll just do as much time as we need now and continue it next time we get mm-hmm. together. Uh, NASA forbidden alien study finds proof of spiritual beings. Chris and Emily Bledsoe. Here we go. Did you say NASA did this? Mm-hmm. Whoops. Rama? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Turn it all the way up. Yeah, I gotta stop it. Here we go. Thank you so much for coming down here and doing this. Uh, it's an honor and I'm um, very grateful for you guys spending the time and we timed it perfectly with your birthday and we had a, uh, quite an amazing experience last night on the beach. Yeah. So what, what was it we were seeing last night on the beach? Uh, that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. Um, it's also the first time I've ever stared at the sky for that long, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there was a lot of air traffic. We could see a lot of planes flying around. We could tell what they were. There was obviously a, uh, a very dense highway of airplanes landing in Tampa that were coming off the beach. But, um, there were some things that we saw that were definitely not airplanes, uh, that were moving in weird directions with the lights bright, getting very bright and then going very dim to where we couldn't see them anymore. What were those orbs? Well, they were the orbs, and, and the question of what are they is uh, it's an ongoing study. That's uh, of research that we're all trying to figure out. It would have been much closer, but I think all the traffic and the population from the beach kind of makes it more shy. Yeah. So to sort of give you an introduction, Chris, uh, out of – all the people that I've talked to involved in this phenomenon, I have a lot of people on the podcast before uh, who have spoken about it and studied it for years. And it seems to be the consensus that you are one of the most, if not the most credible person that has ever experienced this phenomenon. Uh, as I told you earlier, my friend Andy Bustamante, who was here a couple of weeks ago, 
was telling me that through all of his experience filming that show that he was doing for History Channel, the Beyond Skinwalker show, the night that he spent with you witnessing those orbs in the sky, uh, out of everything else, he said that was the one thing that stuck out with to him the most. And it was the one thing that was truly unexplainable and real at the same time. Hey, guys, I want to ask you a quick favor. Over the last few months, almost 70% of the viewers of this podcast are not subscribed to the channel. The most important common denominator that allows me to keep creating these podcasts every single week is you hitting that subscribe button below the videos. I want to thank every single one of you who watches and supports these podcasts. I would not be able to do it without you. Please hit that subscribe button if you enjoy it. Now back to the show. There's more people in the government and aerospace scientists that seem to be really interested in you. Um, the CIA, DIA, FBI, NRO, and even the Vatican seem to be very interested in you. And they also seem to have their hands in this. Um, so can you go ahead and explain how this whole thing started for you? I mean, I know you've told a bunch of the stories before on, on other podcasts and your book goes through it very well. UFO of God. Incredible book. Thank you. Incredible book. This, um, nearly 17 years ago, uh, we were, um, let's, let's say over 17 years ago. In um, 2006, we had sold a company that um, was was going down the tubes because of the the uh, deserts, not the desert storm, but the 911 attack when it, when they blew up the World Trade Center. I got caught with too many houses for sale. I was a builder contractor and had been successful for nearly 20 years. And building anywhere from 80 to 120 homes a year, my wife and I had a Remax Realty company. She sold them. I built them. But when they, when they destroyed the tower, it locked the Fort Bragg, which is where we live, uh, now called Fort Liberty, I think, but it'll always be Bragg to me. So the, the soldiers quit buying homes. Most everybody did. It just threw the housing market in. And, and two, it was the start of the housing collapse. Uh, it further collapsed in 2008 completely. But, um, I was in a, in a bad way. I was dealing with Crohn's disease and had been for, uh, since I was a young guy in my twenties. And, uh, at that point it started getting worse and worse and worse because stress makes it worse, right? So I had the worst stress trying to hide the fact that I'm shelling out everything I ever owned, money, apartments, was going out the window to try to keep this company, at least to pay the interest on the notes. So we sold the company in 05, and um, I'd had a near-death experience in 04, from being over-medicated. It's in the book. It's a very tragic thing that happened. My doctor died from an overdose that he was on drugs himself, some kind of medication he was taking. And uh, he put 113 people in the hospital, and I was one of them. So that was a severe setback, going through that, along with what I was already dealing with. And that was one reason the company had to be sold. So we let's fast forward to 2000 
and six. Um, along about October, I accepted a job. My dad arranged to go oversee a home, big house on, on the ocean at Holden Beach, North Carolina. Four month long job. It was over by Christmas and, um, we had to finish it up to, to, um, to get paid the last 10% after Christmas on the new year. So I sent the guys back down to the coast to do their job and bring a check back for the retainer. And they did. And this was January the 8th of 2007. They called me and said, we have, uh, we finished the job and we got you a check and uh, we want to celebrate. Can you take us fishing in a day? I said, well, sure, I guess. My wife was out of town with her, or with the rest of the kids. It was just Chris Jr. And, and so they came in, got their checks, brought mine or my dad's actually, and they um, they they went to the bank and came back about 2 o'clock and said, let's go. And so I followed them to their house, picked them up at 2.30, and away we went to the river fishing. And this is how it all started. You know, from uh, uh, the reason I went through this is because it's important. It's one of the most important things in the world for anybody to know about this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 17 years nearly of research that I've been doing. It was uh, it came because I was in the worst suffering way. I was at the bottom ready to give up on life. I was crying out to whoever's up there. You know, help me. Why? I'm 45, 46 years old and I have to, to get free lunches at school now for my children. And just moving out of a million dollar home with a pool in the back. My kids have lived, you know, with that standard for most of their life. So it was a big thing and I was suffering bad from it, crying out to the skies. I'm, I left these guys fishing. I left them fishing about three o'clock. I walked away and, uh, I'm just never did pull out a pole. Um, it was my son and three other guys were sitting on the bank of the Cactus River, a little small river, about 70 yards wide. And I said, I'll see you later. And I walked away up about a quarter mile to the field to where we came across this cornfield. It turned off the paved road, drove right through the middle of this field on a little two road dirt road to to the back side and to the tree line. And when you get to the trees, you go downhill a hundred feet to the river. And when you, before you run into the river, you make a right and parallel the river another eighth of a mile to a cul-de-sac. So it's a quarter mile walk out of that cul-de-sac up to the hill. When I got near the top of that hill, um, I noticed uh, what I thought was the sun setting. It's about five, 10 after 5, 5.15 in the evening in January. So it gets dark, you know, about 5.30. The sun sets. And I'm probably 50 feet from the top of that hill. So I'm looking up at the gate. The gate is up at the top of the hill. Just, but you can't see the field because it's elevated, right? And the higher I got up, the, the, the wider my field of vision became. So I'm looking down at a road that has trees straight up on either side of me, really close. So I had a narrow field of vision. So the closer I got to the top, I saw what I thought was the setting sun. 
And so I look down to take a few more steps because I'm walking through mud and bushes and it's dark, almost dark where I'm at now. And um, four or five more steps up that hill. And that's when the shock came. I began to see a second one instead of this, what I thought was the sun, the top edge of it. When I made a few more steps up, I could see the top edge of two suns. And I knew right then that this wasn't anything from that we had. And the reason I knew that instantly is because I'm commercial rated pilot and I have, uh, have studied it all my life and love it. And I can name every airplane from World War II to today pretty much. And so shock came real quick. I am, um, I'm afraid what I'm looking at. So I dropped to my knees using the heel to hide me from these objects. Thought I was hiding. And so I sat there and I kind of crawled out of the road to the ditch because the weeds were real tall in the ditch. And so I'm buried myself in these weeds and I start crawling, inching up the hill to where I could see. And I peek my head up and they're still there. And I don't know how long I was there standing or sitting, uh, kneeling in these weeds on my knees, you know, using these, uh, this waist high grass and, and what we call reeds or cane, which is down near water wet areas, right? And, um, I begin to ponder everything I'm looking at and my son, he's and these guys behind me fishing. I thought maybe I should get back down to where they are. So I turned my body to point downhill and I'm still hiding. I thought, you know, I've got this hill up above me. I could raise up and I could see them. I lowered down and I couldn't see. So the minute I decided to run, when I made that decision, I was thinking about it. But when I turned my body to, to actually run, I looked back one more time when I stood up to see if they were there. And when I did that, a third one, same thing, same size, 40 foot, 50 foot round, blood red to orange balls of fire. Just what we saw on the water last night. Like one of those looked like it come up out of the water that she found. Yeah. Right. And so the next thing I remember is walking up to the fire, trotting up. They couldn't see me because they're standing around the fire, and it's burnt down to a little campfire now, and we had a big blazing fire there when I left. And they were just standing there, and and I could see them from the fire glowing on them. I didn't have a flashlight, so they didn't know I was coming until I got right up on them. And I said, hey, you won't believe what I just saw at the top of the hill. And they looked at me and said, where have you been? I said, what do you mean, where have I been? I was just up at the top of the hill just 20 minutes ago. And they said, no, you've been going all night. And so I couldn't ponder. I couldn't imagine what they were saying. It just did not connect with me. I argued the fact. No, I've been going 20 minutes. They said, no, we've been looking you all night. And I realized Chris Jr. was missing. And so I kind of freaked out, uh, worried about him because I knew the direction they pointed. He went in the back of the cul-de-sac along the bank of the Cape River, which is real 
uh, rugged and valleys and big trees and um, it's just uh, a place you can get lost real easy and I, he was in there looking for me so I took off immediately and ran to the back of that cul-de-sac shouting for him still not understanding that I've been gone to 20 minutes right I'm to me that's what had just passed and when I found him he was um he was in shock he was laying on his stomach and had backed up under the undergrowth in the back of that cul-de-sac. Wouldn't answer me until I almost stepped on him. I'm trying to get in the woods to, to look for him. No flashlight. And what had happened with Chris Jr. was when about an hour after I was gone, he realized that I should have been back. By now it's dark. So he started bugging the guys. We need to find my dad. Where's he at? So they got in the truck and drove looking for me. Left one guy at the fire and two guys in my truck drove up and down across the field, out on the highway. They went everywhere looking for me. Chris Jr. went on foot into the cul-de-sac because I had actually walked in there for a little while before I went up to the field. And... He had what he saw, what he said he saw was um, he could see all the way down the road, the path from the back of that cul-de-sac to where it turned and went up the hill. So he had a good probably a quarter mile view of that road and the trees grow over the road. So it's like a tunnel, you know, you mm-hmm. come through real thick stuff. And while he was looking at me, he saw a red ball of light, like an orb. He described two red balls of light across the road, way up about a, you know, a little less than a quarter mile. And they went in on the riverside. So he ran back to the fire, which is toward the orbs, right? He had to run back toward them. And they were sitting on the bank. So the, the road parallels the river and they're part of the way ahead of him on the right, right on the bank. So he runs up there and he tells them what he saw. And they were like, don't kid around, you know, you know, don't, what are you doing, Junior? They took it as a joke, right? Grown man saying, you're messing with us, Junior. Don't mess with us. So he runs back to the back of the cul-de-sac again, looking for me. And he sees these same two balls of light come out of the riverside now, back out in the road. And here they come to towards him. So he began to back, hide. He tried to hide. So he backs himself up under this shrub. So around the field, if you're familiar with uh, in our area and, and even here, the edges of any field is really thick undergrowth. You got all this thick stuff. Once you get in the forest, it opens up, right? So he's trying to hide under this thick stuff. And what he described when I was walking him back to the fire was that these two balls of light, came all the way to him. The closer he got, the more he got afraid. Then he started hiding, and they got about 15, 20 feet from him, and there were two little beings about three feet tall that had red glowing eyes. So they looked like individual orbs when you saw them, but when they were closer, two, two little eyes about this big. And um, he couldn't shout. He couldn't scream. He was paralyzed the whole time. He was laying there just afraid. And so I took him back to the fire. And funny thing was, these guys were freaked out now. 
they were really freaked because what I was talking about, I'd seen up at the top of the hill. What Chris Jr. is talking about now, it got them even more distressed. Suddenly, one of the guys shouts, look. And we all look up to the the heavens, and it looked like eight or nine stars or orbs like you saw last night. These big, they were white, that were glowing huge and white. And they just went around in circles and like they were chasing one another and they'd go out and they'd come back together. And then three of them landed in front of us about 75 yards away across the river. And that's when pandemonium set in. And we ran, left the poles in the water, coolers, everything they had, we just left it. Jumped in my truck and took off out of there. And when we got back to the top of the hill where I was looking, you know, I was hiding. Well, those same three orbs are sitting there. Two of them are in the same spot. But the third one that appeared and came down is now on the road in front of us. It's just about 150 yards away between us and the highway. And we couldn't drive forward. We didn't want to go back because we just left three on the riverbank. And so you can imagine the fear that was in, in my truck. My son... He was in bad shape. These three guys were freaked out bad. But the weird thing, Danny, was I wasn't afraid anymore. I'd lost all my fear somehow. Um, I was curious. I wanted to get out and walk up to it. But they won't have no part of that. And that was one weird thing I couldn't figure out is, is it took my fear away. I was afraid when I first went up and saw it and to run down the hill. But as it appeared again, I was mesmerized. I wasn't afraid, but they were terrified. There there was everything happening from crying to this is the last time I see my family. Please get me home. They started fighting who was going to go home first. It's all in the book. But that's how it all started in 2007. So after this experience and you guys started driving the truck home, there was there anything else that happened after you got home? How far away did you live from the river? How long of a drive was it? Okay. Um, that was only the beginning when we got to the field. Now we're sitting up in my truck, five of us, with this object sitting in the road, halfway to the road, and two up over the road. And suddenly we heard three gunshots. We don't know who was shooting. Mufon and everybody investigated that. They went around the neighborhoods looking for witnesses and they found eight different witnesses. How Bob and Meyer from NASA found and, and interviewed eight different people that saw it that night. They were sitting on the porch when they flew over or whatever. So, um, after the gunshots, these, this, uh, object in the road, it just, it's not sitting on the road. It's hovering five feet off the road. It's about 40 to 50 foot long. It looks like an egg or it looks like if you took a round ball or let's say a raindrop and you set it on the ground and it just kind of flattens out, kind of egg shape. It's the orbs around in the sky, but when it's sitting on the ground, it looks like a football and it just pivots it don't turn, it don't lean, it just pivot straight at us, and here it comes down the road to us. So it goes right over our truck about 
50 feet above the truck. I could have shot it with a slingshot through the sunroof of my truck when it went over. And it pivots again to the north and then blasts off like a gunshot at poof. I took, I took off. Couldn't go fast enough for these guys. They were screaming, yelling. Um, halfway down that road to the, to the first house we had to stop two and a half miles away. Halfway in there is this curve, this really sharp curve, dead man's curve. I grew up that curve. Everybody in our community knew about that curve. And uh, it was so sharp. If you try to go around it more than 35, the car just bound up. You could feel it it's on the edge of losing control. And um crazy thing is, is in 2000, and, um, shoot, 1982, 81, I was married to a different lady that died, she died in that curve. And I found her of all the weird things. I I wasn't home, I was at the coast and I came home and drove up on her after she'd turned the car over and wrecked, killed her right there. So this uh, orb, huge thing, was hovering right over where she got killed. And we had to drive up under it and I tried to get out. I wanted to get out and look at it. And they won't have another part of it. So we had to move on. But what it did, the reason I brought this up, is what it did, it spoke to me in a way that I understood. And, and these images went right in my head. And I relived the whole thing that happened that night in 82. And it, it said, don't worry anymore. This is not your fault because I had thought it was my fault and I should have been there, but I wasn't. I was out of town hunting that day with my father. And so I'd carried that for all those years, this feeling of guilt. And it was removed that night right away. And so I had to put that in there because it's really important to understand the phenomenon. And I don't like to talk about this, but if people are going to understand it, how it reacts, it reacts based on emotion, suffering. Thousands of people reach out to me about this and they'll all say the same thing. When they started seeing it, they lost a family member. They lost their husband, their wife, the child. Pretty severe suffering brings them. And this is something everybody that studies this is aware of. So, um, we left there, never stopped, never stopped. We were down to about 10 miles an hour. I was trying to hit the brake. They were pounding on my seat, go. And so I hit the gas, ended up having to go four miles further and take the furthest guy home first because they were fighting who got to go home first. Dropped him off, came back, and dropped the other two guys off. And then on our way home, we went the long way because we didn't want to go back under that same curve where that orb was set and my son didn't want any part of it. So anyhow, we get to the house. Chris Jr. is running through the house, locking every door, turning every light on inside, outside. And he would 
He would go in the bathroom even with no windows. He'd turn the light on and lock the door. He was that afraid. I was in my study trying to find anything on TV. We just knew we were being invaded the whole world. You know, that's what we thought. And I couldn't find anything. It was just a normal night, you know, and it was the weirdest thing. We couldn't compute what had just happened and nothing's going on on television. And so when Chris gets all his lights locked and doors locked and lights on the whole house, he runs back to where I'm at and, and uh, suddenly the dogs start going crazy. My dad lived next door. He had 15 hound dogs in a kennel. He'd raised them all his life. He'd let up upwards of a hundred dogs at one time, 104. So he's always raised dogs, right? So I know their sounds. I know their different barks and suddenly this whole pen full of dogs is barking in a, in a fearful way. They were scared and I knew it. The way they were sounding. Anybody would have detected they didn't know what they were seeing, but they were, they were all going, you know, loud mouths. Hound dogs really are very loud. Mm. So imagine 15 of them all at one time, just this terrible, fearful sound. About a year ago, I started working with this company called Merrick Health, and I wanted to get a comprehensive breakdown of what was going on inside my body, from my vitamin levels to my lipid levels to my hormone levels, etc. Using the most elaborate and cutting-edge testing on the market, they were able to advise me on a new diet, sleep, training, and supplement protocol designed to maximize performance and support longevity. I tell all my friends about Merrick Health because you simply cannot get this level of knowledge or attention to detail from a general practitioner who sees up to 50 patients per day. Plus, insurance companies regularly deny progressive treatment options. Primary care physicians refuse to order comprehensive lab work. And standards of care lag years behind the leading research. Merrick Health represents a paradigm shift in how we approach medicine, empowering those who want the most out of their health care and wish to maximize their potential. Every client who orders Merrick's optimization package receives extensive lab work, over 84 carefully selected biomarkers to help provide detailed insights into your hormone profile, cardiovascular health, organ function, and metabolic status. Expedited onboarding for those interested in working with a Merrick Health medical provider for personalized treatment options, ranging from hormone optimization and cognitive enhancement to hair loss prevention and body recomposition, and all from the comfort of home. The Merrick Optimization Package includes the same elaborate panel I get myself. And with those test results, that's how the Merrick Health clinical team optimizes my personal protocol. If you want the same panel and medical oversight that I receive, Go to MerrickHealth.com forward slash Danny and use the code Danny for 10% off at checkout. It's linked below. Now back to the show. And so we had this Chesapeake Bay Retriever, 110-pound dog, standing on the back doorsteps. She's just sitting there, and she was growling, and she was barking at the same time. So I walked up to the back door and could see her through the door. And Chris Jr.'s got me by the shirt. Please, Dad, don't go out there. Don't go out. I'm like, son, somebody's breaking into Dad's shop because his garage is next to the kennels, plain view of the kennels, so all the dogs could see the garage. And I had a lot of stuff in that garage. I still do. My mom's house. And um, all our tools and welders and boats and fishing gear, We just, I just knew somebody was stealing something, right? And the dogs could see it. Mm. And so I talked Junior into walking quietly with me with no flashlight using our Chesapeake to 
stay in front of us and keep us safe. I just wanted to walk over and see if I could see who's getting in that shop, try to scare them away. And when I opened that door, Rosie took off straight toward the kennel where the dogs were. And she ran out about 40 yards and looked back and then took on off. So Chris and I snuck our way up to the dog kennel. And when we got there, the weird thing was all the dogs were looking behind the pen in the woods, not toward the garage. And they were all barking, uh, every one of them. It's a pretty long kennel. You could put a whole lot of dogs in there. And it was, you know, just imagine a 50-foot long kennel with dogs in each pen. And they're all facing the back. And Rosie, the Chesapeake, is pointing. She's she's froze and she's looking into the woods same direction as the other dogs. And Chris and I are standing there. And I said, this is really weird. Maybe it's a bear or something has snuck in here. And dogs are usually afraid of a bear. They'll, make, they'll sound different. Mm. And um, so I said, Junior, I'm going to send Rosie in to whoever's in there. She'll run them out, whatever it is deer or whatever i don't know but we made a plan we're going to send her in and we're going to run back around to our property so it was two lots they were on my dad's property or on his lot right so we're going to go back to ours and see if she pushes something out across in front of us just to see what it was so i sent her in the woods she took off wide open park and so junior and i ran hard as we could down this path back to the backyard and I had to make a left and go to the back of the property another 60 yards I guess run so I had to run fast to stay in front of whatever's coming out of there and what I didn't know was was Chris had me by the back of the shirt the whole time he didn't want to turn me loose when I made that left turn to go to the back he pulled away from me I thought he just turned to loose I actually slipped a little bit. It was frost on the ground. And I didn't know it, but he had all he could stand. He ran back to the house, opened the back door, and went in and locked the door. I didn't know that. I thought he was still behind me running. So I ran all the way to the back, and I knew where there was a big oak tree back there I could run up to and stop myself. Because you had to do this quick. Because dogs, usually something in front of a dog would be way ahead of them. So I knew I had minutes to, to see what was in there. Mm-hmm. So I run up to this stop and to this tree in a full run, stop myself, and I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm panting, I'm panting, but I'm trying to be quiet, right? Because I didn't want to scare whatever's coming toward me. I could hear the dog coming. It wasn't far. It's probably 20 yards in the woods coming my direction. So the minute I hit that tree, I turned around to see if Junior is coming behind me and Junior wasn't there. But what was there, um, from me to you away, probably four foot, I could have leaned over and touched it with my hand. Good thing I didn't. Uh, somebody from NASA told me it would have killed you. It did. Could have. The energy from it. So um, there was a being standing there, just like Junior described, It was that he saw in the river. It was three, three and a half feet tall. It looked like a child, um, not like a gray alien you would think about, people talk about. It was a little glowing color of the moon. 
uh, soft glow. Uh, three and a half foot, four year old, looked like a four year old child. Head and face was a little different. Definitely weren't human. Eyes were glowing red. They looked mechanical. When you look at them, they look like the little markers on a transfer truck, the side marker. You see these little round lights along the side. They were about that side, inch and a half. It had this triangle on its chest, glowing. This thing was glowing, but it had a dark section that won't glow. It was in the shape of a triangle. And I knew I was in trouble. The minute I saw it, now, this all happened so quick. I ran against that tree, and I stopped myself. And I looked back, and I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? So I got closer to the tree. I didn't want to get closer that way to turn around. So I back, I'm back against the tree, and I'm facing this thing. And I said, I surrender. I, I mean you no harm. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not here to – I was just – I surrendered. I just knew I was dead. And I heard this voice say, you don't understand. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. About that time, Rosie comes out of the woods. She's still coming. She's still tracking whatever it is. And it just vanished right in front of me, just disappeared. Uh, Instead of telling Chris Jenner what had just happened, I walked back up at the house, and he's standing in the back door looking for me. And I was scared to tell him any more because he was in shock, right? And um, it wasn't the end. I was a smoker back then. I had to have a cigarette. I just had to have one. I was just basically hyperventilating. I had smoke. So I walked into my study. I have a couch with a sunroom. It had windows all the way around. And my couch was backed up to these windows. So I put my knees on the couch and I reach over the back. I raise, I start to raise the blind and Junior's freaking out. Don't open the blind, daddy. Don't, don't, please don't. And when I raised it up about halfway, I was going to open the window and smoke and blow it out the window, right? But he had all the lights on around the house and there was this thing, this being, a tall one. I don't, um, I drew it. I painted it, but it's not. I, my wife thinks it's too scary, so she hid my painting away. <laughs> right? Did she really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a four-foot-tall painting. And she saw the same thing. Is it scary, Emily? It's a conversation piece in our house back in the day, for sure. She turned it around and hid it somewhere. I don't know where it is now. <laughs> it's in her in the pod. Somewhere mm-hmm. in storage. She won't let me bring it out. But anyhow, that's what I saw coming about 20 yards outside that window. And remember, all, this, all the floodlights were on, so I could see it perfectly. And How it, tall would you say it was? Seven foot. It freaked me out so bad that I shut the shutter down without telling Christian or anything. I'm trying to protect him as a dad, right? So I pulled the blind down, grabbed him by the hand, ran out the front door, jumped in my truck, and we drove about five miles away to a big hay field sat in the very middle of the hayfield until daylight the next morning. Oh, my God. That was the beginning and the end of January the 8th of 07. Believe it or not, he did leave out details. It's a a big story, but they're all in the book. Yeah. So that seven-foot being, what would you 
how did that thing look? Was there any details you could see? Was it, what did it look like? It was a, a real biological thing you could touch. It was a tall, two-legged, two-armed humanoid figure that um, looked more tan-looking than gray, but it's similar to these gray aliens that you hear people talk about. You always said it had human eyes. Yeah, it's huge. It had human eyes. Sort of, yeah. Bigger, but they look more human-looking. But it was, it was alien. Though. You know, with the pupil and like an iris? Or was yeah. it just all one color? It wasn't all one It was one all, color. all one color. Okay. But the way it looked at me and, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was a scary thing. So I haven't seen those since. Um, but it was there. It was on my property. And usually I've heard stories that they kind of run together. These taller guys and these, but I don't know. I have no clue. So I just, out of all the people that were there with you that night, other than your son, has anyone else corroborated any of that? Yeah, they do. They told their story. We the had, guys that were there with you? Yeah. They went on the Discovery Channel and told the story, just like we did. And uh, they reported to MUFON. I have all their interviews from from MUFON. And uh, they all corroborated every bit of it. And what happened with them was the same thing with me. Uh, They had children my children's age uh, or older and or younger. All three of them married with children. And they were just good old country boys that worked for my dad as subcontractors with families and they all went to school with my kids the most of them either elementary or middle school or high school and so when the discovery channel made their show in 2008 they uh, made a circus out of us they made me look like a like i was crazy and a liar and they tried to discredit all of us when they told us different they were going to they were going to uh, vindicate us. That's why we all agreed, because we were catching so much slack from the community. It became worse because of that documentary. Uh, my children were at school, and they would get made fun of. And she'd come home crying from teachers and the kids in school making fun of their what was going on, right? So that was uh, that shut them up to never want to talk about it ever again. Why you don't hear much from them? So after after this happened, did you tell anybody else? Did you tell your family immediately, or did you keep it to yourself? Yeah, I told uh, everybody. I thought it was the most wonderful thing on planet Earth. You know, this we're not alone. You know, we've always been told that 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 nothing exists. Even people say God doesn't exist. So it's all fake. You know, it's only us. And we were created by evolution, this time, you know, enough time, anything can create itself. Mm. That's what they say. So I just experienced something that uh, what I didn't say was the next day when we left the Hayfield and came home, I came home and was worried about my medication. Because I had to take medicine every day. And if I missed it, I would get worse. Couldn't miss one day. It just had to stay regular. 
And I didn't feel sick the next morning. And uh, I didn't take any medication. Just for the Crohn's? For the Crohn's. And I haven't had a symptom since then, period. Went away that night. And I was so sick that she can tell you I was uh, I was in the bathroom 20 times a day, 25 at the worst, and it was at the worst point. That's what Crohn's does to you. Very painful, you know. It's an intestinal disease. Right, right, right. right. So, wow. so I told the world, you know, this is what happened. Suddenly, I became um, a laughing stock. And I was playing with demons. You're playing with the devil himself. And for long, the churches were coming, uh, sprinkling holy water on my kids, on my house, on my property, on me. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. when you would go to church? Well, I wasn't going to church then because I was told if you, you can't come if you ever talk about this again. So I'm like, I'm going to talk about it. And so I, Never went back. And how did word get spread? Like throughout, like Emily, you said you saw the people at school were like cracking jokes. How did, how did everyone find out about it? It Well, it's a small community and, you know, dad was born and raised. Our generations of our family are from that area. And Mm -hmm. so the people that are from there know each other very well. And dad and my mom also were prominent business people in town. So Mm -hmm. everyone knew who we were anyway. And so when one person found out about this, oh, Chris Bledsoe is crazy, the whole community finds out. And then you go to the grocery store and people, you know, recognize you and know things and people at school. And then the documentary came out a year later and it was impossible to keep it hidden from everybody. It 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 sent um, the first five years, I call five years of darkness. And that was, uh, that was the first year it happened. Uh, the second year after the Discovery Channel did their thing from the second year on, it just got worse. I mean, it got so bad that I didn't want to ever talk about it again. And I actually went outside and shouted to the heavens, I'm done with you. You know, why do you do this to me? Why is my children affected now? You came in and you healed me and now I've got this problem. Right. And it's important to note that through these five years of, you know, we call darkness, not because of the phenomenon, because in those five years we were having continued experiences together and separately. Like I was 10 years old when this happened in 2007 and throughout all of those years, we were seeing things and then going and being ridiculed publicly and, you know, in different circles while we were still having the experiences. So there was a lot of like cognitive dissonance there <laughs> with like, oh, we're actually seeing it, but nobody believes us and it's still happening. Mm. So this first experience sort of unlocked a whole bag of other experiences on everybody. Absolutely. On all of us. Yeah. Even you last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what other types of experiences are we talking about? Well, go ahead. You can talk. I mean, anything you can think of, really. I've seen things. We've seen things like jump off of the table without being touched, like moving things, moving on their own, seeing shadow figures being touched. Um, 
anything like you would think it was a haunted house growing up, but that's, you know, part of how we explain that this is all spiritual in nature is because it can really manifest in any way that it wants to. And so the phenomenon is not limited to what people think of as aliens or UFOs where we were obviously seeing orbs every night as well. We were seeing things in the home that you would think of like ghostly maybe, but it was all the same stuff. When did the orbs, the orb sightings start immediately after? Never quit from 2007 that night. It just continued to the So from then on, you just started noticing things in the sky? Uh, It was in my face. It was, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, I write about it in the book. So many stories that we didn't write about. I I wrote 140,000 words for this book and we published 85 or 90,000. That's including the introduction. So there's a lot that we didn't include. But um, Daddy would wake us kids up because mom didn't really like, you know, the the conflict or the phenomenon. So she didn't really encourage the experiences. But dad would secretly wake me and my two other brothers, uh, Ryan and Jeremy, up at like whatever time of night. And we would go out on school nights at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and just look at orbs in the yard really? right in our face. And then we would go to bed and go to school the next morning like nothing happened. Yeah, some of these orbs would be 50 feet around and 100 yards yard. away. Yeah. Huge, bigger, biggest trees. And flying some of them through the trees and sitting out there for hours. We had one blue orb that just stayed there for everybody walked by the door and we'd look through the window and see it going through the trees and stuff. This. Now, do these orbs make any sounds? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. Not all of them, but if they're close enough, you can hear them. What, what, how would you describe the sound? Like a ringing, like a buzzing kind of buzzing. energetic. Electrical. Electrical. Sizzling. If you heard, if you ever took a, a, taken a light switch and when you go to turn it on an old switch, especially, you hear a crackle. Sometimes when you go from yeah. on to off, uh, that's a lot of what it sounds like, a crackling, sizzling sound. Any there is there any other, is there a smell? No smell. No smell. No smell. And what about the colors? The co- what is the color spectrum of them? What is the range of colors that you see? Nearly all of them, um, all of them can change colors. I don't think there's a, you hear people say, oh, there's a red one and it's mean and there's a yellow one and there's an orange one and there's, these green ones will kill you. I've heard so many people talk about that. But it's, it's from my experience, they're uh, all the same. They just how they decide to appear in color, but they usually will start out white and shift from white to red. So everything in between yellow, orange, Blood red, back to white, yellow, orange, and that spectrum. But occasionally they're blue. Uh, they'll 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 go from red to white to blue, this bluish white light. Um, not like an American flag thing, but you know they're pulse, they're shifting red. You see you see the red in with the blue. Several videos of blue ones. And what is this photo right here we're looking at? That far, if you look at Christopher, that's Chris Jr., if you look at his left shoulder behind him where the woods are, mm-hmm. that's where I had the encounter with the three-foot being. Oh, really? Yep. 
and that's where they landed. The orbs landed in my yard. You can see this circle here is two years old. The grass still not growing. It killed the grass, except for a little donut in the middle. And those streaks you see behind him are where two other orbs came from different directions and scooted along the ground, burning the grass until they sat down and created their circles. So there were three of those circles in the yard. And MUFON tested that yep. as well. What is it? Can you explain what MUFON is? MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network. And that's who you call if you have a sighting and you want to report it. You call those guys and or go on their website and you can put your sighting in. And that's what, what So uh, it's basically it's just people scattered around the country that are interested in the topic and they just donate their time to right. research it and collaborate. It's a pretty big outfit and they have, you know, they have board members, full time people there, but it's basically a, um, a volunteer. The investigators are mostly volunteers there. So, but yeah, they, they, they tested that soil. And the funny thing is the tree back in that back corner, there's a big oak tree in the woods where I run up to it and stood there with this bean from me. And it, the tree just died. Limbs fell, big, huge tree. It's just crumbled down, just like the top of that burning tree. Remember mm. that orb, that orb, where that orb landed there is 12 feet from the tree. I'll show you right here. This is the, well, here's a better photo. So when it come over the tree, one of those orbs, the one that, that had the full circle, the other two had tracks leading up to where they landed, right? Mm. But the other one Chris Jr. was standing at actually, we believe, came over the top of that tree and irradiated it because you can see 40 feet of the tree is missing. It's right. broke right off. It looks like it's burnt off at the top. Well, it wasn't burnt. It just broke and fell. It died. Really? Tree died and then um, caught fire. So the so the first time you noticed this, you, you just saw the tree in your yard burning? Yeah, we have a video of it. <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, Oh, there's a video. Yeah. Do we yeah. have that? Yeah, we can find it. Okay. Yeah. But is... mom tried to put the fire out three times and it came back. There you go. Top one. Here we go. It lit itself on fire three times that night. At nine o'clock, uh, it yeah, caught fire. just spontaneous. Oh, here we go. Combusted in our backyard. Oh, wow. I can hit, hit the full screen button on the, on the bottom right. Yeah, right there. This is so weird. There's Emily coming home. It hasn't been thundering a lot in a minute. No. Today, I don't even think it rained today. Here we go. You see the grass is wet. Where's the headlights? Ran as fast as we could in the backyard. The tree just spontaneously combusted. That's my brother Ryan. Yeah, burning from the inside out. How is it burning from the inside out? I don't know, but here's the weird thing, Dan. We don't know. This is when I quit smoking. Remember in 07, I, I, I had to smoke to blow out the window, right? This is 2013. And, um, I was, I walked, I, I paused my television. Vaughn and I, her mother and I were sitting watching TV in our study. I said, I, I paused the TV. I said, I'm going to go smoke. And so she got up to go to the kitchen. I went out the back door, full glass door, and I'm standing on the patio. Lit up a cigarette and I could see this tree is 75 yards from the house back in the back of the property. 
in the middle of nowhere. And um, I saw sparks come from the ground and go up. It looked like the little bottle rockets you shoot off the little tiny ones. They're yeah. red sparkles. Uh, that's what it looked like. They came out and they went weird looking. So my wife is coming back down the hall and she could see through the back door, see me um, on the patio, but she could see all the way to that tree. And she opened the door and said, what's going on with that tree? I said, I don't know. I see it too. And suddenly it just erupted like somebody just poured gas on it. Poof. It just erupted into flames and it was dead. Now look, this is after the fire. It came back. How long after the fire is this? That's the, the very next summer. The fire was in like October. This was the next like spring, summer. Spring, oh, yeah. Wow. It had been completely dead. That year before, 2012. Um, April of 2012. I'm going to talk about the lady here. It's in my book prominently about the lady. And um, Easter. Saturday night, Easter, the night before Easter of 2012, mm-hmm. I was so distraught because of the way my kids were being treated. I'm a big guy. You know, I got to the point where I didn't care. You can laugh at me. You can call me crazy. You can do what you want. I don't care. You just won't be my friend anymore. I don't need, need you in my life. And that's kind of what I thought about everybody that I grew up with, cousins. Just family and friends. So I'd wash my hands with them. But now it's affecting my children extremely bad. It made fun of and, and all. So I was desperate to prove to the world that I had actually experienced something that I want crazy. They labeled me that. The whole community. Or you're playing with the devil. One of the two. And I knew different. I knew I was praying to God and these balls of fire came. I knew they took my crones away. I knew it wasn't the devil. If it was, what a big trick. Why does the devil answer prayer? If it does, I don't want to be praying, right? So um, I had uh, given up that night and I walked outside and I said, look, I've been trying to film you. You're in my house. You're around my family. Everybody here sees your presence, these orbs. It's, it's, it's an intelligent, they're intelligent beings. These orbs are beings. They're individual beings, sometimes more than one. And so I shouted to the heavens, I'm done. You won't let me film you. You won't let me share you with my mom and dad lives next door the minute they come out. It never shows. When they walk back in the door, boom, it's right back in our family's face. So it was like, it was, it was so real to us as a group of six people, but it wasn't, I wasn't able to share it. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Seed. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a gut feeling and it paid off? There's a reason you trust your gut. And that's why our entric nervous system, which regulates the gut, is often called the body's second brain. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a new standard in probiotic, which supports digestive, skin, heart, and gut health. Its non-fermenting formula is supported by clinical trials and scientific studies and delivers what you need, where you need it. I personally use Seed because it helps support my body's ability to break down fats and lipids. 
and it maintains my blood cholesterol levels already in the healthy range. And with Seed's DSO-1 Symbiotic, it's two capsules in one. The outer layer dissolves in your stomach with fiber that feeds your gut bacteria, and the inner capsule is designed to travel all the way to the colon for the precision-delivered payload. Additionally, Seed is rigorously tested for 14 classes of allergens defined by the European Food Safety Authority. Listen to your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com forward slash Danny and use the code Danny for 25% off your first month. That's 25% off Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash Danny, code Danny. Back to the show. You so you couldn't witness it with anybody outside the family. Not not before the first five years. It was, uh, but I did with other people. You know, some scientists got to see or it's very drill. selective. Yeah, very selective. But it was almost impossible to introduce anybody to it. And so I went outside that night and I shouted to the sky, "I'm done with you. You have ruined my life." Thank you for healing me. I'm not sick anymore, but my life is in worse shape now than it ever has been. I'm a big guy, but my kids, I can't take them coming home crying. And and three boys, 15, 16, 17 years old, trying to date girls. And now they're withdrawn because of all this. And so I'm talking to the heavens, to the sky, just like this. I'm done with you. I'll never speak of you again. Don't come around me. Don't come in my house. I'm done with you. And that's what I did. And I walked in and I went to bed. My kids were there because of Easter. They always had friends come over. So the house was full of children. And they were in the front part of the house uh, playing video games. And I'm in the back alone. My wife's sleeping with her because the boys had all these boys over. And mom's standing guard right soon. So she's, she, I'm totally by myself. So I'm, I'm asleep. Three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock on the dot. I heard this voice say arise in a manly voice. I mean, it sounded like thunder. It was so loud and it woke me up from a dead sleep. So I jumped up out of bed into a sitting position and I looked around the room panicked. I said, I heard that. Who's in here? If it had been my wife, it wouldn't have startled me. But because it was a deep, thunderous, manly voice, it scared me to death. And I looked straight at my clock. had old desktop clock back then. Everybody had a alarm clock, right? Use one. So now we use a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> I looked and it said 3 a.m. And I could see movement in my room. And it looked like these shadowy figures that we've been used to seeing. They were at the bed, foot of my bed, these shadowy figures and what they did i don't know they put me in some sort of trance-like thing to where i stood i got out of bed i was in just my underwear i put on full jeans pants shirt shoes and i walked right out the back door following them and we went back out to the dog kennel to where everything had happened before right just right up to the dog kennel and just before we got to the kennel, one of these beings stopped and turned and handed me this object with two hands, just like this, handed it to me. And I reached out and I took it. It said, this is yours. You must keep. So when I grabbed it, it felt like a hedgehog. It's prickly. It wasn't hurting, but it was prickly. And it, it felt like it was a living um 
like a dog, but it had no head or no legs. I could see it, but it scared me really bad the way it hit my hand. I dropped it on the ground. This voice said, no, you must keep that. This is yours. You must keep. So I reached down to pick it up. And when I did, when I stood up, they were gone. There was no more beans in front of me. And I thought, what am I going to do with this thing? And I'm juggling it, and I'm thinking quick. And so I opened the dog kennel, and I set it in the kennel and closed the door, thinking, you'll be safe there. I don't know what it is. This has all happened so quick. And the minute I closed that door, I stood up, and this blast of wind, it was so strong, this wind. It was a mighty wind. But it was localized. It wasn't the trees around me. It wasn't the forest. It was a blast of air in a circle in front of me that the tree, this oak tree in front of me just disappeared into a black hole. And out of that hole came this wind, which pushed me backwards really quick. It was like so fast it caught me off balance. And I fell all the way to my back, flat in the leaves. And as I'm falling, I could see what looked like a a 1,500-pound bull, a cow, come out of that hole, ran right over top of me. And I could see through it. I could see the stars right up through it. But I could see this bull. And so I land on my back, and I roll to my stomach. And when I roll, and I'm trying to get up, right? I'm going to run. It happens within seconds. I hit my back. I roll to my stomach. I'm facing the other way. So I'm trying to get to my knees and to my feet to run. You know where this thing went. And immediately, uh, the cow wasn't there. It was a woman. Beautiful, beyond measure. She was glowing, this bluish white color. And she had this um, white dress on that sparkled when it was flowing. Dress just moved. And it looked like an old Roman dress. It went all the way to her feet and, and sleeves out to her hands here and her collar. There's a painting of her right there. And that was done. You painted this? No, the man standing to me is a famous artist from New York, Doug Auld. And Doug painted that just out of you know, what I described to him. You can see the bull to the right there. And there's actually uh, a triangle on her chest. He put it on there. And, and pretty crazy. That painting's big, but her face is different, but that's similar to what was in front of me. Three so foot. three foot floating in front of you. Yeah, three foot off the ground, but six foot away from Six foot away. And the size of her, was it like the normal he- size of a human? Uh, she was smaller. Smaller. See-through? Could you not see No, she was solid, solid as you are. Yeah. But her mouth wasn't moving, but I could hear her plain as day talking to me. But she was hovering, barefooted, just like that, three feet off the ground. And she looks at me. I'm just in this biggest shock. Words can't describe how the power I felt from this wind and this bull run me over and the fear that set in flight of I had to run you know I had this instant fear hit me but now I'm looking at this woman so that whole fear thing turned into oh my god you know, what is this? this is an angel what am I looking at 
she leans over and she looks at me and she says, this is your burden. She said, first she said, you know why I'm here. And I knew why she was there because I had struggled internally for five years. These orbs come and it talks telepathically. I hear them. And we proved this on the History Channel live with the Andy, mm-hmm. right? They knew that my brain was communicating with the orbs, even though I wasn't moving. We did this on camera. And neuroscientists measuring my brain waves, they could tell. Mm-hmm. So I'd had for all these years this overwhelming desire to tell the world. And the more I told it, the worse it got, the worse ridicule. And it spilled over to my children. So that's why I was ready to quit. But she said, this is your burden. You've got to bear. And she said um, several things. And this is, I've been telling this for a long time about the times we're in now. And we're in some pretty weird times, right? Mm. But she told me about that. And I put it out there in 2012. This happened Easter of 2012. She said, uh, there's going to be trouble coming. And we're going to wake the people up. And we're going to let you do it. We're going to use you. We want to help you. Introduce us to the world. That's what she said. And um, she told me about an alignment. She said, there's going to be, uh, she said, when the red, she said, when the star of Regulus, when the star of Regulus arises on the horizon in the gaze of the Sphinx, at that time there will be a shift in the knowledge of humanity. That's what she said. I didn't know what it meant. I had no clue if this star would align on. A um, star of, of a Regulus? Regulus, a star called Regulus. When it aligns on the gaze of the Sphinx before daylight, and that star comes up and it's right just above the horizon, like the orbs last night, right on the ground. In view of the Sphinx, there'll be a shift in, in the knowledge. There'll be a new knowledge for humanity. So I told that. Also saw visions of trouble that would happen beforehand, which is we've been having weird troubles, right? I'm not a prophet and I don't want to claim to be, but I did say this in 2012 and I've said it for the last, what, 11 years and it's all happened. So the amazing thing is, Danny, is uh, I went from totally quitting and announcing it to the heavens. I'm never going to do this again to a new renewed energy of now what am I going to do? If I tell this about the lady, they're going to come lock me up. They're going to think I'm mm-hmm. crazy for sure. Mm-hmm. So I didn't say anything for a while. And two weeks later, a week later, I, I had vowed not to ever speak about it again. One week later, I get a call from MUFON saying, we want you to talk in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, which is six hours away. And I readily accepted, yeah, I want to talk. So I was uh, a, a different attitude towards it. And that's where I met Diana Pasolka two weeks after the lady came. And I started talking about the lady in that conference, and the audience began to heckle me. They made fun. They didn't want to hear about the lady. 
they wanted to hear about the the river event. So it was a very traumatic thing, and uh, that bonded Diane and I for all these years to where that's how we became to know one another. But the crazy thing is, is immediately when she left, that's when I began to document everything. I could get pictures. I could take you out and share it with you. Only after she came. Only after the lady came. Yep. What do you think the bull symbolized? I don't know, but I know this. It got the attention of Diana and the Vatican and CIA, NASA, and everybody, DOD, um, even the Ministry of Defense in Britain, Australia, uh, all these people. They wanted to know about the lady immediately, let me tell you. In fact, I put it in writing to two generals at the Pentagon what she told me. I was asked to do that. I have there. I mean, I, there's, I have a whole bunch of questions in my head right now, but I want to try to figure out how to pick this apart a little bit. Um, first of all, Steve, do you remember when we were talking to Randall the other day, we were going through the different ages in the great year? Yeah. Um, what what age are we in now as far as like the constellations? I, that, that's the first thing I thought about is like the age of the bull, and the lion. We're in Aquarius. We're in Aquarius yeah, right now. Like that song, Age of Aquarius. Right, right. Oh, yeah, we were singing Age of Aquarius. <laughs> and what's the next one? Is there a way you can pull up like a diagram, uh, that circular diagram he was showing us? Well, let me tell you what she told me. She said that there was a shift in the powers of the heavens and that she had been away. The feminine energy was about to come back and there weren't no stopping it and that, that there would be a shift and that that shift would be into Aquarius and that the divine feminine would come back as the energy that would create a thousand years of peace. So she told me. There'd be trouble first, but in time, that peace would come to this. All right, that's a perfect place to stop. Mm. I mean, that's the perfect place to stop. We'll continue this next week. Uh, in the meantime, Rainbird, here comes his talking stick with all the angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, Manahuni, Sasquatch, and all the beings, great beings of light. And a thousand years of peace. I'm for that. What do you think? Here comes Rainbird. Well, that's a bedtime story and a half. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just I, it, a, a family in the country right around in your neighborhood somewhere like Lady Master. Even better than <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, six hours away from Asheville, so I don't know where that is, but... <laughs> well, it's not in your neighborhood, I would put put it that way, Rainbird. Yeah, it, yeah, it's in my neighborhood. But I have to wait till next week to find out what happens next, so... <laughs> like everybody else. Thank you for everybody being here tonight. Yeah. I enjoyed... I enjoyed this extremely it's just every time we get together it's 
more exciting. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll be back next week. <laughs> Thank you, Raybird. Yes. Okay. I pass that talking stick. All right. Rob has got an Aurora Ray for us. Let's close with the word, good words from our sister Aurora Ray. Here this we go. Peaceful warriors uniting humanity through inner tranquility. That was wonderful as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And to be continued until we meet again, everyone. See you on the bridge in your dreams. And much aloha. Satnam. Satnam ki. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. And the Sarah now. <laughs> Namaste, everyone. Namaste. <laughs>